Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever has you up tossing and turning, mind racing, whether it's worrying or feeling something or physical pain or discomfort. I'm going to do my damnedest to distract you from that with, you know, malfunctioning alliteration. But mostly, you know, I'm going to have this story. It's going to it's gonna start up and maybe be a little while. First, I'm going to do a little, uh, you know, warm up the old bathtub, as they say in the... Uh, the bath drawing business not the bath drawing like artists because I think that would just depend you'd say well geez that's not a that's not a subset of art uh, actually because I'm a pointillist and I do baths all the time and I don't do any drawing I do b- b- poking and I say really that's what you call it poking well that's what I call it because you know I'm a point but it's a subset of pointillism pointillism pokers but, you know, other baths, you know, you could say it's still if person's a bastard or a drawer, only if they use draw. And, you know, my partner here, he's a, uh, he's a, he's a charcoal artist. And, I, you know, we call him a dragger because he drags the charcoal across the page. And they say, is that a subset of, so is that drawing charcoal dragger? And he'd say, you could say that if you ran a gallery, and then we had this laugh, the three of us. And I didn't know what the hell we were laughing at, but I said, well, she's I want to be polite to these guys, you know, and say. And I said, so, but does he dra- drag any baths? And he says, well, he prefers scum tubs, like you just about said. And I said, to, you know, I said, boys, let's, let's drop a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, kindergarten philosophy on each other here. Is, when does a, bath, a tub become a bath? And then they, they said, okay, excuse us. And then they let, you know, and I said, well, where are you guys? They said the bathroom. And then they, I watched them leave the cafe. But that's something to think about. You know, when does a, a tub become a bath? You know, because some kids, you say, and then they say, oh, okay, when does a tub become a tubby? Well, when a kid is in it, that's a verb, actually, by the way, tubby. I'm having a tubby. Or is having a verb? So tubby's a, is that an object? And what the hell's a predicate again? I wish I had someone here, you know, to say, well, she's don't, Scooter, don't ask what a predicate is. And then please don't ask what an adverb is, because a predicate, at least you could say, you know, 62% of Americans don't know either, but adjective. And I say, okay, I won't ask. I won't ask. I'll wonder, but I won't ask. And that's the kind of things I do here. I introduce uh, things they say, well, geez, uh, not earth-shattering questions, but questions nonetheless, uh, to try to take your attention in, 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 away from whatever's going on with you. But, but believe me, when you get to the story portion, you know, that, that it'll be similar, but, but it'll be more, you know, continuous, linear, well, not linear always. Most of the time, linear. But speaking of distractions, I say, Jesus, when does a tub become a bath? You know, is it, well, I have a, I'm having a bath, is that... And I said, Jesus, what is that in Spanish? Because is that is having, that is hacer mean having? Would you say, 
Uh, he's uh, I'm, I'm making, I'm drawing a bath. Okay, I'm making, I'm bathing a bath. Yeah, you wouldn't say I'm bathing a bath. Uh, God forbid you'd be, I guess a tub, if a tub, if a faucet could speak, it would say I'm birthing a bath, you know. And that would be something on a weirdest family feud. Okay, uh, things tubs say, I'll take, oh no, I guess that would be uh, Jeopardy. Things tubs say for a thousand, Alex. And he'd say, we've gone through the Alec. Yeah, I remember we went through that other opening. And it would say, uh, I'm birthing a bath. Oh, and they'd say, things tubs say. Or is that family feud? I don't know. Not important, I guess. What's important is that I'm here to take your mind off of stuff. And they do it in a three, I guess I, don't, I didn't realize this till just now. Because I'm honestly trying to distract myself from the bath because I'm like my dog with the squirrel. I just keep saying, well, what other, what other stuff, what other distractions could I work out of this bathtub? And I say, you know, and I say, that's a good thing. So, you know, well, we're in a water crisis, so we got to cut down on the bathing and the bathing. Uh, they say, I'm going to have a tub. No one says that. And and they say, well, geez, uh, yeah, wouldn't I, you know, I'll, I'll take a tub. I'm going to take a tubby, uh, have a bath, draw a bath, uh, take a bath, get in the bath, bathe, ba- you know, bathing. That's what my dad says, bathing. He goes, because when we're, when we're at their little cabin, you know, you, they have a septic tank, and it's an old septic tank. So you have to bathe in the lake uh, or wash yourself in the lake. So you say, I mean, he always says, I'm going bathing in the lake. And then we all, we all, you know, we don't have, we say, okay, Dad, go. go. Well, you want to go back? And they say, yeah, I'll be down in a minute. But here's, um, I guess maybe I say it now too, too but uh, but the podcast. I'm going to try to distract you from whatever's going on in your head. Uh, I'm going to try to take your mind off of it. Whether you got a mind that's like, well, I, I really could go for a debate right now about bathing and tubbing. Wasn't there a bath? Wasn't there? A, I can remember when I was a PE teacher. As a young young man, was that when it was? But there was an album called Tub, Tub Thumpers, and I can remember a little kid saying to me, Tub Thumper. And I said, okay, you know, detain, you know, you know, back, go to the back of the room. No, I didn't do that. Uh, anyway, so this is a podcast to take your mind off stuff. A little bit silly. Uh, a little bit, uh, sometimes I get lost in my own metaphor attempts. Kind of like a, you know, a spider that doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And I don't know if they had that in any of the Spider-Man movies. Probably. I think at least Tobey Maguire, he plays a good, he, he could play a good Pratt Fall. And that would be my middle name. They said, well, what James Bond movie are you in? Pratt Fall. Well, that, it was called Skyfall. No, it was a James, you know, they said one that's coming up, uh, Pratt Fall. And they say, well, no, we, we've gone with, we decided to go with Tobey Maguire's scooter, not you. Well, you, that's a good choice, actually. Great, great job. That's very, you know, good, wise move. Uh, but anyway, what was my point? Like, so if I was a spider, I'd be caught up in my own web, just like I'm getting caught up in my words here. And I can't find my way back to wherever I tried to, I tried to get out of the tub bathing and into something to close this out. 
But mainly I want to draw your attention in into a warm tub. And, you know, but I want to get all the brain parts or the emotional parts of you in the tub, you know, get them settled. And then I, I, get, I get the tub to a nice temperature that keeps them, and I give them all their tub stuff. And I say, I got all the tub stuff. You, you guys want the crayons to draw on the tub walls? And while I do this, you can go back and sne- sneak into your bedroom, you know, metaphorically, and, j- you know, just take your attention and fall asleep whenever you feel like it. And I'll take all the parts of you that are bothering you, keep them in the tub. Believe me, this is a magical tub. And, and I get this new thing for them, which is what this podcast is. And I say, hey, bring guys. Hey, you know, all, all you other things, you jack in for this wonderful person's attention. I got all this great tub stuff for you, and I have this new invention I came up with, tub tails. And then I see you raising your hand and saying, you, you want to make a duck tails joke? Go ahead, go ahead, duck tails, woo. Um, but yeah, it's called tub tails, and I, while you guys play in the tub, I'm going to, you know, do some lulling, soothing tones, pointless meanders. You know, weevil, not a magical story, but a story that's... Uh, it has elements of the magic of story in there. And you guys just play, you know, make it go ahead. I've, I've got, you know, I have, a, you know, vibrations of, of, of uh, keep, keep keeping everybody calm in there. No, no, you know. And you'll be in bed, you see, you'll just hear out of the bathroom. You know, something like that. And you'll drift off and asleep. That's the idea of the podcast. But there's a second layer. Oh, I think I was going to say the podcast goes in three forms. Usually this is like the uh, long, drawn-out metaphor part, the introduction for new people. After this, I'll go into the thanking people and, and covering some housekeeping and building a sense of, of furthering the safe place where you say, okay, this is a place where everybody's welcome. Okay, so that that's part two. And then we'll go into a little tale, a little story. And if if there's an occasion, or 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 you want to do some sort of a, what do you call it, like a ritual, bedtime ritual, where you listen to this instead, or you can't drift off that. My my story will be here, and I'll be doing my best job to make it fairly entertaining, but not gripping. And you can always listen to it another time. And it's gonna be packed up with nonsense. So it's not like you're going to, it's not edge of your seat viewing. It's deep, it, 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 it curled up it, behind your seat, you know. You know, there's no seat involved. It's all vertical, no, or no, all horizontal. Horizontal seat viewing or something. Fully reclined viewing, that's what I'd say, fully reclined viewing. But if you can't sleep, I'll be here to keep you company. I'm reaching my hand and my voice across the deep, dark night. And you're not the only one. There's plenty of other people listening. And not everyone might have the same exact thing going on. And I know in in some sense we're all alone. But we're also not all alone. In the same side of that strange coin that doesn't make any sense. I'll be here for for you. And I'll tell you what, the community of listeners that I hear from will be here for you. At least in some, you know, vibrational, you know, positron manner. All right? And the main message I always try to get across is that I'm glad you're here. I really hope, uh, I really desire, I really yearn to help you fall asleep.
So, you know, thanks for testing this out, or thanks for coming back. Hey, everybody, we're back with another trending Twitter Tuesday. I just fired up my trends here on my little Twitter app. And he said, this is a more diverse one. So I don't know if, it, like I said, I'm not sure if it's just pulling it. But it's, uh, believe it or not, when you're hearing this, it would be much different. But it's uh, October 5th. It's a Monday. It's just before 6.30 in the p.m. And this is the time I have this week to record. So here we are. And we're still in the middle of our Halloween or, or costume uh, costuming adventure. Let's see how many trends we have. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine trends. And we're in the middle of this uh, unfolding story full of, uh, ma- you know, ma- ma- like a masquerade ball, you know, like multiple, ma- you know, the mask, but the masquerading part. Or the, you see, well, it's not the masking, but I guess it is. The, the, the costume, the, the tale of the crazed costumer. Uh, maybe not. It's, it should be more of an allusion to, uh, what do you call that? Uh, what's that? Uh, Wizard of Oz. Sorry, now i got to apologize to L. Frank Baum. Uh, because they were slightly similar to, to that, but not the same, I guess. So maybe not. At all. You say, well, geez, it's not. But what happened was I offended Ju- Judy Garland by calling her Julie Andrews. And I guess at the exact same time as I was offending her and the woman uh, with the, the uh, and, you know, obviously Julie Andrews might not have been too happy. And, uh, you know, Joan Crawford, I, I threw, I don't know when I mixed up Joan Crawford, but. At the same time as I was insulting them, I guess in some alternative parallel universe or, spoiler alert for those of you that are living, some sort of afterlife, possibly, possibly, uh, because there are living people there. So some sort of adventurer's world, some sort of adventuring world where you could go. Uh, Judy Garland said, hey, you know, you kind of, and I, I thought she just wanted me to apologize. It ends up there's a dictator there, Sato, who controls the world, Judy, Judy Garland, uh, Joan Crawford. And would you believe it's some sort of, you say, well, if you're, if you're, if you're into sensible stories, you know, you're not going to go for this. But Julie Andrews was there. Now, maybe it's an astral projection of her. Doppelganger on Earth, possibly, or you know, maybe time travel and afterlife mashup. I don't know. All I can tell you from my perspective is, see, which is, I'm not a scientist or afterlife specialist. All I can tell you is, I was at my house regular weekend. My old piano teacher shows up. She's not living, as far as I know. Oh boy, I should have double checked my facts on that one. Uh, but I didn't. But anyway, she shows up and she says, you got to come with me. If a flying piano comes, or piano flown by giant eagle's wings. And we take off in this piano, go to the kingdom of Jew- Jew- Judy Garland, meet up with Drake and Super Dave Osborne, who are supposed to help me. They, they were, they, at first, you know, they weren't a big help, but then eventually... They ditched me. I found Mumble Bear, the mumbling bear, you know, bear, humanoid bear. Mumble Bear and I w- caught up with Ju- Ju- Judy Garland, 
and Drake and Super Dave Bosworth. She said, hey, you know, we got to win this costume contest against Thado. He's the dictator. He'll give up his dictatorship. That's how big a costume contest he's in or how, you know, blind his confidence is. So she said, you got to go get Joan Crawford, Julie Andrews, and me, some, and maybe my piano teacher uh, costumes. Boom. In the next two episodes, Joan Crawford got her costumed. Uh, left Super Dave with her. Then me, Drake, and uh, Mumble Bear found Julie Andrews and we costumed Julie Andrews. I, I, no, you, you'll have to maybe. I don't know if I'll bring. We'll see about they talking about their costumes. But then, um, what happened next? Uh, what did happen next? Oh, I left Mumble Bear with Julie Andrews, and then me and Drake. That's that's where we last left off, and. Uh, and this, uh, you know, Halloween costume adventure. Costumers ball. The crazed costumers, corny, you know, storytelling where it starts with a C. So me and Drake, we, we, we went, we, we got up, uh, you know, we had spent the night in the graduate, oh no, we fell asleep in the grass on the campus, a uh, fake Notre Dame campus. That was Julie Andrews' kingdom in this world. And I know, I'm not a, you know, I'm sure her biographer herself would be shocked to know that she's such a Notre Dame and sports fan. And but this was an exact, uh, well, I don't know, I've only been to Notre Dame's campus once I was drunk, most of the time I was there. And but but it was like a Notre Dame campus, like the parts I've seen on TV. You know, it had gold domes. It had a field house. I know they've got a lot of field houses there, and you could feel the palpable. Well, I think she was just into the more sports side, college sports. And you know, but anyway, we look. We 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 said we said our goodbyes to Mumble Bear and Julie Andrews. And the young YouTube star who had become her assistant, whose name, I think his name might have been Felix, but I'm not sure. He was an incredibly nice young man, though. You know, I'm sorry for that one boy. That'll be a whole nother episode apologizing to him. Well, I guess he's, a, you know, anyway, he's not important. So me and Drake got ready to leave, and then I said, well, just, well how are we getting out of here? Because we'd flown by Eagle. We had traveled by a mole, mole hole as I like to call it, or as Muskie tall, calls it, uh, superconduction uh, tubes, uh, vacuum tubes. But then as we, me and, me and Muskie, oh no, it's not Muskie, it's Drake. I'm sorry, Drake. But me and Drake went to the edge of campus where campus just dropped off into a sea of, of nothingness. And I said, and I said, how, is this how your kingdom's protected, Lady Andrews? And she said, she just giggled at that. And she said, yeah, we're surrounded by a vacuum of ignorance. And then I said, so there's no ignorance in there because it's an absence of ignorance? And she, she just patted my head. And I said, no, no, I think I'm And she said, who, who, I'm Lady Andrews, sir. And I looked around and it seemed like it was probably a vacuum created by ignorance or a vacuum of, uh, you know, some sort of, some sort of ignorance uh, based. I don't know. I, I, it looked like nothing. It was just a freaking bunch of gray crap. It was boring. And then she, her and Mumble Bear said they, they had an appointment with the, you know, the tailors. 
from Julie Andrew, Ju, oh boy, Julie, Judy Garland's team of, uh, you know, tailors was coming. So she left me and Drake, and then I said, they said, so, because I think I had, you know, worn out all me and Drake's, you know, I had so many questions about Canada. There are not so many, but too many. Drake said I had too many questions about Canada. He said I'm more than just a Canadian. And I said, yeah, but the, I said that was what I, I said. Okay, Drake, okay. He said, tell me what's up with MTV. He said, is, is MTV still a channel you go to? And he looked at me distastefully. And I said, do you, and, and I said, I said, do you have something you watch on MTV still? He said, MTV Fan Wars. And I said, MTV Fan Wars. Oh boy, I love that. I said, did you overhear the MTV Fan Wars when it was uh, Bernie the Butterfly interviewed those guys, uh, five seconds of summer? It was like, he was the, it was MTV Fan Wars. Uh, five S seconds, five SOS fan, Bernie Butterfly, and Drake. But he was like, is he, you know, sometimes they can get people like, is he serious or not? And I said, Drake, do you know who LeVar Burton is? He said, yeah. And I said, LeVar Burton could be a Canadian because he's so damn nice, but he, I think he's American, but he, he's, he's as nice as a Canadian. Hendrick said he agreed, and I said, you know, that Bernie the Butterfly, you know, butterflies don't like, uh, I said, I don't know how they feel about Canadians, but they don't like LeVar Burton, some, some of them. Hendrick said, really? I'm surprised. I said, well, at least, I said, well, I only know one butterfly, actually, Bernie. And he said, the butter, he said he speaks for the butterflies, and they don't like LeVar Burton. And Drake said, really, this is good. And I said, oh, Drake, hold on, I'm getting somewhere. And I said, actually, Bernie the Butterfly reminds you know, he's a big into feuds like you, Drake. And Drake's like, I'm the victim of feuds. I'm not a feud starter. And I said, that sounds, you sound exactly like Bernie the Butterfly. And then, you know, Drake got on his feud face, which is kind of like my face all the time. And they said, we're so much alike, Drake. I walked down the street with that face 23 hours of the day. Even in my dreams, I have on my feud face. I said, what are you looking at? Don't smile at me. Are you walking to my air? Are you, you, know, you think you're going to breathe my oxygen? And then Drake said, tell me more about this interview. He goes, because I, I don't remember that MTV fan wars. I remember one with five seconds of summer. And then we heard the KAW call of... Uh, I said, is that an eagle's caw or the evil uh, raven's caw? And Drake said, I didn't hear anything. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, because I could have sworn I heard a caw, K-A-W. And Drake said, it's spelled C-A-W. And I said, well, this was more of a K, a hard K. And he said, it could be a hard C, C-Caw. I said, no wonder English is so hard to learn. Are those both, they sound the same, but they're two different letters? I said, that's like us and not them. You know, I said, I'm sure in Canada you guys have a more efficient English up there. I said, you guys probably just have a nice K. You say, hey, we, no, we don't have our hard and soft vowels here in Canada. We have nice and nicer vowels. And Drake said, well, anyway, what about this? And I said, oh, well, Bernie the Butterfly, he, he, he likes that, uh, I said, let me think of what the guys' names in that band are. You know there's the one Ashton, right? 
And Drake said, yeah. I said, are you feuding with him? And he said, I don't know. And I said, then there's a kid with green hair. I think he's a drummer. And Drake said, yep. And I said, I said, and then there's a guy who's like the tough guy. I don't know his name. I want to say Mono, but that's from uh, uh, Metastas News. And he says, so you got Ashton's like the, uh, you know, the dreamboat. Then you got the tough guy. Then you got the drummer's the oddball. And then you have the other guy, the, the McCartney. I guess the McCartney and Bernie got along real good. And, and, and Drake didn't know. And they said, did you just hear that? And, and, and I thought I heard something. And Drake said, what? I said, it sounded like la, la, L-H-A, la, 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 la. And Drake said, no. And I said, Drake, we got to get a move on here. Because I, I said, I think we're being tested. Like something's caught calling us into this void in front of us. And I said, Drake, we're going we're gonna to have to jump into this. And he goes, I'm not jumping into a void of, of ignorance. And I said, what could be better? I'm sure that, I said, you should have a glass of void of ignorance because that would cure all your feuds. You'd have the ultimate understanding of your feudies. And you'd say, well, you know, well, CB, you know, I'm not mad at you anymore. I know, you know, you're just trying to work, you know, whatever, you know. You got, you got some issues, man. Or whoever, I, I said, you know, you... you and Drake said, really, cut, cut it out. He goes, can you drop? And I said, I'm dropping the feud stuff. But I said, let's just jump into this. I said, I, hopefully it's not a vacuum. I said, but I said, let's jump in here and see what happens. And Drake said, why? I said, because I'm sick of waiting around and I'm, I'm out of stuff to talk to you about. And I'm getting uncomfortable. And plus, you're, you know, I said, hopefully you'll, your mind will be cleared. But I don't want you making up some rap, you know, about me. Or, I mean, unless you're going to, it's going to be a positive one. But I just don't feel like, I, I like you, Drake, and I like the can, Canadian in you. And then Drake jumped right in, and I said, so I got him, I got him. You know, and then I jumped in after him. And I don't know if any, any of you guys have ever jumped into some strange uh, void, but a very plain, plainest void I've ever seen, you know, so plain uh, would never be in a movie. You'd say, geez, that's, this is like the uh, Stannis Baratheon of voids. It's void of personality, you know. Lord Commander. And I say, that was the most interesting thing you ever did, Stannis. You know, until you win, you know. Lord Commander. And I say, yep, yeah, so this was a saltine cracker of, of voids, and that'll end my boring voids. So we dove in. Well, actually, Drake dove in, and I dove behind him, grabbed his ankles. It was, I was always, I've always wanted to do that, you know, do some ankle skydiving. But not really, you know. They said, well, this is a great chance. And we, 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 it felt like as soon as I grabbed his ankles, we started to tumble. And then we, next thing you know, we were tumbling, we were tumbling, we were tumbling, we were tumbling. And then we tumbled onto a, 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 a dance, a, a giant ballroom floor. And it, it kind of, it, it, it luckily, something like slowed us down. Oh, it's, oh, we landed in a giant pile of perfumed wigs. That was what slowed us down. And they were also powdered. So we were sneezing and venison. And then the next thing I know, I heard the tickling. The, but not the, the tickling plus the plucking 
of one of, like, is that a harpsichord or whatever the thing is? It looks like a piano, but does plucking instead. I think that's a harpsichord or maybe it's something Baroque, you know. And I said to myself, wouldn't the name of Thomas Hulse or Luce, I've gotten his name wrong many a time. I think it's Hulse is going on here, and Drake didn't get that. Uh, you know, I said, right, you know, Amadeus. And then I said, I looked around in the, I couldn't even find a harpsichord. And, but my, um, you know, my, 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 my sense was this wasn't good. And I said, Drake, we got to hide in, in, uh, in these powdered wigs. And he said, I'm not hiding in a powdered wig. And I said, you could wear one and I'll put it on Instagram or you could hide in the wigs. And then he saw it, but he said, well, and he said, let's put some wigs on then, because that could be a good look. And so we put on some powder, and I said, well, we don't have any outfits, Drake. And he said, well, aren't we supposed to be here? I go, I don't, I don't know. I know these, uh, I got a feeling that uh, Thado captured us, and this is the ballroom where the big costume contest is going to be going down. And he said, how do you know that? I says, the costume contest 2015, say, in this, you know. For for Supreme Commander, something I can't read all that's too far away. So that's a really wordy sign. But I said I, I said I, I said somebody's coming, Drake. And he said, "What do we do?" I said, uh, "DWTS." He said, "What is it? Dancing with the Stars?" I said, "Yeah, you've, you've been on DWTS before, haven't you, Drake?" He said, "No." Well, I said, "Now's your chance." And so we put on powdered wigs, and I, and instead of doing like that, I walked around Drake and I snapped my fingers and yelled at him. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, left foot, right foot, left foot, shake. Donkey, kick. Make you, you know, make a little, you know, little earthquake. And I clap, clap, clap. Walked around Drake and I say, you know, Look at the audience, you know, I was just giving him the business like I was a professional uh, choreographic critic. You know, like I wrote, you know, like I had the DWTSZ blog, you know, where every week I review, you know, the, the core, you know, I criticize the choreographers, the choreographic critic, and I criticize their choreography, but also their method, you know, all that stuff. That's, that's you know, my another life I live. And Drake said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, it's part of I get in the character. I have to get, you know. And then I said, do not question the teacher. And I said, I wish I knew your last name. And then I heard a, a slow clap, an e, you know, slow clap of of, uh, of, of uh, evil. And I, but I said, okay, don't turn around. And I said, that must be Thado. And it, this voice, but it was a, uh, wasn't the voice I suspected. It, it was uh, a familiar voice. Said, uh, and what do you call that dance, Andrew? And I said in Twitter, Siempre esta. Mosa Drake. And then Drake just went into an improv dance. And then I said, well, this is why this guy's a star, because he just started dancing. Like it's something that had a funky chicken in there for the Twitter. And he, I mean, I said, geez, he said, okay, we got a second career for Drake. You know, 
Oh, you know, Corey, Corey, you know, I said, you got to, anyway, the more important thing was I turned around and at the harpsichord was my piano teacher. Uh, but instead of uh, looking like a piano teacher, uh, she looked like a piano teacher that had had like a third life crisis or whatever you call it, like in her 60s. That She went goth in her 60s. Because it, except she had like a PVC or, or a vinyl outfit on with uh, with some sort of a thing around her neck that was like a high, I mean, this outfit was high quality, but uh, I don't know, something like you, like one of those, it was a perfect circle, like kind of like a doily, I've seen them, I don't know if clowns wear them, but, but it, like, uh, like one inch thick. Lots of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a like a polished version of a, what a clown would wear on their neck, way more symmetrical. I don't know, you see, geez, you might see a sense, of, but it looked great on her. And then she also had like some puffy things on her wrist that matched the neck thing. And just like a, some sort of helm, I don't know how else to describe it. And I said, what are you going as Thado, the harpsichordist this year? And then Carol knew my weakness uh, for harpsichord, harpsichord, harpsichord music. I said, again, Scooter, it's not the harpsichord, it's the B. it starts with a B. And I said, or whatever the instrument is that I'm thinking of. But she started playing it, and I said, well, maybe this is some sort of harpsichord. But anyway, she started playing this harpsichord music, and I was, you know, I felt like, I don't know, it transports me to a place I've never been before, the harpsichord. It transport. I don't I don't know how else to describe it, because it's just familiar enough to, to, to hit a vibration in me. And I said, well, she's uh, one of my past lives. I was at, you know, in, involved in in some sort of, you know, I was in a world where harpsichord was regularly played, clearly. And so she started playing it, and then I started I immediately. I don't know if it's charades, but I immediately start, you know, the it, almost like I become a giant. Um, what are those things called? Uh, like a puppet. Um, you know, a. Uh, Whatever, you know, puppet, you know, where she's controlling my face and my mood just by notes on the harpsichord. And she, uh, she I said, oh, and then, and then luckily, then Drake started dancing around me. And he was doing some sort of anti-harpsichord music, which I, normally I love harpsichord. But he was like, he was doing, and I said, maybe Drake has some magical powers. Of, he has the power of dance. But he started, I'd never seen anybody put more work into a dance with like, you know when you're singing to yourself when you're dancing? And it's kind of like to to spur you on, to energize the dance, but it's also a song. And in your head, you're making it a remix of whatever you're hearing. Uh, that was happening, but it was happening live. So Drake was taking this harpsichord music, which was controlling me. He was remixing it in, into a dance. And he, he I never seen, I, I, I broke the spell. And I said, you must be Thado. And it was exhausting. He couldn't stop because she was still playing it. But, you know, I, I stepped away from his dance. And he seemed like he was getting pretty tired, but he was still doing it. 
I mean, Canadians, Drake's done you right now. And I don't know if he's trying to get citizenship here or whatever, dual citizenship. Give me a rubber stamp. I I will stamp it. Because the dance floor started to become gelatinous and he started to sink in it. But I said, anyway, my attention was on Carol, my piano teacher, now a harpsichord dictator. Oh, maybe that's another band name, Harpsichord Dictator. Harpsichord Dictator. The old Harpsichord Dictator, but that's what she was, she was a Harpsichord a Dictator. Harpsichord playing Dictator. Former piano teacher. And she, she, she I said, so Sato. And she said, I am, Andrew. And I said, well, why did you enable me to help uh, Judy Garland? And she said, you needed to apologize to her. And, and I said, well, and she, and she said, she also requested you, and I'm the only one that had power to return to Earth. And I looked over, Drake was like halfway submerged in the dance floor. But she was still banging on notes while she was talking to me. And I said, I said in the back of my mind, I said, one, Drake's in trouble. Two, I probably should get out of here. And three... Hmm, I don't even know how I got here. And I said, I said, I said, and she said, you've never filed to run anything, Andrew. And she, I don't think she knew about the podcast, clearly, maybe. But she said, you've always, she goes, I I knew you'd let Judy Garland down. uh, And you jumped into your own ignorance. And now you're mine, and you'll be picking out, helping me pick out my costume. And I said, well, I already have your costume. Why don't you play a failed harpsichord teacher? And she stopped playing. Just for a second, I looked over at Drake, and he was submerged, and he gave me this desperate look. And I said, well, it's cr- cr- you got to make a crazy move here. And I jumped up in the air, and I dove into the liquefied dance floor, Put my arms around Drake, and boom, we went into the dance floor. And for a second, all I could hear, I could hear the, uh, I could hear the chatter. We were like submerged in some sort of liquid solid uh, zone, but I was swimming with Drake, but it wasn't water. But I don't know, I had a confidence, I had a feeling things were going to be okay, because I could hear Spanish-speaking Mole men. And I heard, and I said, are they on break? I said, La Reina in short, uh, debate. I said, are they talking about the debate? And I said, and I said, okay. I said, I don't know. And then I swimming towards the sound, and then I bumped up against something, and I swam again, and I said, Mole men, mole men. I said, I need, and then I started banging, banging. I said, AC, AC, for the love of AC Slater, somebody hear me. And I said, Drake, you're going as AC Slater. And he said, yes, but he was so, he like was expiring, you know, exhaustion in my arms. And I said, this should clear up any feuds with us, right? Me holding you, cradling you in my arms. And he said, I just say, I said, you're a hero, Drake, no doubt about it. A national treasure, Canada's national treasure, but, and a hero. And A.C. Slater for this Halloween. And he said, I love it, screech. And I said, no, 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 we're wrong, wrong. And he said, I'll, I'll be playing, uh, 
Oh boy, actually. I said I'd rather be like Lisa, you know. I said, well, I can't be dressed. Definitely not Zach Morris. Huh, well, so I have no chance of being Mr. Belding. And, uh, I said, well, I'm not going to, I said, it's not a Saved by the Bell theme. And then I said, oh, man, we're still in this. And I said, for the love of eight, I got A.C. Slater here. And then finally I felt the wall shake, and then we drained through the wall. We spilled out into a tunnel surrounded by mole men. And I said, hola, guys, hola, hola, oh, you know, yo, boboras. Uh, this is my friend A.C. Slater, a.k.a. Drake. I said, we just had a run-in with Thado. And they said, we know Miss, Miss Garland sent us to, to get you. You know, he, 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 he Thado, uh, circumvent. And I said, hey, why didn't you guys tell me Thado was my piano teacher? And they said, come on. And then they stuck us in a tube. We shot right to uh, Judy, back to Judy Garland's castle. Uh, I put Drake to bed. Um, and then I met with, uh, I went to the audience room. Is that what they call it? The audience chamber? And I went and saw Our Lady Garland. And she said, she, she said, come sit at this side, you know, on the floor. If I still had to sit on the floor next to her throne. And she says, she said, you've done well. And I said, why didn't you tell me my childhood piano teacher was Thado? And she said, she said, it wouldn't have made you nervous. And I said, well, it might have driven me by more of a darker urge uh, than nerves. So who might judge you? You know, who might judge your, you know, your, 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 your motivations, Miss Garland, Queen, Queen Garland. And she said, I'm not queen yet. And she said, everything's going to plan with, uh, with Julie Andrews. And, and I said, well, what? I said, uh, why did you tell me? I thought I had to. You know, get out. And she said, you've done so well. And I said, I got a feeling I got to come up with I said, do you keep in touch with Catherine Hepburn? Because I know I got about a thousand apologies coming her way. And she said, no, but now isn't it time to find something for me? And I said, yes, Miss 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 Garland, my queen, my future. Well, like I said, I'm living. The, I'm gonna be get, be getting back to my universe too, right? And she said, oh yes, yes, you will. And I said, well, Queen Judy. Oh, what about Judy Tenuta? How, how do you feel about Judy Tenuta? And she said, I need something more relevant. And I said, yeah, you're right. I said, and I said, well, geez, okay, put that on. I said, Dude, could I get an assistant to keep track of all the other apologies I owe? And she said, that would be a very long, and she laughed. And, and she said, I'm sure Santa Claus is keeping a list. Maybe he'll let you look at it. And I said, you could go as Orange Lux, the, uh, the heroine of a few of my stories. And she said, I need some. And I said, oh, yeah, relevant. Sorry. I forgot you're, you know, one of the most famous actresses of all time and i said all right uh, i said uh, let's go okay let's get out of your throne room so i don't have uh, like a, a royalty bias and Ju- judy judy garland and i that's right judy garland and i and she said she had plenty of royal guards and stuff but they we, we, she took me by my hand believe it or not and we went out into the garden and I said to her, I said, do you, 
I said, I guess now it's different because you're probably like a higher intelligent being than me. But I said, I was just curious, like, if you... And she said, you're going to ask me about the Wizard of Oz. And I said, yeah. Is that something you're trying to... I said, I'm not in a costume. I'm just curious for me. And she said, she said, I've, you know, still, you know, mixed feelings. And I, I said, oh, wow. So you're kind of still a human, you know, even though you're... She said, she laughed and patted me, you know, like I was... And I said, did you know I was in a zoo in one of my former lives? And I said, it might have been a zoo with harpsichords. Because I, I said, I know I've, I've had a life where I was at a zoo as an animal. And then she started laughing as she had to sit down. We're in the garden. A very, very nice garden. Outdoor garden with tall hedges. And then I said, okay. And I and I, was, I guess I was trying to buy time because I said, well, geez, this is it. And I said, you have a lovely, lovely laugh and a beautiful laugh. And she said, oh, thank you for making me laugh. And I said, well, you're kind of laughing at me. So it's not like, I said, it's different. Like, it's not like I cracked a joke. I was just being myself, you know. So that's different than making, you know, I, I was, a, I was a, you know what I mean? And then she started laughing more. I said, okay. And I said, well, this is the first time uh, these past couple of weeks that I've been, uh, you know, a uh, survival-based uh, costume brainstormer. Uh, you know, I, so it's not like I've, I have a method to it. You know, MN, MNF, method non-forma is my method. And she, she she said, what is that? I said, well, it's a, a method without form, method non-form, and MNF. And so I do things here. And I said, probably be better if the method non-forma, you know, or a method, method non-formage, you know, method of eating cheese. And then she kind of laughed at that, and I said, see, that would have counted. That would have counted if it was funny. But I said, let's try to form. I said, let's start in the middle of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, F, J, 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 J. When I look at J, when I think of the word letter J and Judy and Halloween, nothing K, can I come up with a costume? Like a hard C, a hard K for Judy Garland? No. No. And I started walking and doing a little dance because I was still dancing. I said, did I tell you Drake's going to be A.C. Slater from Saved by the Bell? And she said, hey, she, and I said, do you ever watch Extra? I think uh, Mario Lopez is on Extra. He seems, I said, he, he, he seems like he's got, he's like very enthusiastic and, and, uh, I said, I don't watch extra. I said, I don't know if that's the one he's on either. It might be Access Hollywood. Uh, but I danced around. I said, K, K, J, K, L, live, Judy Garland, an outfit. And I said, no, la, la. How are we going to dress you? Like the lion? I said, definitely not Toto. L-M-L-M. Hmm, what are we going to dress Judy Garland as with an M? It could be monotonous going through all these letters. That's why I started in the middle, Miss Garland. 
to come up with an outfit for you. Ma, what is it? You know, M thinks, I said, you ever remember M on Sesame Street? And I forgot, you know, all these age differences. And I said, you could be a millennial with a sparkle in your eye, Judy Garland. I said, you can't really go as a millennial. I mean, I guess you could. You know, we could make some sort of witty. But I said, and I said, it's pretty broad. I think millennial covers like uh, people 18 to 35. you believe that? And I said, you'd be in the, you wouldn't be on the 35 side, you know, your sparkle. And she said, quit kissing up to me. I said, and, and not, not to kiss up to Judy Garland. Not, what about something Shakespearean? No, 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 outfit for Judy Garland. L-M-N-O, I need a costume for you. I'm thinking of something. said, I don't want anything in your, you know, it's got to be in your wheelhouse. But I said, when I say P, what, and then she started laughing. I said, when I say P, what do you think of other than peeing? And she was, she said, that's all I can think of. And she said, she was laughing. She's like, you're going to make me pee, you know, man. And I said, Judy Garland beat her pants, pants, pants. Oh, pants, Judy Garland, be in a pants now. I'm trying to think of a costume for her now. Peter Pants, Judy Garland, Peter Pan, no, it doesn't work. Hugh Jackman, no, it doesn't work. <coughs> Elemental P, Q, R, Q, R, Q, would it be QR code, no. Q, Qbert, no, Q, cool Q. You all so beautiful to me, can't you see, Judy Garland? I can't think of a costume for thee. Q-R-R-R, I need a costume for Judy Garland, please. Uh, Judy, Gost- Judy Garland costumes, uh, you know, ideas, please call in. Uh, are you there? E.T., no, that doesn't work. S, 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 O, S, I need a costume. Snakes and sugar, sugar, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I got one idea, Judy, but I'm crossing my fingers. Something else is something, something, something. Because I think in a hero... And I'm thinking it doesn't have anything to do with S. I don't know why it popped into my head. That's why I'm thinking it's a good idea. And then I could be your date. Okay, we're we're on to something, Judy. I think we are on to something. I said, what kind of, do you have the power to pull people out of other stories into here? And she said, why do you ask? And I said, I have one character we need to bring to the ball with us. And then, uh, you know, another Hollywood, could you get another Hollywood star possibly? Uh, you know, and she said, well, what show's he on? I said, Homeland. Or I said, he was on the first couple seasons. I didn't, I stopped watching it, but I'm pretty sure. And she said, okay, so you need a character and uh, one of the star, well, 
Wait a second, do I need two of this? No, just one of the stars from Homeland. And she said, and w what will I be for uh, for the ball? And I said, well, I could tell you what I'm going to be, and then maybe you could figure it out. I said, you, did you watch, in the afterlife, do you watch, like, uh, one of the most beloved movies of all time? And she said, she said, I've watched, yes, we watch movies here. And I said, did you hear about a internet scandal involving the Silk Road? And she said, is this some sort of quiz? And I said, it is. And she said, okay, I still don't have any idea what you're talking about. And I said, how would you feel about calling me Miss Buttercup? And she still didn't. I said, man, Judy Garland is a little dense when it comes to pop culture quizzes. And I said, uh, okay, okay. I said, did you ever watch uh, uh, House of Cards, uh, the star, uh, female star actress of House of Cards, uh, ring a bell as a, a cup of butter? And nothing. I said, okay. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, and she said, would you just tell me who I'm going to be for the costume ball so I can see if it's a good idea? And then I said, as you wish. And she laughed and she clapped her hands, jumped up and kissed me uh, on my, in the pocket between my cheek and my nose. And she says, it's brilliant. And I said, as you wish. I said, you're going to be saying as you wish to me, though, because I'll be Buttercup. And you'll be Wesley, a.k.a. the Dread Pirate Roberts. And I said, think about how sleek that. I said, that's like timeless, but relevant, don't you? And she said, it is. And I said, I wonder if my piano teacher, she probably, and she said, don't worry. She, and I said, okay. I said, no one's gone as the Dread Pirate Roberts before, have they? And she said, uh, I don't think so. And I said, we'll have my friend DeAndre the Giant. He's different than Andre the Giant, but he's the Giant. And then we'll get Mandy Patinkin. They say, you can zap him out of his earth life, right? And she said, she said to save this world. I said, could you pick him up with, on eagle's wings and bear him off on the breast of dawn? Uh, make Mandy Patinkin shine like the sun? And I could hold him maybe my, I could only, you know, I'd like to hold his beard in the palm of my hand. And I said, I think he probably turned down any remakes of this, but this would be not a remake because it would just be a a masquerade. And I said, well, I guess maybe we should think about Mandy Patinkin because I don't know if he wants to play himself. But I said, well, we'll think about that. But you, my dear, I said, might as well get Christopher Guest while we're at it just so I can hang out with him. And she said, now you're getting, she said, you actually, we better leave Mandy Patankin out of it. And I said, what do you think about Catherine Hepburn as the Indigo Montoya? And she clapped. I said, and I said, well, let's pretend. I said, can Catherine Hepburn hear any of this? And she said, no. And I said, okay, I'll, I said, you, you know, while we're asleep, to, I'll run it by Catherine Hepburn real quick and pretend, you know, I said, I can see her. My name is Indigo Montoya. It's Indigo Montoya, right? And I, my name is Indigo Montoya. You may have mess with my father. Prepare, prepare to go. I said, Hepburn can pull that off, no problem. 
I said, we're gold. And she said, I think we're good. And then she said, why don't you go check on Drake? And with that, I headed back to the castle to check on Drake. Drake was sound asleep, so then I, uh, now we had, you know, two separate beds, which was nice. And Drake's a snore, but, but a nice Canadian snore, nice and comforting. So I climbed in bed, I listened to Drake. And Canadians kind of sore like, hey, ooh, hey, ooh. That's what it sounds like, hey, ooh, hey, ooh. So I started pretending like it was an owl that hadn't seen me. He was like, hey, ooh, hey, ooh. And I just slowly drifted off with this friendly owl named Drake. And I uh, fell deep, deep asleep in my bed. Good night. Okay, I want to say good night to Maggie for her comments and uh, emails. Thank you, Maggie. Good night. Good night, Psyche Sexy. Good night, Magus. Good night, Ingrid. Light a good night. Jason S. Good night. Keep, I hope you're running through your dreams. Kath V. Good night. Marissa. Good night. Natman. Good night. Uh, Deb K, good night. Shay, animal hair again, good night. Over, good night, Facebook. You know, put, for real, put Facebook to bed right now. Put the Facebook down. Good night, Facebook. Good night, Pamela SW. Good night, Monique, a friend of Pamela. Good night, Adrian, or Adrienne. Good night, Dagmar. Good night, Ben. Ben, I know. I hope you're. I hope you're asleep and hearing this in your sleep. Uh, good night, Meg. Good night, Laura. Good night, Alexandra. And good night, Richard. And good night, Summer. Who's those emails just came in? Good night. Sleep so 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 nice. And I want to say on iTunes, sleep with me podcast.com slash iTunes. I want to say good night to Pony up eight nineteen eighty. A pony from the great year 1980, ready to get up if, if ponies rested. And they've tried everything, fancy and not fancy, all the stuff, but none of it worked. But boyfriend works for a pony. And pony up says, just don't, you know, they, they rely on it and don't stop and I won't pony up. And then safe and numbing coming in from Timmy at 72.5. And I hope that's a radio station, Timmy, and not your temperature. Unless it's in Celsius, and then I would have no... I'd, I'd say, I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, but uh, disarming the day's events, uh, a safe refuge for Timmy is 72.5. That's T-Timmy radio. Uh, Laura B. to the SLR always puts Laura to sleep. And that's our good friend, Laura. I know you. Good night, Laura. Always works over for uh, Hanuel 23. How, how, you're the reason for the season. Hanuel. Uh, thank you. Always works. And, oh, and Hanuel's waiting for their mention. And there you go. You're amazing, Hanuel. A brain bot. With a with a, a human in which whose name I can make into a Christmas. Uh, Axel Rosie says we're verbal ambient and that they sleep like uh, 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 
I wonder if that's one of the brain bats, like a like a luxury brain bat that Axel Rose had. Like Axel Rose, he you know he's like I don't, I don't want you know give me the luxury brain bats with fancy names. And they said, well, we have these ones there for Rosie O'Donnell, but uh, you know they're they're the best ever. And Axel said, I'll take them. And they say, okay, well this one's called Rosie. And Axel said, okay, it sounds great. Uh, and Axel said, well, what do brain bots do? And they said, well, they bother you. We're just swapping these out. They, you know, they have luxury. You know, these ones have aromatherapy. They're still going to bother you all night. But that's why Axel Rosie found the podcast, so that works. And then I want to say goodnight to Manny Cat. I wonder if, I wonder if which Manny Cat. That's a familiar C-A-T-T. Oh, but this person's uh, been used to listen to the radio. But it's a little too uh, stimulating. And like most of us, white noise and nature sounds didn't work. Well, welcome, Manny Cat. And Scooter has a gift for relaxing tones and content. Uh, thank you, thank you. And then Panda Crow is on the road to sleep. The pointless meanderings are a highlight. It used to be they needed a silence to fall asleep, but now they may giggle, but then they'll fall asleep. It's better than a sleeping pill. And even when they wake up, they can use the scooter to their boyfriend. I don't know, Panda Crow kind of makes me want to sing too. But I said I was, you know, I'm trying to cut back on the singing this late at night. But Panda Crow, I said, I wonder if that's a thing, though, Panda Crow. What kind of crow is that, Daddy? Well, that's a panda crow, dear. No, it's not. It's a crow. Well, then why did you ask me? Well, I wanted to see if you had a story about the panda crow. Why well, do? It's short, though. The, the panda crow uh, wanted to be named the panda crow, and then somebody that knew everything changed his name back to boring old crow. And then the panda crow cried, and... It had magical tears, and it became a panda crow. And it was proud of the little girl who had such great diction. The end. Good night. Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you. The podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest, and uh, you might be, if you're new here, or you never heard of the podcast, you found your way here, or you've been around, and you say, well, how's it, what's he going to do? Well, here's what the rest is. I'm going to create a safe place to, for you to set aside whatever could be running through your brain, shooting through your body, uh, rolling through your emotional zones, or your feelings, you know, wherever you keep those. You know, if you keep them like me, you know, locked away in tiny boxes, don't, you know, don't do that clearly. Don't, you know, you know, create more of an open space. How come no one uses that metaphor? You say, geez, maybe I should write a book called Open Range Feelings. I wish I had an assistant and my dog say, hey, Cole, can you write that down? Open Range Feelings. Uh, roaming grazing and the plasticity oh thanks Co said it's plasticity and maybe she's a dog so she might not even be right either of the human brain 
Would I say free-range feelings? Maybe. Chapter 1, Home on Range. And it says, hey, Scooter, you're doing an opening for your podcast. Oh, yeah, okay, let me bring it back here. Chapter 2, you know, my feelings first. I don't. What if I don't want to get to the point right now? I'm in free-range feelings. And then from the offer of free range, uh, free range feelings, free range parenting, uh, now available in stores worldwide. Take uh, the man who who created the movement, which crashed the economy. Free range uh, feelings uh, comes back with his breakthrough bestseller, free range parenting, which which uh, some governments have prepared for, and you probably you know it comes with you know. It comes with, you know, protein bars inside the book. The book's edible for when the free-range children take over the world. But they'll be free, you know, free to range. Chapter 1. Yeah. All right, sorry. If you're new here, I already got, got off track. But that's the point. I'm going to try to distract you from whatever physically, emotionally, or mentally has got you up at night. As soon as your head hits the pillow... Uh, for a lot of people, it, it could be one of those things, thing, three things. It could be all of those three things. But as soon as you say, geez, I just want to get some rest here. You know, I'm, I've, I've had a busy day, a busy evening. And then you go see, and then something erupts. And a lot of people, not everybody, there's a lot of people that, you know, that, that dude at work and that lady in the magazine, they they sleep great, and they always got to tell us about it, of course. And for some reason, this is one of these human things that people can't, they have trouble understanding or relating to it if they haven't been through it. Where they're like, what What do you mean? You need a, you need something to help you fall asleep? Oh, like a pill? You just, you just say, why don't you just have some cold water? Uh, you know, chew on an ice cube, as my Nana would say. Or, you know, they have a list and then they say, well, I don't get it. Why can't you sleep? And then that's when you're like, oh, boy, what's wrong with you? If they say that, don't do it. Breathe three times. That's, that's what I'm trying out this week. Breathe three times. That's my new. Well, usually I forget these. I say, well, I'm going to try to follow through on that. Let's try that. We'll just breathe once. Look, it's three times. It takes forever. And the new people, you know. Uh, but as I breathe, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a safe place. Uh, the safe place is a little bit of distracting silliness that I've been doing here. And I'm going to tell a story tonight's Lady Witchbeard. We, we'll get to the story eventually. A lot of people go to sleep during this metaphor, you know, this metaphorical interlude or interlude of metaphors. I guess it's more of an interlude with, with metaphors. Oh, my dog's trying to get my attention. Oh, she said the interlude with metaphor attempts. Okay, my dog's being a know-it-all for Halloween, and she's you know she's she's getting some practice on me. And also, I know I said I wouldn't do any large collider you know jokes, but I you know I did try. I said, uh, what would happen if I put all these you know grammar podcasts into the collider? And then collided them with dog food. No, I would never do it with my dog. And then had my dog eat the dog food. And I think this has something to do with the problems and with the grease, the money in grease. Somehow that's what they're saying. 
But as a byproduct, uh, my dog knows everything now about grammar. Uh, Hopefully it'll wear off. I'm saying, well, geez, once she digests it. But so this podcast is just trying to distract you. But it's kind of like something like the the free-range books I'm, 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 I'm thinking about pitching now. You say, well, obviously, this guy, you might say, well, is this guy serious or not? And I would say to you, getting to chapter three, getting serious about free-range living. Uh, some questions come up in my discussions with people as I explain to them free-range lifestyle. Uh, one, will I need any special equipment? No, the answer is you, you just kick back in your bed. And obviously, uh, hopefully, I, I've, I've, I've worked on this uh, method that I use. And it seems to be really what I, these little uh, turns I take. And what I find interesting, I say, well, geez, maybe there is something that's free range. I said, just could this be the next solar living handbook? You know, could I be the next baby? You know, instead of the babe, free range babies. And they say, oh boy, you picked the wrong range. And I say, okay, well, okay, that one didn't work. It's a good thing we, you know, but we beta tested it. And they say, well, those are still babies. And I was in a simulator, remember? I snuck in, I used that stupid computer that's on the TV now all the time. And I said, hey, Watson, r- run this thing. So it wasn't, oh, no, you're saying Watson was so smart. Watson wanted, okay, well, that's a science fiction novel. Free range. Maybe I guess they could just be, it could be, maybe, maybe they could be some meta, you know, what could we call a science fiction novel of a supercomputer that conducts free range? You know, there you go, free range failure. Uh, and maybe that would just be one of my new nicknames free range failure, Scooter's attempts to corner the free range lifestyle market. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about stuff, and part of your brain will be like, okay, this is, he is using uh, words and, you know, I'm pretty sure there's stuff like this out there, but I can't. I know he's not totally serious. And so you might yawn. You would say, okay. And you might breathe easy. And don't worry, I'm going to be going on like this for a while. And you say, yeah, I think my, they say, they, what they say about me, mildly amusing. And I say, that would now we want to be a blurb I have in a free range living. Unless it was someone like really famous, you know, and they'd say, they say, and people wouldn't even care. They'd say, Kanye said this book's uh, mildly amusing. And then someone would say, well, I don't buy books with Kanye. And I say, well, geez, you, holy mackerel, you might as well hang out with my dog. You two know everything. You know, by the way, it's, uh, I don't know, I guess I couldn't even figure that one out. But that's that's what I do here. I, I try to take a lighthearted approach. To take your mind off stuff, but you you don't have to invest any energy. Uh, so don't try if you've been trying to understand or make sense of this, or God forbid, taking it and be like, no, no, no. If if I had a book, free range living. I mean, I'll probably do that as a podcast episode at some point now. Uh, but don't worry about it lately. You know what I mean? Uh, just fall asleep whenever you want. Because this is a podcast, you can listen to it again another time. Uh, you could tweet or, you know, ask other listeners, did you ever get to a point about that? Free? And they'll say no, but it was, uh, wasn't that weird? Free, free range parenting. 
And they say one of those, uh, you know, an actress is actually writing that book, Scooter. And I say, well, maybe I'm uh, uh, poorly ghostwriting it, ghost complicating it for Halloween. I'm, you know, I'm going as, uh, you know, of, of, you know, I don't know. But the main thing is they want to help you fall asleep now. Uh, listener number two that might be listening, you might have a little bit more trouble falling asleep. You might be more like me. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not, I'm not just wasting your time here. I put effort in to uh, the story coming up here. Believe it or not, I work on this uh, Lady Witchbeard every single day uh, to try to outline and re-outline the stories. And I, I never said this publicly before, but the more I found, the more tightly this is hilarious this is more than mildly amusing uh, the more tightly i can uh, outline the stories the more boring they seem to be or the more sleep inducing they are but they still have st- story like elements to them so if you can't sleep there will be stuff happening it'll happen at a much slower pace kind of like watching retirees play tennis or something you say okay this is not a this is this is this is not hard to follow. But if you have a ice cold drink and you know a copy of uh, Free Range Retirement, that's you know my new investment book, Free Range Retirement. And maybe you know since you're you know someone bringing you snacks, and they're playing free range tennis, you say, "Jesus, this is not half bad." Uh, you know, watching these retirees play tennis, uh, drinking my Free-range lemonade. Yeah, that's right, Pat. You know, patent pending. Uh, pen, you know, pending pending lawsuits that are, you know, pending. And then, Pat, you know, then we'll worry about the patent once we get past this uh, lawsuit phase. And my dog just shook her head, so probably we won't be getting through that. But, but at least it was good for tonight. This, the free-range, you know, say, well, those are, none of those were jokes, Scooter. They were free-range, free-range amusements, we'll say. So that's what that's it. I'm glad you're here. If this is your first couple of times here, I am not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, I do grow on some people, but if you're skeptical, you know, give it a shot. Give it a couple of tries. If it helps you fall asleep, uh, you know, it's great. If it doesn't, you know, you just listen to two or three episodes and move on. But I'm glad you're here. The main message is uh, I really hope I help you fall asleep. And thanks for coming by. Good night. So here we're we're here with another tale, Lady Witchbeard. Now, last week when we last left off, I'll give you a quick overview of the whole story. Went Lady Witchbeard and I went to uh, track down Hernan Cortez to stop him before he and the conquistadors uh, ruined uh, ruined lives all the indigenous peoples of uh, Mexico, Central and South America, wherever you know, everywhere. We were going on my basic uh, history knowledge uh, and the lyrics of the Neil Young song, Cortez the Killer. We ran into Cortez. Turns out he's incredibly like a movie star uh, personality. Like uh, the best equivalent I can give is Brad Pitt. Uh, but, you know, we, we, except that Brad Pitt seems a lot nicer. Like Brad Pitt doesn't seem like he would do any conquistadoring. But all other Brad Pitt's qualities, like guys would want to be friends with him. 
Uh, for the most part, you don't get run across a lot of Brad Pitt haters. Uh, that's what I, that's my main point. Uh, even people like myself that say, geez, I'm pretty jealous of Brad Pitt, but it doesn't make me dislike him. I, I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it. And also, you don't see a lot of people that say, that discount Brad Pitt's talents. They don't say, well, geez, you, you ever think about that? Maybe that would make you conspiratorial. So maybe I should be more suspicious. But, but you know, we can keep, not only did we, he have all of that, but he was also like this brilliant trust. But it's so I, I in 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 uh, Cortez's case, I kind of disliked him more. I'm like Brad Pitt, but there was a part of me that was like, he is pretty sweet, very cool, you know. But then we had a lot of interplay trying to take him out and then trying to trick him, and then a whole bunch of stuff which culminated. And later, I found out that uh. One of the main problems is with, uh, now this doesn't happen in our, this wasn't a time travel situation. Uh, this was, we entered a transverse plane, so I can't be sure, uh, you know, where, where or when we were, but that we were with Hernan Cortez. Uh, oh boy, I thought this was going to be a quick intro. But the, the ma- magic in this universe was centralized. Uh, because they were building a pyramid, Montezuma uh, of this world uh, was building a pyramid that apparently was pulling all the magic of the entire world in, and he was going to use that as a deterrent against the, the gods of his belief system. And then we, I think what happened in our world, maybe, no, no history books say this, of course, I don't know. I have no recall of any history books. And I was calling him Ernie Cortez for a while. Uh, but that uh, maybe Cortez got a hold of this magic or the magic. the ban- Anyway, so Lady Witchbeard was more keen on saving magic. A whole bunch of other stuff happened. And then I said, well, geez, we still got to get Cortez. That's where we were at. And I thought what I would do, what I ended up doing was put this remote control, using magic and my love of remote controls uh, to use the pyramid to change it into, I was going to fake. Well, here's what was supposed to happen. I was going to pretend the pyramid was a a trickster god, a goat god, uh, the old trickster god banned from this world by the gods for being too much of a trickster. Uh, But the trickster god had returned to get rid of Cortez, and I thought the trickster god would frighten Cortez away. uh, Because it was giant, giant goat with like a bunch of stuff on it. And that's just like a boring goat, like a pyramid, like a transformer goat humanoid, you know, with metal. You know, he had like metal, gold and bronze armor even. Uh, but it didn't it didn't frighten Cortez. And then the, the uh, metaphysical, uh, spiritual debate that unfolded. And, we, you know, with a hint of like anti-colonialism in there. But believe me, this has an anti-colonial bent for any... Uh, you know, imperialists out there, you might say, okay, I'm a hypocrite for sure. Uh, you know, okay, but but it is a little anti-imperialist. So if you're sensitive to that, I guess it's a little late. But then it get even more anti-imperialist because one of the gods of the current belief system there was there, or a demigod. Again, I'm not, that might offend some, you know, demigods. But he said, wait a second, if I just take control of this giant goat, 
uh, I can destroy Cortez and hold all the magic to defend our world against all colonists, imperialists. And uh, I don't know what, I guess because he was centralizing, taking over the magic, and he was going to, you know, I did have a teeny tiny soft spot for Cortez, not to be like, uh, you know, I, I guess it, humanity. I said, well, he's a human. If I can, if I'm on the side of the indigenous peoples, and I can protect them and not see Cortez fall to harm, am I responsible for that? I don't know. Uh, so this guy Bach, who I thought we were friends, but you know he's misguided. He says, uh, or maybe he's right guided. He wants to defend his people, uh, his indigenous, the indigenous peoples that praise him, and other indigenous peoples with probably complementary but differing belief systems. You know, he's anti, he's totally 100% anti-imperialism. So obviously we had to, but, but it wasn't so much the imperialism. I don't know why I'm getting hung up on that. It was more of the magic. Lady Witch Spirit and I, by proxy, were there to save magic. And so basically where we left off was the Bach had taken over the goat god, like overrided the magical remote controls I'd used, you know, poorly made. And it was me, Lady Witchbeard, Marina, and uh, Cortez versus God or demigod and in uh, this giant, giant uh, robotic, robotic esque uh, goat, goat. And that's kind of where we left off. And it must be mind boggling because you were probably some of you may have been asleep, uh, but. Uh, Let's see if I can do a TLDR. Went to get Cortez. Uh, messed that up a bunch. Realized I was really there to say, help Lady Witchbeard save magic. Tried to save magic from Cortez. Messed that up. Tried again, messed that up. Tried again, that messed that up. Uh, came up with a couple of uh, plan I thought was pretty good. Messed that up. Then another plan didn't work out. So maybe I need Cortez's help and Lady Witchbeard and Marina's help to save ma still want to save magic. Ideally, Cortez would come down with some sort of fever and have to go back to Spain forever or still get scared away. But, you know, who knows, you know. So more or less that's where we left off uh, uh, here. On what what may be the final, it, it's definitely your final. Okay, it's a final. It's a final tale. Episode season was the final tale of Lady Witchbeard. Har har he har har. Yeah. Hey, that was Mister Anto. Can you do one now? I mean, Antonio Banderas, he's been working here uh, pro bono. Yes, but you're not a charity, my friend, so it cannot be pro. As a friend, we're not friend. Uh, for Anyway, uh, so thank you, Mr. Banderas. I appreciate you. You're an artist. And a wonderful, wonderful, you smell wonderful, by the way. And I try to buy coats that look like that, but I never look like that in a coat like you do. Antonio Banders, Tales of Lady Witchbeard, thank you.
Alright, so we're, we're back here, right where we left off last week. The goat god pyramid covered in bronze and gold has fallen to one knee. Uh, Bach is a little bit, he'd been hit by a flying cauldron and he's a little bit out of it. DeAndre was turned into a pile of sand. And I was giving my coat to Arna Cortez. And as he put on, started putting on the coat, the coat of many colors, I ripped one of the sleeves off. And he said, Jerem, what are you doing? He said, Jerem, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm going to need a sleeve for, for my part of the plan. And I said, Lady Wishbeard Marina, get close. I said, I got a plan here. I said, Lady Wishbeard, I need you to uh, go, go try to restore, uh, uh, DeAndre to some sort. I said, can you desandify him? And she said, I'm on it, germ. She said, I'd rather listen. And I said, you'll probably be able to hear my plan. He's not far away. I said, we need to move fast here. Uh, because it, it, luckily, bike was, uh, I don't know, things were slowing down. Or maybe I talk faster in crisis. Where here I have the luxury of slowing down a little bit even more, maybe. So the details... Or maybe they become details. The, the foggy uh, apparitions of my story become details. But he said, all right, Marina, or, 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 or non. Right, Marina, remember when this whole thing started for me, Hernan uh, was a giant. And they both, she said, yes, yes. I said, can you do that again? And she said, I think so. The, the magic is so thick and strong here. And I said, it's a shame you haven't done it. She said, well, it was a test, and, and it drained me. And I said, make him into a, a, a giant. The, the coat should help, you know, coagulate the magic or whatever. That. I said, can you do it? And she said, I can. I said, okay, Renan, get ready. You're going to be ready. And, of course, he said, germ, I've always been ready. And I said, of course you have. I said, of course, I've never been ready. Not only have I never been ready for anything, I've always been dreading. They say, hey, Germ, you've won a award, uh, uh, you know, and they, he announced it, hey, Germ, not time for uh, soliloquies. And I, I said, okay, okay, you're right. And I said, Marina, make sure you, you should, if you catch any beams off of the uh, goat god, they said, there's got to be some, they said, there's something magical about those bronze reflections, isn't there? And she said, they look beautiful. I said, I bet you there's some soul. So I said, Ta- I said, get some bronze energy into, uh, into Hernan, old Ernie. And she started to cast this more basic spell she had taught herself. I don't know the details because you know, we don't have time. But she started to do some sand drawing and chanting and Hernan started to grow. And then Lady Witchbeard ran back and she said, DeAndre is returning to, to shape germ. And I said, Lady Witchbeard, help Marina turn Hernan into a giant. I'll go run over and talk to DeAndre. And I ran over to DeAndre. I said, DeAndre, how you doing? He said, Scooter, Jeremy, I've turned into a pile of sand, but I'm reformulating. And I said, all right, DeAndre, I need you to go do something for me. And then I whispered to him so quietly no one could hear. And he said, oh, he said, this is dramatic, right, Germ? And I said, right, DeAndre. And he said, I was the only one that heard that, not even the audience. And I said, you were correct. Go as soon as you have your legs reform. And then Lady Witchbeard called me over and Hernan had reformulated into a giant, almost as giant. He was growing 
Uh, they were, Marina was still doing some casting, but it seemed like she was finishing up. And I said, he's going to be, he was almost, he was getting to pyramid size. So I said, he stands a chance against this goat. Uh, so he looked, he started to look, I said, man, you, you see, this is just isn't fair. He looks even, he said, he, he scales to size or whatever, you know, when they say that about the internet. Will this scale? You know, can you scale this out? And I never know what the hell they're talking about, but now I do. Because Hernan Cortez, probably like, you know, but you keep, keep using the Brad Pitt example. But you scale out Brad Pitt at 40, 50, 60, 70 feet. It was still great. Brad Pitt at 90 feet. Great. You give a 100-foot colony, you still got it. And again, I don't know if he was a 60, 70, 100 feet. He was just big as, big as hell. And the lady, which we said, Jeremy, you sure about this? Are you sure about trusting this this guy? You know, are you sure you know what you're doing? I said, lady, which we no, I'm not sure. But, but I, I've got I've got a, a sense this is our best choice. And I said, just, Marina, come here. I said, just so you two know, there's not going to be either one of you are going to be self-sacrificing here. So I, I've got a plan. Uh, don't, I need your help and your full focus uh, to complete this plan. And it, it's going to work. And they said, okay. I said, no self-sacrifices. I said, let me see your hands. You know, no finger crossing. Neither one of them knew what that meant, so I said, okay, okay. And the lady, which you said, how, and I said, look at that guy, Hernan. He's a killer, Lady Witchbeard. Cortez the killer. He said, he's our best hope against this pyramid. And then right with that, uh, the, uh, back had regained himself while we were talking, unfortunately. And he did it, he did it, the goat went from a humanoid goat into a budding goat, which butted Hernan about, uh, 40 feet, I'd say. Uh, but Hernan, I think it, like, did some sort of, uh, absorption move, so it didn't, I don't know, I, I was still trying to make a point, and it kind of interrupted my point, and it, I guess maybe contradicted it, but, but he, Hernan hopped right back up. And I said, see, Lady Witchbeard, see, he said, he, 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 this is this is where, and I said, I said, I said it's going to be fine. And then I said, Hernan, can you hear me? And I said, Marina, you know, I need him to dance like he did that day on the water. To dance around, and then Hernan, and I said, okay, Ma, he's not going to know who Muhammad Ali is. And I said, dance out of the way of the goat, and the goat charged again. And Hernan just picked it up, and Marina started humming a tune, uh, like a lovely, loving, uh, danceable tune. And Hernan started to improv dance to it, like uh, you, you, you just you dance right out of the way. And then you could hear back, and, and I guess it takes a lot of focus to control a giant pyramid effectively like this. Now I was just doing a little pantomime when I was controlling it, uh, so 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 back was distracted. And I said, Marina, stay closer and I'm gonna keep keep them in case they try. And you know, you can't. It's a trickster goat, or it was a pretend trickster goat. So it may have retained some of the trickster. And an action sequence unfolded. Now I'm going to interrupt it for a long, uh, you know, do some, uh, what do you call that? Not bad. I guess it's a backstory or exposition. But while I'm doing this exposition, probably in real time, you've got a conquistador. 
And I, I said, geez, he grew, even his breastplate grew in his damn pith helmet or whatever the hell you call it. And I said, geez, I don't remember his mustache being so And I said, did, did he have a mustache? And then I said, never mind, never mind. So while this is going on, Cortez and the Pyramid are doing more like a not quite battle. I guess the, the Pyramid's throwing everything it can at Hernan, and he's just trying to stay out of the way. But in a dance like uh, go, goats can't dance, or maybe they can, I don't know. But Lady Witchers said, Jerm, what's the plan, what's the plan here? And I said, remember that? He said, where'd that uh, cauldron come from? You threw it back. And she said, there's so much magic here. She said, I thought of it. And she's like, I must have done it. A cauldron cast. And she's like, and then I threw it. I cast a cauldron. I threw a cauldron. And I said, right. I said, those cauldrons are... I said, you remember you were always diving into cauldrons. They're telling me about diving into cauldrons. And then they go to another world. And that other cauldron was secret messages were coming from another world, right? And she said, correct. It's... Uh, it's too complicated. I said, like, it's like a worm, a black hole, wormhole. And she said, right. She goes, that was a regular cauldron. I threw it back, though. And I said, but you could cast, uh, port, can we call them portal cauldrons? And she said, germ. She said, we've been working for, for, for 8,000 years trying to figure out a name for them. And I said, well, I said, hopefully we get through this so you could tell the witch's council or whatever that they're portal cauldrons now. And I said, so you could ca- call these cauldrons, right? And she said, right. And I said, I said you could just start calling, calling in cauldrons, portal cauldrons to other worlds. And if something gets thrown in that cauldron, it goes to the other world, right? And she said, right. And I said, can you keep doing that? And she said, I can, I think so. She said, you know, just like Marina said, the magic is thick here. But she said they'll be unstable as soon as it goes through the, the, the portal close. And I said, that's even better. And I said, I said, how can you just keep calling? I said, Lady Witch Red, I need you to cast magic. I need you to witch like you've never witched before. And she said, what are you thinking, Jeremy? I said, we need to save the indigenous people of this area. We need to, unfortunately, we need to save Renat Cortez. I need, we need to save magic. And I'd like, you know, to save our asses too, maybe. But I said, I know how we're going to do do those things. And I said, so I just need you to keep casting cauldrons. Can you do that? And she said, yeah. And I said, I need them to be pretty big or have a, you know, they, can they do black hole-like suction? And she said, what do you think in germ? And I said, we're going to break up the pyramid and, and throw it in. The, piece by piece, we'll spread the magic wherever the portals go. And I said, it'll be randomized, like a real, like, expensive, good randomizer. Uh, you know, right? It won't just go to, like, four places. And I said, that'll spread the magic everywhere. And Lady Witchbeard was quiet for a second. And she said, Jeremy, this just might work. I said, all right, Lady Witchbeard, are you ready to cast the cauldrons? And she said, I'm ready, Germ. And I said, okay. And I said, or not. And I said, damn, this guy's got great hearing, too. And he said, what is a germ? And I said, I need you to rip apart the goat piece by piece, stone by stone. 
And then the goat landed one, like a a side head, like a side, like a one horn thing to Hernan. And Hernan went down. And he said, he popped right back up. I said, man, this, he said, what are those? He said, they didn't even have crunches back then. I said, what is he doing? I don't think they even had core exercises. This guy's got a freaking perfect core. But he, uh, he said, okay, what? and I ran over closer to him. And he said, rip apart the goat piece by piece, rip a stone. It's throw it into the cauldrons, ladies, which spirit is casting. And they'll suck the stone away. And I said, you got to rip the, the rip the entire goat apart. Now, luckily, this was a 100% robotic goat. Because, you know, if it had any, uh, what do you call it, consciousness at all, it would have been worried. But it wasn't, you know, there was no living anything on this goat, pyramid goat. And then Hernan started to dance around, and he danced around, and then he got, he grabbed the shoulder of the goat, because the goat was back in humanoid position now. And then he had his hand on there, his giant hand. And he said, Marina, more power to my hand. And he still couldn't get to, he said, Jerm, it's not bu- bu- budging, it's not budging. And then the goat, whoom, landed a couple more moves, and Hernan went down a little harder this time. And I said, Marina, I need you, you to help him. He said, Jerm, it's not going to work. I said, don't don't worry. And then right then, DeAndre, he said, Jerm, Jerm, it's me, DeAndre. I said, I know, DeAndre. I said, I just need you. I said, do you have everything? And DeAndre was carrying, uh, I said, and DeAndre was carrying a cauldron. And I said, he said, I got it, Jerm. And just as a was wasn't as well, the cauldron was full of green goop, glowing green goop, and magical dust. And I pulled the uh, sleeve of the coat of many colors I had, and I threw it into the goop. And I said, I said, okay. And then I jumped in the goop, and I said, you can still lift this, right, Dion? She said, oh, so, oh, so germ, I can lift it. And I said, all right, lift it up. And he lifted me in this cauldron of goop and stone dust and. A sleeve of many colors. And then I said, sneak up behind the goat. And I said, Hernan, you know, I gave him, and I said, man, he even body language, Hernan knew. He was following the plan. And so Hernan starts to distract the goat. He gets down in some sort of crouch, you know, and the goat's like, okay, time to, you know. So DeAndre creeps up behind the, the goat god or the pyramid goat. And I jump off, uh, I jump out of the uh, cauldron onto the back of the goat. So I land on the goat's back and I start feeling around and I'm looking towards the top of the goat and I find what I'm looking for. And the center part of its skull, I feel and I feel a rock hotter than the others. Very hot to the touch, but not burning. You could say uncomfortably hot. And I hop on the top of that rock and Lady Whisper says, Jerm, what are you doing? And Marina says, what do you know? And I hear people would gather, and they say, Fagey, what are Fagey? And Sifa, and they say, everyone don't worry. Everyone don't worry. And Lady Whisper, she was beside herself with the anger and maybe a little bit of caring fear. And I said, this is part of the plan. It's the last part of the plan. And Lady Whisper said, are you going to self-sacrifice yourself, Jarm? And I thought there was no self-sacrifice. And I said, Lady Whisper, you just get ready to cast some cauldron. I said, he said, go ahead. I said, DeAndre, dump it. And he said, okay, Fiji. And he dumped the green goop in the, uh, 
the sleeve and the stones up right on me, but mostly onto the warm stone, and it started to it started to cook into a gelatinous goop, and almost smolder a little bit. And I said, "Okay," and then I rubbed. I started polishing the stone with the sleeve. And meanwhile, people are trying to get my attention. I'm like, clearly, I'm working here. And the lady was very good. I said, Jerm, I said, once, you know, I said, come on, one second. And I finished my polishing. It was more spreading, but it looked like polishing if you were watching it. And then I stood up. I said, lady, which I'm not going to sacrifice myself, only the worst part of me. And I said, remember to follow the magic. I said, lady, which I said, you're going to need to come get, get me piece by piece or something. Uh, so follow the magic. And she didn't, she again, just looked at me because she didn't realize what I was going to do. But what I was doing, like normally if this was an action movie, we wouldn't stop here and have a little talk. But what I was doing was at some point it came to me, it hit me like this, uh, like why would a lady witchbeard name me Germ, correct? Well, w- w- was that an accident or was it, was it on purpose? Uh, why was everything I did in this story uh, goat-like? And and I mean the metaphorical goat, I guess, in this case. Uh, Why did uh, Manazuma have an image of a goat in the the pudding? Feiji was the goat in the pudding. And then I said, in in a lot of the problems I've created in this world were born out of my ignorance and my ineptitude. And I said, "Jesus, all this was been floating around in my, floating around in the back of my mind, and in a non-damaging to my self-esteem way." So I said, oh, "Maybe I could see all this for what it really is, like a germ and a goat in the pudding." And then I said, "Jesus, remember when I used to try to make stuff out of stuff at Radio Shack?" And that really worked out well in this situation. Became a giant goat god that seems to be wreaking havoc everywhere. And even, uh, you know, while I'm telling you this so slowly, it's still I'm holding on to the back of the goat god while it does battle, further battle with Erna, giant Hernan Cortez. But I thought about it. I said, how deep does this goat in the pudding run? How much of a germ am I? What is a phage? I don't know. I wish I did. Is it is it something I... And I said, well, geez, if there's this magical energy running everywhere, and now there's this magical energy being conducted through this pyramid, and somehow my... I'm not magical. I'm magically inept. Like, like I'm the goat in the pudding or the pudding goat, and, and I'm this goat running around in pudding. And somehow, in, in all the goat-related pudding metaphors that I know of that I've made, the goat never says, hey, I'm in pudding, why don't I just eat the pudding? But wouldn't that be nice for a goat, you know, you have some pudding? Like, you know, you're already a goat. Obviously, hygiene is not at the top priority, so eating... Putting your ends really not going to bug you. But in this case, it, it, it came to me as a plan. And as the the rock below me uh, bubbled and steamed, I said, I, I waved a goodbye to Hernan Cortez, and he kind of saluted me. And DeAndre was crying. But I said, DeAndre, was it? And DeAndre took the cauldron 
And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because he'd only dumped half the cauldron on me. And then Lady Witchbeard, she gave me this stern look and then looked away. And Marina blew me a kiss, but a kiss of friendship, of course. I mean, she said, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, if she did, but if I got to give her credit, if she didn't blow, if she blew me a kiss of non-friendship, a kiss of, uh, hey, later on tonight, I wouldn't have left this universe. I would have said, holy cow, does Marina like me? Maybe I should stick around. Will be the downfall of uh, uh, Central and South America, and all. I said, "Well, yeah, but do, do you think she likes me? Because I mean, maybe I'll stick around." But then I dove into the hot rock, and and as I had anticipated, the combination of the coat of many colors, or the sleeve of many colors, the pulsating magic, and the green goop, and the magical stone, and the fact that all. This one, you know, is a defective stone because it couldn't channel magic as a weapon. But it, it, it was connected to the rest of every other stone in the scope god. And as I dove in, in something about intention, sometimes it has power. And my intention was to dive into this stone and to spread my ineptitude like a germ throughout this giant goat, goat, goat trickster goat pyramid god. And it quickly it spread from stone to stone to stone. And I gotta tell you, it's a pretty strange feeling uh, being concentrated in ineptitude. Being accepting of your ineptitude and then saying, hey, let's, dis- let's, uh, let's, uh, you know, I don't know what we did if we distilled it, uh, but my ineptitude shot from stone to stone. I mean, along with the rest of me, but, but for some reason, you know, they say, I wish it was magnifying my ineptitude or distilling it, but it was just using the natural amount divided by a lot. Which is still a lot of ineptitude, unfortunately. Uh, but as it spread, the, the effect w- was almost instantaneous. The goat started to uh, be, 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 think it was even more sure of itself. But take swipes at Cortez, and Cortez caught its hand and ripped off a thing and threw it into a cauldron. Now, meanwhile, Bach had got wind that something was going on, but DeAndre had snuck up behind him. And then he said, Lady Witchbeard, I need your help. And he dumped the rest of the cauldron over Bach's head and then scooped Bach up in the cauldron. And Lady Witchbeard said, you know, wish was or something. I don't know if she's a French witch, but... And it, you know, created some goop, you know, some sort of uh, stuck goop. So back was immediately, uh, you know, not turned to stone, but it was stuck in a in, in a solid like goop where he could. But, but still, the goat fought on against Hernan. But piece by piece, uh, as each swipe the goat took, Hernan would catch it and rip a piece off and throw it into a cauldron. And then the goat would kick, and he'd grab it, and then finally he tackled it, and then Lady Witchbeard just started shooting cauldrons, like, like uh, almost like they were, uh, what do you call those? Uh, I don't know, I don't play World of Warcraft, but they say uh, missile weapon or whatever. And the cauldrons are just absorbing stones. And then Cortez goes into this stone fury, almost like a dog digging a hole in a backyard, a new backyard, like a flurry of stones and cauldrons flying everywhere. 
and soon, like, it was just like an explosion of cauldrons and stones. And then there's, there's nothing. And I'm observing all this, uh, uh, so, so through the magic of, uh, some sort, I don't know, ether, ether, I think ether gas, maybe. But then Lady Witchbeard falls to the ground, exhausted, and Marina works her way over there, and she's exhausted from working or keeping her non-giant, and her non-searching area around where the god had fallen, and he's shrinking back down to human size. And DeAndre's carrying around back in a little uh, cauldron, uh... And then all of a sudden, like, you see, like, uh, that uh, indigenous Athena-like goddess, and she just appears, and she says, I'll take it from here, and, and uh, do. And DeAndre just hands the cauldron over, boom, they're gone, that problem's out of our hands. And then DeAndre sits down, and DeAndre, you know, obviously he's more emotional than everyone else, so Marina hugs him. I mean, hugs a part of, you know, part of his foot. And they're exhausted, and and uh, then her nine struts over. And he says, did you see my victory? Did you see, did you see what I did? And uh, Lady Whisper and Marina both, they say, your victory. And he says, yeah, I defeated the, uh, the trickster goat god. Because it's clad in gold and bronze armor, if you didn't notice. And they say, they say, Germ defeated a phagey, the phagey, the phage. I think, I think DeAndre said the phage. But they say, Lady Whisper said, Germ did this. You just helped enact Germ's plan. And Marina said, Right. And so she still said it like, you know, but, but you're still, you know, like she, her and her nan are still together, which even in ether S, even if I was ether essence, that kind of irritated me. But he said, I know it was germs plan. And he said, where is he? And Lady Wishford kind of looked at him and she said, okay, so you do have, you're, you're a bit dense, you know, now that we're not in a, crisis situation your density comes through and uh, marina said Ger- germs germs gone you know he, he saved us and, and i say yeah baby his brilliant plan and lady which was also by the nature of his ineptitude but 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 but, but his great plan involving his ineptitude and then DeAndre said, oh, the irony, oh, the irony. In my honor, I wrote, I wrote that line for him before I left. I said, make sure you say this. If anything comes up, say, oh, the irony. And I'm proud that he picked a good moment to do that. But he said, I don't understand where Germ really is, though. And Lady Witchbridge said, he's, he's everywhere. He, he was in each piece of the stone. And it got cast against, into all these different worlds. And I don't know how we'll ever find him. And and she she said, I I don't even know where to start, but we'll we'll need to. uh." And she she just seemed, she she went speechless, you know. She was uh, talking to, to black out her emotions. 
of our friendship, you know, where she felt like she let me down. She didn't, of course, but uh, so Ernine said there was one stone left. Uh, This one wouldn't go into the cauldron. He goes, so I got a cauldron here and a stone. It it went in, but it didn't go anywhere. And Lady Witchbeard said, what? And and then Ernine said, it's uncomfortably warm, that stone. Strange, like it came off a of fire hours ago. Not, not, not burning hot, just uncomfortably warm. And Lady Witchford said that's the uh, secondhand stone germ talked about. That's what he went into. And she said, "Let me see it." And Ernest said, "There's weird shiny stuff on it." And Lady Witchford, she said, "I think this is a map." And meanwhile. It's tough to describe in a podcast, but even to come up with the image, it was, uh, within the stone, you could see into it, uh, what looked like not just one solar system, but, but, a, a bunch of different solar systems in a 3D model inside this, uh, rectangular stone. And it was a hand sized marine. And Lady Witchford said, uh, why? he said it shrunk with me when I was holding on to it. And she said, I think these pinpoints of light are where all the stones are. And these are all the different universes that they are in. And then she, she said she noticed a cauldron behind that her nun had, was, had grown. And she said, what, what's going on with that cauldron? Let me see that cauldron. And her nun said, it's grown. And Lady Witchbeard said, said, look inside. And Hernan reached inside, and there was two scrolls inside. And one was was from me, and it took them about 30 minutes to decipher my handwriting because I hand-wrote it (coughs) as ether gas, which my handwriting's bad as human, so just imagine. But it said, you know, and I know it's private stuff, but it said, you know, hey, Hernan, great job. Uh, I think you're great. Uh, you know, you, you, you gotta get out, you gotta get out of there. Uh, you know, right away, you know, not for nothing, but otherwise lady, you, lady, which has got all the mat, you know, and I hope I didn't say, you know, sacrifice myself across a billion universes or whatever to, uh, you know, they, they, you'd stay and, and ruin things here. So why don't you, 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 you'll have a perfect life wherever you go. And Hernan said, I, oh, I could return to Spain or, you know, another colony. And, and then the lady, which we kind of growled at him. And they said, hey, Marina, uh, I hope you and Hernan, you know, are happy together. Really, dot, 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 kind of, dot, 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 kind, not really, no, dot, 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 really. You're great, so if you love him, it must be. I can see why you do. I hope you're happy again. Take the last part serious. And then it said, Lady Witchbeard, uh, don't, you know, it said a bunch of stuff. But that's between me and her. But it said, don't worry. You know, I'm only spread across uh, however many pieces of the pyramid it are. And I, I, I said, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'll be able to find my way back home. And Lady Witchbeard was upset by that because I think she thought it wasn't true. And so it took after it took him all that time to, to decipher my handwriting, then it took a while for Lady Witchbeard to recover. 
And then Hernan said, what do you think's in the second scroll? And the second scroll was from the Witch's Council, I'll tell you. And he said it was multi... The good thing about scrolls are only one page, I was going to say, but it was a long scroll. And it had a heaping praise on Lady Witchbeard for saving magic and reversing the curse of Cortez, as the council called it, and breaking the curse of Cortez. And, well, you know, great job. But then halfway through the school, it said, but, you know, while the plan to spread while the plan to spread the magic stones and return magic across the multiverses uh, was successful, and now the magic is no longer concentrated in the power of uh, uh, conquistadors in their ilk. There is some disturbance due to the concentration of ineptitude uh, in each stone fusing with the magic, and, and then it's an individual situation where it ended up. They think it said something like this, wicked confusing, that part. And even Hernan and Marina, they were like, can you explain it to us again? And Lady Wishbears is, which is basically... Uh, the stones are shot anywhere, a bunch of different places. And Lady Witcher said, so let's just say one ended up in Queen Isabella's bedroom, or her bathtub, okay, we'll say. And Hernan said, and then Marina elbowed him. And I said, I didn't know, I didn't realize Hernan had a crush on Queen Isabella. Which Lady Witcher said, the stone would land in the bathtub. And that would be good, because the magic wouldn't be here, it would be there. She said, which would be even worse technically if this wasn't a metaphor. But she said, then it would change the power of the bath water. And something weird, weird would happen. That could be not good for magic. We're not good for the natural unfolding of things in that world. And then also, Lady Wishford went on to read, Henceforth, therefore, we also know you and Germ you know, great, great friends, and that uh, you need to go rescue each piece of germ, too, and you really do need to extract his ineptitude now from the magic stones, and, you know, go start to fix things eventually. But first, we need you to come so we can re-explain it to you in the grandest way and celebrate the lifting of the curse of Cortez. And why don't you bring Hernan Cortez and, and Marina as, you know, guests of honor. And, and they said, and they said, you know, P.S., don't let her, you know, bring Cortez, don't leave him there no matter what. And Lady Witchbeard said, would you two like to join me at the Grand Witch's Council? And Marina said, that sounds grand. And Lady Witchbeard said, it will be. And Hernan said, well, he said, he said, I might stick her in. And Lady Witchbeard said, no, 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 no. And then they hopped in, which was just, uh, and then Marina said, well, how will we get there? And which was said, climb in the cauldron, go ahead. And Marina jumped in the cauldron, and poof, she was gone. And then Hernan climbed in the cauldron. I mean, but, well, he, first he acted, I don't know, but he was, he got in eventually, and poof, he was gone. And then DeAndre tried to, and Lady Wishford said, DeAndre, you need this, this is your world, you're needed here, you need to stay. And Lady Witchbeard waved goodbye to Montezuma and all the people and leftover conquistadors who would hopefully, you know, take their breastplates and 
you know, deep breastplate themselves and deep, deep hit helmet themselves. But Lady Witchbeard's work there was done too, and she jumped in the cauldron, and poof, the cauldron was gone. And you might be wondering, you know, what, what was left for germ? Well, you're hearing my voice. And what's strange about the way the transverse plane works and the way the, you know, magic works is, uh, that things, you know, oh, oh, I think you can get projected back from the future into the past or something. I don't know. I'm here. But, but you, those of you might be wondering, well, geez, Germ, we, we're hearing you. So how is any of that? And they say, well, maybe I just sent my ineptitude across those universes and somehow I ended up back here. And maybe I'm a little less inept, or maybe this is just me projecting myself into the present. Or maybe I'm, you know, passing in and out of different phases and trans, you know, transversing the verses. But I'm here with you now. Hopefully less inept than in that story. I think so, because usually most of my plans, you know, I'm always doing my best. But it sounds like uh, at some point down the road, maybe we'll find out what happens with Lady Witchbeard and Hernan and Marina. But for now, their story comes to a close. And uh, it's been fun. It's, it's been an unexpected uh, tale of Lady Witchbeard, to be honest with you. But it was a pleasure, a pleasure to tell it, and a pleasure to try to get you all to fall asleep to it. And, you know, but behind the scenes, if anybody's still awake, it was, uh, it was the most written I've done as far as writing time goes. And I think that might be why so many people have found it so sleep-inducing is as I've gone out with this podcast, uh, one of the things I've realized that with the serial stories, at least, is the more structure they can have, the more freedom they have to be boring somehow. Uh, the more tightly structured they are, the more free. It's a weird thing, tough to describe. But it's really been enjoyable, and it went much differently than I thought. I thought it would be a story about Lady Witchbeard. And even when I was first outlining it, and they said, this is going to be, this is your character is going to take over and take center stage. And she kind of didn't. She kind of did things her way and pushed me to the center stage and said, Jerm, this is your story, which I didn't expect. And I actually reached out to someone that uh, writes, and I said, what should I do here? And they said, listen to your character. If she says uh, she's not the main character, or she's kind of the main, you know, follow her lead. And so it was, it was, it was a great learning experience. And I love having the freedom to be able to tell you tales like this and explore what a lady witch pirate would be like and... and what a, you know, conquistador would be like. And so it's just a great privilege to me to be able to either bore you guys asleep that are asleep or to be able to uh, try to do what Dr. Demento did for me, for those of you that are still awake, and uh, craft a tale that you could fall asleep to or listen to, but not totally have to pay attention to. 
you know what I mean, if you're still listening. So thanks for being here because, you know, I'm here at the end for all of you that are awake at the end. And that's what makes it uh, so fulfilling, I guess, is, is, is or one level of fulfillment. It's very fulfilling putting people to sleep. But it's also fulfilling to try to make these stories from start to finish uh, because it's, you know, more fun for a story to have a beginning, middle, and end. It's also terrifying. I mean, I'm still terrified. I think that's why I'm still talking. That the ending wasn't, you know, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, we'll be on to a next story. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks here, we're going to do a couple of things differently than we've done in the past. But you might not notice, or you might notice. Uh, so, I mean, I guess if you're still awake, it's like secret. Uh, or not. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take uh, two weeks off of uh, new episodes. But I won't be taking the two weeks off. I'll be working on the show and... Uh, writing and and recording still what we're gonna do so that way it'll be at the start of the holiday season we'll do our stuff about roberta claus i think uh we'll see and then well in 2016 we'll have another series uh start up again too all right good night or i'm gonna say some thank yous but good night I want to thank Ben for this idea, for the thank yous tonight. Thank you, Ben. Welcome to the to the sleep party. Good night to Ben. M- Miriam, welcome uh, to the giant uh, sleep area. That was totally secure and uh, all the privacy you need. Miriam from Madison, thank you for that postcard, too. Also, Ben, before you go lie down there, thanks for putting me on Wikipedia. That was great. Thank you. I want to say welcome to Richard. Come on in, Richard. Good to see you. Uh, Deanna, good to see you. And thanks for that shaky's laugh. Sophia, welcome. Come on in and good night. Maggie, come on in. I want to say good night to you. Good night. Hey, James, come on in. Get, get a good night's sleep. Welcome, Meg. Come on in. Grab, grab a pillow. Grab a bed. Good night. Over on Twitter, I want to say good night and welcome in. John, come on in, John. Get some rest. Michaela, come on in. Get some rest. Uh, come on in, Michaela. Get, get some rest. Good night. Good to see you. Welcome. Uh, Des, come on in, Des, that Des guy. Yeah, nice to see you. I like that. Uh, I like that. You look great. Grab a bed. Sully, come on in. Looking good. I like that. Uh, you brought your ukulele. It's great for sleeping. Oh, Sai Sexy, good to see you. Come on in. Maybe you could, uh, you could see if there's any other people that you share, uh, okay, that you share, share work with. You guys could have a little bit pre, pre bedtime. Uh, discussion, Mat- matricula, matricula, come on in, hey, hey, matricula, how many, how many syllables, matricula, that's more than I can count in my brain, but welcome, come on in, get some sleep, Fern, come on in, get it, here we go, we got to look at that spot we got for you, good night, uh, Babs, come on in, uh, good night, Babs, good night, 
Uh, Gordy, I got a spot right by the aquarium for you, so you feel right at home. There's a bubble. I got a double bubbler in there. Libby, welcome back. Welcome back. I feel like we lost you there, but it's good to have you back. Uh, punk rock word. Good to see you. Come on in. Come on. Yeah, you want to go over there? That's fine. That's fine. Ingrid, welcome. You could either be close to the cold or the warm side of the room. What do you prefer? Okay, and here's a, here's a complimentary set of blankets. Uh, Jason, good to see you. Here's a, uh, I got a earphones. They got this thing. This is this new thing they're testing out. They say it, uh, it, oh, it's lip balm. I guess it's not new, but yeah, here's some lip balm. Uh, Carrie, come on in. Good to see you, Carrie. Alexandra, of course. Welcome. Good to see you. Uh, Tara, Tara. Uh, you say, Actually, you have potatoes and tomatoes, and potatoes and tomatoes, so uh, come on in. Uh, Laura, good to see you. And from iTunes, I want to say thank you and welcome to Min Minyarm, who said thank you. Good night, Minyarm, and welcome to the sleep celebration. Sadie Chaos with an exclamation point and two, oh, heavenly sleep. Uh, Sadie's a OEF veteran, and uh, it's good to have you here. We got plenty of spots here. Uh, T-Ball 627. That's it, T-Ball 627. Are you a sporting brain bot? Are you a sporting brain bot? You know, it's, uh, it's good to have you here. And I'm glad that you uh, feel safe here. This is a super safe spot here I got for you. And uh, I saved it just for you. I'm glad you're here. And I hope you get you know, I hope you get some sleep, just like I say every episode. Oh, here comes the uh, Sun Loves Pandas. Oh, are you, you do you love pandas, son? Oh, boy. So do I. Pa- I call them panda poos. I'm so good to have you here. Good night. Hey, just come on in. I got to, we actually have a panda section. But no, you know, no panda fur, clearly, you know. Because right behind you is Panda Crow, which I don't know if that was uh, intentional or unintentional. Double panda action. I don't even know if I've mentioned pandas in the show, but that's a good word, panda. It's another podcast, sleep podcast-friendly word, panda. Kind of like the Oshkosh of bears, pandas. And people may say that it's not even close to related, but I say, well, what about a panda crow? Oh, did we? Oh, I think I sang about panda crow the other day. Or was I just singing that to myself, Panda Crows? Maybe, but it's good to have you back again, Panda Crow. And you're on the road to sleep once again. And everyone else, I hope either you're uh, on the road to sleep or on the road to drifting. Or just, you know, it's, it's, just, it's good to have you here. Still, you know, it's good to be heard when you're, you know, I still try to crack all those panda jokes. So I really appreciate the few of you that are listening to that part. And you say, well, I don't know if they're jokes, Scooter. They're more like panda illusions. Now I say, now there's something I could get into. Las Vegas, Scooter, panda illusionist. And they say, well, you use the, we can't, you know, we're not going to hire you because we have illusions, not illusions here. And I would say an illusion is an illusion of linguistic, you know, I'm a linguistic magician. 
And they would say, well, you, you, yeah, me and that's, you know. So, all right, it's good to have you. All right, I'll see you later. Yeah, or you could just restart another episode or something, okay? Good night. Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. Uh, we do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what I'm going to do is try to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's been running through your brain or your emotions that got you up tossing and turning. Whatever it is, I'm going to try to, this is a place of solace or respite or mainly distraction. And I'm going to, to try to, to take your mind off those things. Tonight it's going to be by me talking about uh, the Colombian Spanish language version of Metastasis. And then later I'll do the Breaking Bad corresponding episode of Breaking Bad, then I'll re-watch Metastasis, and I kind of go through, oh, what does that Spanish word mean, or what is this? So in some sense, it's a TV rewatch. it's a language warning podcast, but mostly it's a distraction to, to, to either distract your mind, body, your emotions. Like when you, as soon as you lay down, you say, hey, I'm tired, I really got to get some sleep, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of things start jockeying for your attention. You know, a board meeting is called, and it's all of a sudden, it's like, not only are you in your underwear or buck naked, but they say you, you don't have, you know, I don't know what it is, no peroxy or whatever. They say you don't have any votes at this meeting, but we'll be talking about you. Why don't you sit at the front of the room here? And you, sit, you, you try to raise your hand. You say, can I get a blanket? One. Uh, two, I was just about to go to sleep. I don't know when this board meeting started. And where did you get this conference table in my bedroom, despite the fact that it's irritating? Is that solid? That is a beautiful table. And then everything is going to start. All those board members, you got older relatives in there, old people from prior relationships. You got different versions of your childhood self. You got travelers from the future, you know, saying, oh, I got bad news about the future. Uh, but let's say old scoots, and they say, you say, okay, well, can I get a, can I, again, can I get a blanket? And they say, no, 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 we, we need to talk about you. And they say, who's up first? Do you, should we start with the shaming? What's on the agenda? And this is the kind of situation, both actually and metaphorically, that you call in your old boyfriend, Scoots. That's me. If you're new here, welcome. And whether it's this bedtime board meeting or some sort of actual board meeting. Now, for regular board meetings, I charge about $45,000 a minute is my going fee. But I'll, I'll, I'll do, do it, plus expenses, you know. But old Scoots will come in. First of all, I, I, not only will I have a blanket, I'll have one of those... Uh, like, like I have a selection of blankets. I said, do you, do you prefer a microfiber? Uh, do you want to, here, I got, I got a, do you want yoga pants or sweatpants? Uh, you, you, you want a hoodie sweatshirt zip up? And then I'll get you all physically comfortable. I say, hey, you, you know, I got this section. And the people in the boardroom, they'll kind of be stunned at first because they won't know. And, and they'll sense I have a strange authority. And I'll say, hey, guys, we'll be right with you. You know, I'm here. I'm a consultant. You know, this is my client. You know, we, you know, jur- jurisprudence and all those things. 
I'm just going to set her up on this part of the table here. She finds it. You, my client wants you to know whoever, whenever you guys had the vote to pick this table, you did a wonderful job. So I think we can all work together. This is a sign. We're going to gather around this lovely table. My client's going to lie down on this part of the table. I have this wonderful uh, ergonomically, uh, you know, non-hypoallergenic or whatever, hypoallergenic, I don't know. Uh, maybe both, you know, here she's going to lie down, put her head down, and I say, okay, you just lie there, and you can listen to me, but close your eyes and relax too. And I say, okay, uh, who called this meeting, by the way? And then, you know, for, for all these board meetings they have in your bedroom... They say, well, they start looking at each other, who did call this meeting? And, I, you know, I usually, I mean, I try to do non-shaming of these bedtime boardroom meetings. I say, hey, everybody, it looks like you're, you all have a bunch of great ideas here. And I can see you took the time to make this agenda, starting out with the shaming. That's interesting. That's a, that's an interesting choice. I like that. I like how you put all these bullet points here and... uh I can see you're all incredibly intelligent, protective people here with our best interests at heart. And I just don't know, I think there might have been one of those memorandums of confusion to call this meeting at bedtime. And I know you're all very concerned, you know, we got to, I, know, I can see you, you back there, you do have this that big report you were going to give about potential spreadsheets and lists we could make. And I think that is important. And I, I want you all to know it's going to be okay. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to adjourn this meeting. But we're not going to leave. We're just going to, we're going to take this off topic. And I want all you committee members, you know, committee partners now. We're, you're all committee partners now. We're putting, you know, we're, we're reusing words. We're gathered around the table this is the kind of thing consultants do, is take words, string them together, and say, I'd like to welcome you all, uh, partners in committee. And the first thing on my agenda, because all of you are so wonderful, I wonder if we could just co-opt another word and say, hey, instead of committee, could we be partners in community? Is everyone okay with that? Oh, you in the back, I like the way you put your hand up. Partners in community of love and protection, I love that even better, of this wonderful human here, who may or may not be asleep yet, but they're just relaxing. Now, I, 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 got, a, I got a wild proposal for all you com com committee members, because I got a feeling maybe some of you feel a little bit unappreciated for all the hard work you do. And you might say, I'm doing my best here. I realize my misguided attempts to protect my human they backfire a lot, but and I say, okay, we're not, you know, I'm here. Well, we're partners here in this uh, community of protection and love, and you don't even need to defend your methods. Uh, but what I'm going to do here is I, I know how unappreciated all of your brain parts are and how stirred up you can get, especially at bedtime, because you really want to underline and underscore all your points. But I realize, you know, you guys are so uh, focused on your one, you know, you, you, uh, what are you, master shamer or prince of shames? 
Oh, you always wanted to be called Prince of Shames. Well, uh, congratulations. I realize that, we, you know, humans, we do a lot of pushback against you, but I think you all need a little rest, too. And so I was, believe it or not, not only was I hired to just co-op turns as a consultant or to co-opt terms, in my past life I did co-opt some turns. And believe it or not, I'm banned from every bird sanctuary on the planet Earth. Would you believe that? And they said, you know, they said, leave the turns alone. And I said, I said, I'm just trying to co-opt them into, uh, you know, a community of, uh, of hornbills, I think it was. Anyway, I'm going to tell you, I want all, I brought, you know, did you guys see my magical sack of sleep materials here? It's it's magical. Now you go ahead and dip in there. You know, Prince of Shames, why don't you start out? Pull out some comfy stuff. We're all going to get comfortable here. I have a special uh, uh, cocoa of uh, of thought and worry. You know, which it it, it it helps to relax that. And you all gather around and get treats and stuff. Just put your heads down on your desks. And I want you all to remember, you know, how good those desks smelled when you have to put your head down in class at school. And you'd smell the, you know, they say, well, this desk was recently cleaned. It's pretty good. And we'll get you'll get to dip into my bed. And I'm just going to talk about a TV show. And all you can relax, too. But but it'll have stuff in there. I've worked on it hard. So you guys can pay attention if I mess up any diction or anything like that. You know, take note of it. And as I bumble my way through, maybe you'll, re- you know, say, geez, I got a pretty darn, we got a good human we're in charge of. This guy, he probably needs a committee five or six times to the size of our committee. And I would say, you're right, and I do. Uh, have a, quite the committee in my brain, but I, I, you know, we're a team here. We're a community of brain partners, or whatever we said we were calling ourselves, in protection and love of our little human here. So I want everybody just uh, reach out your hand, and, and we're going to pretend pat the human, and see how nice that feels. And you just do that and say, and I'm going to talk to your human. Okay, so I got the committee now. And this is, if you're new here, this, this is how this podcast works. And I'm going to, you just, you can listen, keep your eyes closed or open, whatever works for you. And listen to me and know that I've won over the temporary trust, maybe, of some of your brain partners. Probably not all of them. Some of them are skeptical. Uh, Linus of skepticism, I see you back there. Yes, you, yeah, it's fine. Be skeptical. And so I'll just go on with this show. And you just lie there and relax, you know. And pay attention, fall asleep when you want to. And I'll try to get you to sleep, okay? And that's more or less how this podcast works. And I'm glad you're here. And, and, and I really hope, I really desire, really yearn to put you to sleep. So thanks for coming. Alright, so we're back with Metastasis here. This one opens up with a bleak uh, range, uh, you know, like a, like a range. Walt's racing in his car, he skids out. Uh, Cielo calls, but it's uh, Maria on the phone. Walt's talking to her, a baby's been born. 
uh, Walt throws the spare tire out of his car, which I was like, uh, well, that's not, he, he was totally spazzing out. And because I am a spaz, I think I can speak to that. You know, I said, well, geez, he's spazzing out. I've been there. I've done that kind of stuff. Just, who cares? We're in a hurry. Throw it out. Not, like, set it down gently or anything. He just throws the spare tire, rolls away. Uh, then he puts uh, the package, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Azul, uh, into a can in the shed. And then we cut pretty quickly in the hospital where Walt is a proud father of a new baby girl. And Walt's having a moment with Cielo and the baby. And uh, who taps him on the shoulder but Mr. Silba, Silba, uh, Mr. Slick. And he says, hey, Walt, how you doing? And Walt's holding the baby. He says, Toto bien. And he says, you know, I took your wife here. And Cielo says, he's been a big help. And Walt says, okay, great. And then Walt's like, where's everybody else? And Walt seems very on edge. He's worried because he was late because he missed the baby. Like, there's going to be consequences. Walt says, hey, I'm going to go home and get you some stuff. And then he pulls his, and then he pulls his bag out with these guys. He has mad stacks of cash. It was serious guap. Uh, they put, oh, and then the episode opens. And then we're at Jose's place on the floor. The phone rings. Oh, they're sleeping on the floor. And, uh... Yana gets the phone, answers it was her phone. She acts all happy. She says, oh, hey, hey. She's acting all happy. And I think she's talking to her. And she, then she goes downstairs. The lock, she sees that the lock in the door has been busted. And she says something to Jose. Jose gets up in a panic. Very good acting, I think, here. Because uh, uh, Jose runs and slips in a panic. And it's like this freak out fall where he runs to check the door. He sees the door's been broken. He sees the stash of uh, blue azules gone. I guess blue azules are double positive, but uh, the blue meth. And then we have, uh, what is this, a red house? Yeah. We have a red house, and there's an NA meeting going on in a circle. And there's a guy sharing, and it's very intense. Yana, Wana, I think it's Wana, not Yana is holding her father's hand. She seems affected by what's going, being said. Then the meeting ends and her and her dad are talking. She's saying, bien, bien. I think he asked her, he says, you look tired. And then they're talking for a while. I said, are they debating about something? And the dad seems concerned uh, for his daughter's, uh, for her sobriety, I think. And her health. And then we're home in bed with the baby. That's what I put. I think I thought I was being funny. Maybe not. And uh, it's Walt and Cielo and the baby. And, you know, a little picture-perfect moment. And then the phone rings. Walt Jr. answers the phone downstairs. And whoever it is hangs up. Walt runs down. And the phone rings again. Walt grabs the phone before Walt Jr. can get to it. And Jose's freaking out. He's like, dude, the mask's gone. It got stolen. And Walt's like, Mierda, man, what do you, I thought I told you never to call here. And he's like, but I had to. You know, I called your cell phone. The mask's gone. And Walt's pissed. But Jose's like, you need, you know, this is a serious. And then Walt just hangs up on him. Because uh, he's like, you know, what are you, that clueless? And then I have a big star here. Because there was a strange, like, pencil or charcoal portrait drawings. 
uh, three of them, I think, of Walt Cielo and Jr. And they didn't look, I didn't get a good look at them, but I said, geez, these don't look just super good. Now, they couldn't be really good. I just have, you know, I don't have a good judgment of them. But those were up there. And then Jose, we cut back to Jose's place. He throws this phone. He smokes some, uh, I think he was just smoking uh, marijuana. And then he notices there's four messages on his answering machine. Which I think he had a digital answering machine. But this is like just how fast things change. You know, these things don't exist anymore, these answering machines. And I mean, I think most people have said, geez, I don't even have a phone in my house. Uh, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with the, having a phone or an answering machine. But it's just like some some people that are listening are younger. They say, what is this stuff? And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, poorly explain what they are with, you know, being vague and 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 insulting to people that love them. So sorry about that. Uh, then we're at Walt's house, and Henry shows up, a joy, a joyful Henry, with uh, Los Polios Hermanos bag of chicken and soda. And he's very uh, celebratory. He's like, all a family. And he has his nice uh, black and brown diamond shirt on. I'm saying, okay, I'm starting to get, I'm not kidding, I'm getting to know Henry's wardrobe pretty well. I guess I probably should observe, like, the pants and stuff. I'm not good at that, though. Just, he, he wears a flashy shirt. Oh, and, and more notes on his shirt. It was unbuttoned pretty, lots of chest, I put. And then Henry Womed? No. Oh, worried. Henry's worried about something, or Walt's worried. And he asked her, oh, I think it was... Oh, I figured it out during Breaking Bad, but then Walt said, hey, can I talk to you about some details or something? And then whatever it is, uh, Henry's like, hey, we'll pay for it. Me and Marie will pay for it. And see, I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And Walt's like, no, 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 you can't pay for it. And later that night, we see Walt in bed. He can't sleep. His eyes are open. He's staring. The baby starts crying. But Walt's so deep in thought that he doesn't, you know, he, he's kind of clueless for a split, just a second. He's still just staring up there. And then Ciel says, hey, what about the baby? And he says, oh, okay. She says, you know, can I rest? He says, oh, sure, I'll get the baby. And he takes the baby, uh, Valentina, I think is her name. And he takes her down. He said he shows her the money that he's hidden. Uh, the million, millions of pesos, and he's pretty happy and proud. Uh, then we have Walt at school, you know, cleaning up his classroom, and Jose shows up, and he's flipping out, uh, yelling at Walt about, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the theft, and now Walt left him hanging. And then Walt flips back out on him, and Walt guilts him about his drug use. And Walt, uh, you know, they try to play the blame game, but Walt, uh, you know, says, you know, this is all on you, Jose, not Jose, not on me. And then they say, so Jose says, well, where's the money, you know? And because uh, I guess Walt had to be like, well, I had to, you know, I sold the meth. I got a text. I sold the meth. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have done it, you know, without it being hidden in your place. But other than that, you didn't do nothing. Uh, but they talk about the money, and then once they talk about that, Jose seems to calm down, but then say, Jose says, okay, when can I get my half? And Walt's like, oh, no, 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 no. 
And then Jose's like, no, no, I want my money. And Will gives him a beaker, and it says, like, good luck. Uh, and Jose breaks the beaker. He says, I don't need good luck. I need my money. Later, Walt and Marie are changing a diaper, and she's doing some running commentary on Walt's diaper changing skills, I think. And then I think they're talking about warming up the baby wipes, as far as I could tell, you know, for... for uh, they said, wow, that's some uh, that's some concerned parenting. And then Cielo comes in. She's like, I got a little surprise. And then they go in, and Junior seems to have invented the GoFundMe pages that people use uh, to try to get you to, to, to buy stuff for their kids or to pay for their kids to go to private school. Occasionally they use them for a good cause. No offense, but I am, you know, GoFundMe. I'll tell you what, i just tell you this. You know, if if you know someone whose kid goes to public school and then you send them a GoFundMe to send your kid to private school, that's that's just, uh, you know, just expect some, you know, people to roll their eyes when they see that. Now, they probably can move on from there, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. But it's just like, when you know, if, if, if you know the person you're sending to, their kid goes to public school, don't put anything bad about public schools in there because the people you send it to are probably going to say, well, you know, I don't know. Especially if you live in the same area. It'd be one thing if you live in, like, an area where you say, well, geez, my school's not as good as yours. Uh, then then I, I guess, you know, maybe, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't talk bad. But Jose, uh, Walt Jr. invented this, it seems it seems to be. And he's got uh, Salvo, oh, that's the name of the episode, too. Save Walter Blanco, I think. Save Walter Blanco or Salva something Walter Blanco, and Walt says, hey, Cielo and Maria and Junior's very proud of himself, you know, he's doing some coding and stuff, he should be proud of himself, showing initiative, this is what people always say, like, this kid doesn't show any initiative, I'll tell you what, this kid changed his name to Morgan, which is way better than Walt Junior, Morgan, uh, he even looks a bit like a Morgan now to me, he uh, printed flyers at one point, and then he, he takes the time to, to try to raise money for his dad's situation. He's a great, great guy, Junior. Morgan, excuse me. And he, and he has a best friend who, I, I don't know, his name escapes me. I want to say Lucas, but I don't think it's Lucas. Uh, but then Walt says, hey, Sailor, can I talk to you? I say, he says, shut this down. This is embarrassing. And she's like, well, Junior's proud of it. He has his pride. What's the problem? We don't have any other options. And Walt kind of like, there's always other options. And then after that, we have Walt and Saul talking, and Walt's just complaining, complaining to Saul. And Saul's like, was this about your wife? And uh, uh, it says, Joe, Joe, Joe. And, and he's he, uh uh, Saul goes to SaveWalt.com, and Saul's like, well, this gives me an idea. He goes, what if we had a single benefactor, I think, and then he even does some magic hands. He's talking about some magical accounting. Uh, then he uses an illusions metaphor, and then uh, we're at Jose and Yana's exactamente, it's said, and uh, Jose tells Yana there is no money or something. She says, K, what? 
and then we're at another meeting with Dad, and Juan is not there. Uh, and then Dad calls, and she's like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm just on my way out uh, to come to the meeting. I was sleeping. Uh, but then she runs out of Jose, Jose's apartment, and Dad catches her out there, uh, you know, as she's sneaking out of the house. And, of course, he's not happy about that one bit. He goes uh, a little bit off the wall. And then he breaks into Jose's place, you know, he, he, he kind of runs after Jose and it says, you know, you mess with my daughter and you mess with her sobriety. That's a double problem. And then he sees the place, the condition, the apartments, and he gets even madder. I thought he said eight years, but uh, eight years clean, but I think it was only 18 months or 16. I don't know. My numbers were mixed up. But then Yana kind of uses her feelings against his feelings against him. It kind of manipulates him. But he senses that. He says, well, let's just call the police. You know, they can deal with this. And then uh, she begs. She says, you know, I'm going to clean up, Dad, I swear. And Dad talks to her, and she says, I'll just go to rehab tomorrow. And Dad says, okay, okay, you know, I'm exhausted from this. But then he leaves, and it was kind of an act, it seemed like. And then we have Walt with the baby, holding the baby, in bed with Cielo. But Walt has the baby, the phone rings, Cielo goes to get it. And you cringe, you know, you say, oh boy, phone ringing at Walt's house, this is never good news thus far. I mean, the only people I've called have been... Uh, Maria about Henry and then uh, Jesse, but in this case it's neither one of them. And Cielo says, "Hey, well, it's for you. It's someone, but she doesn't seem suspicious." And it's Juana, and she's playing some kind of game, and she's very clear. This pronunciation, Jose, Jose. She says she's calling for. Jose. It's weird I can say it on the mic or when I'm watching a show, but if anyone's around, I mess up that. Jose. And she says, we want the plot of man. The match stacks need to come over here, our half. And Walt's like, who's this R? And she is totally, I love the acting in this. She is so calm and cool and in control. And just the way her, her face and her eyes are, it's, it's really good acting, I felt like, and lighting and, and just uh, setting the mood. And Jose kind of paces around in the back, which adds to it. He seems a little nervous. And she's like, you know, I'll just tell you, telling the, the, the cops, Walt, uh, go ahead and mess with me. So give us the money. And then they get off the phone, and Jose's worried. He says, I don't like messing with my profe. Uh, but she just continues this coolness, and it's not an act. She's just, it's, it's, it's good. And she says, don't worry, Jose, I'm in control. And those of us that are like those of us, we know, oh, boy, that's bad. If you think you're in control, could be trouble. And Jose says, well, you know, this is my companero or whatever, my, my partner, my buddy. And then we have Walt watching TV, a little bit of a strange scene. He's listening to the baby monitor, and he's watching Elephant on TV. And Cielo says, what are you, watching Elephants? He says, as a matter of fact, I am. And she's like, well, I just came down to give you a kiss and check in. She does this real nice stretch, again, just a nice little natural touch. And then she asks Walt for to go get something. And then Walt drives uh, to Jose's place, wherever he says he's going. He goes back to Jose's. 
and he's got the money, he thought about it, and he goes and Wanda tries to take it from him, he pulls it away, and he says, I'm here for a whole day. And then she runs interference, kind of, and, uh, and but then, then Walt gives them the money, he's worried, but whatever. And then they look through the money, and they're so happy. And she, they say, hey, let's go to America, man. Well, you know, we could do plenty of fun stuff there, you know, get wild. And Wana's like this, but she's like, first of all, she, and I, I thought they were saying, let's, let's finish off all the stuff we got here, or not, or should we just figure, you know, get clean? And so there's a little debate back and forth about that. And then Walt's at a bar, and uh, Wana's dad's there. Oh, jeez, holy mackerel, what? And then Cielo calls Walt while he's there, and he tells her, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, busy right now, I'm looking for stuff. Don't worry, it's a total line of BS, and uh, uh, Juana's dad's like, wait a lie, bro, wait, wait a see you're not at the bar. This, you know, did not, you know, sneaking drink, sneaking stuff's the first stage, man. Get ready for a wild ride. Almost like, oh, no, no, you know, I just need a break, you know, not that kind of break. You know, I have my, my, my predilections are different than yours. And they have a nice talk about life, and then they talk. I think they were talking about the newspaper a little bit, because that guy was, like, reading the newspaper in the bar, which I never got. I wish I could never drink and read, I, 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 and I loved being in bars, drinking. And I would know people that drank at bar, drank and read books at bars or drank and read paper at bars, but I was, you know, I, I couldn't, my, you know... They couldn't do that, but I would have loved the social cover that would provide and make me feel less, you know, less whatever, but it never worked for me. But it worked for that guy, and then he also said, well, I could feel a little comfortable talking to this Walt guy because he's lying. And he's like, did you have a boy or a girl? And Walt's like, Como? He's like, oh, you're talking about the diapers. And he says, girl, and then the dad goes, oh, and he seems a little sad, so they talk a little more. And so something about what they talk about changes Walt's mind, and he says, okay, I'm going to keep going for a drive. And then, uh, you know, uh, and then it's time to move on. All right, so this uh, opens with a, a do not disturb sign, this episode of Breaking Bad, uh, episode, season 2, episode 12, Phoenix. It opens with a do not disturb sign on room 179. And then we see that it's the De Anza Motor Lodge. Uh, old Motor Lodge, out of business. And Walt races in in his car. He's on his phone. He, uh, he's he got a brown jacket. He sits down in the lift gate. He, starts to, he says, uh, Skyler, oh, no, it's Marie. Oh, Marie, you know, I'm staring at the lights on the 40. You know, accident. How many times is Walt going to use traffic excuses, you know? But he says, there's an accident coming up of all days. I'm on my way. He goes, yeah, let's Skylar rest. I'll think of a, I'll think of another excuse, you know. And uh, then uh, I can't remember the order because I'm reading my handwriting here. But again, just like Walter Blanco, Walter White throws out his spare tire. I really love old motels. So the tire rolls, it hits an old phone that's sitting in the middle of the parking lot, an old hotel phone. And then the scene cuts there. And then we have the hospital hallway. 
Uh, it's still action beat. I don't know what that means. Still action beat. Uh, so still maybe action beat of the music. But I, I don't know. I guess I got to work on my handwriting and my notes. Uh, but Walt goes as she starts it up with the apologies right away to Skylar. She says, hey, meet your daughter. He says, hey, what's up, baby? And, you know, she's like, Shh, you know, don't don't wake the baby with your lies. She doesn't say that. She says, and then we see Walt with his, his daughter holding Holly in his arms. And there's a reveal in the background of uh, Ted Bernicke. It's so, such a nice, and Ted's got this goofy... You know, wonderfully nice, dumb guy look on his face that he's so good at. And he says, uh, congratulations, Walt. Kind of like, uh, almost like a, a character you'd encounter at a theme park. And Walt whips around. He's like, oh, Ted, whoops. Uh. And then they said baby talking, but maybe they were talking about the baby. Uh, but, you know, Skyler's like, you know, Ted really saved us. He drove us to the hospital. Otherwise, and I almost still almost had the baby. We thought Ted was going to deliver it. And he's like, oh, thanks, Ted. And then Skyler and Walt are talking, and they're kind of talking very softly and kindly. Uh, you know, Walt's like, is everything okay? And then he's like, where's everybody? And she's like, you know, Hank and Marie are eating dinner with Junior, and Junior's been the best. He even changed a diaper already, which I said, oh, really? Really? And then Walt says, is there anything I can do? And she's like, yeah, yeah uh, can you go home and get my bag? And he's like, oh, no problem. And she's like, I'm really glad we had this natural childbirth. It went great. And Walt's like, I'll go get our stuff. I'll stay here. And then the next scene is uh, the garage opens and Walt's sitting in his car there's some Miami Vice-like music, and then we see Walt's money. We reveal the bag with the money. And then we have outside of Jesse's place, a man's walking his dog. There's a lot of extras in this one. Two kids are on a skateboard. Uh, Jesse and Jane are in bed, and then Jane's phone rings, and she's like, Oh, hey, Dad. Hey, I was just uh, just in the shower. I'm on my way. Overslept, you know. And then she's like, hey, Jesse, I got to go. It looks like someone broke into your apartment. And then Jesse's eyes go wide. And he's a little slow to get out of the bed. But once he gets out of bed, he's moving. He's like, no, 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 no. He can't believe the apartment was robbed. The meth's gone. And then we have Jane and Dad. They're at a, a, a meet, an NA meeting, I think. And they're talking about uh, sobriety birthdays. And Jane's holding her, her, her chip in her hand. If for anyone that doesn't have any experience with like a, a like a program like similar to NA or any program like that AA or just something similar, like one thing is when you stop using or drinking or whatever that you call that kind of like your birthday, your sobriety birthday or your birthday or your second birthday or whatever. And you also get a little chip. That's when you see people have chips that says, hey, I haven't had a drink for one month, or I haven't had a drink for two months, or I haven't had a drink for 12 months. Uh, you know, so you can, and it's just something nice uh, to hold on to, kind of like Jane's holding on to it. Uh, so, and, and they happen to be talking, Jane has her chip, the guy, someone sharing at the meeting about his birth, sobriety birthday. 
And Jane looks nervous, and then her and her dad go to breakfast. And the dad's like, geez, you don't look good. Uh, your eyes are red and everything. And she's like, yeah, I'm working on this tattoo. You know, it's complicated. You know, choppers, muscles, flames. And she's like, this isn't a Sistine Chapel, you know, this isn't easy. And Dad's like, are you sure about this tattoo place? She's like, yeah, it's, it's a vanilla tattoo place, Dad. And she's like, how's work for you? He's like, uh, you know, same old stuff. And the Dad's like, hey, you going out with that guy next door to you? You know, he was acting weird. And she's like, Dad, he's just weird, you know. And she's like, he's a tenant and a story. And the next scene we have is uh, Dad and Walt Jr. Or Dad, let's see, Walt, let's see, Dad, we have, a, I must have missed something here. But we have, I think Walt's in bed with uh, the baby, with Skyler. Then the phone rings, he goes to get the phone. When Walt Jr. answers, they hang up. Then Walt picks up, he goes, oh, hey, Carmen, it's me, how you doing? Yeah, the baby's name is Holly. Yeah, isn't it a great name? And uh, then, you know, once Walt gets outside, he starts yelling at Jesse. Because uh, he's like, what are you doing calling here? You're a junkie. And Jesse's like, someone broke into the place. You know, they took everything. And Walt's ignoring him. And he's like, everything, Mr. White. The blue stuff is gone. And he's like, they must have known. And Jesse's like, aren't you mad or anything? And Walt just hangs up. Jesse was, like, pacing around the whole time. Very good. I also noticed that Jesse was wearing an oversized Lady Guadalupe uh, shirt. And he had four messages on his phone. After he Walt hangs up, he's like, wait a second, there's messages. And then we have a blue pool reflection. Uh, Walt's look. So they were eating outside. And uh, there's a blue pool reflecting, you know. And it was nice, and then Hank brings both the Hermanos, and Walt has this great look. And they're like, this is the best stuff, man. Hank loves Pollo Hermanos. And then Hank's against uh, public breastfeeding, which is, you know, that's passe back then. Now it's even, you know, Hank, give, give me a break, you know, mind your own business. And Marie's like, you're so provincial. And then Walt says, hey, I was thinking about this childproof in this pool, you know. And Hank's like, yeah, you're going to put a fence or a cover. And Walt's like, maybe some kind of high-tech alarm system, sonar. And Hank's like, oh, that's expensive, buddy. He goes, yeah, but, you know, I want to sonar-proof things for the baby. And then Hank's like, well, how, about, how about me and Murray buy that for you? Hey, Murray, what do you think about that? And Walt, you know, he's like, no, 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 that's fine. And then Skylar's like, no, it's a good idea because, you know, we don't worry. I got to go back to work anyway because we need money. And I also noticed Walt was in a maroon sweater and shirt. Uh, he kind of looked very teacher-like. Uh, then we have Walt, Walt lying awake at night uh, with the baby. And it made me think about how babies smell. Babies usually smell pretty good. And the baby gets up. Walt gets up with the baby. He goes down to the laundry room. And he has the money, but it was the worst hiding spot I've ever seen in my life. Behind the insulation that's not even stapled or nailed down. And he's like, look at the money daddy got for you, little baby. And I mean, I, I said, it's just irritating to me. I mean, for a story it works, but, you know, as a, just come on, Walt, pull it together. And then uh, we have a chemistry book. Walt's working on chemistry textbook, and Jesse rolls in with great comedy gold. 
He says, uh, he goes, this place looks the same because you don't have computers in here. It's the 20th century, man. And Walt's like, what are you doing here? And Jesse's like, I, I listen to your messages, jerk. And he goes, congratulations, Einstein. And he goes, you let me freak out like I dropped a ball. And Walt's like, shut up. And he goes, you, Walt goes, your, your middle name's dropped a ball, Jesse. He goes, what are you, wasted? And Walt's like, that is my uh, day off. And he goes, we're on call for the big deal. And I pulled it off, no thanks to you. And I had to miss the birth of my daughter. And he goes, well, how much did you get? And then Walt's like, well, Saul takes 20%. And then Jesse's like, well, where's my money? Oh, I also want uh, a gold distance. distance. I don't know what I put, but somebody, Walt's finger was very funny in this scene. Oh, I also, a couple other things I noticed. There's a couple student paintings, a firecracker painting with EMC squared on it. And the firecracker was on some yellow grass with a split in the earth. Then below that was a hospital with a truck painting with lots of, oh no, there's also lots of smocks or aprons hung up. And then Walt, then back to the dialogue. And there, so he says, hey, where's my money? And Walt, because you can't get in your money until I know you're clean. And Jesse's like, I'm clean. And then Walt says, all right, let's take a test, pee in the speaker. And Jesse's like, yeah, right. And then Jesse uh, throws a, a beaker against the periodic table. I said, holy, what is he, anti-science? Uh, then we're back at Walt's house. Him and Marie are talking. Marie's doing a, you know, telling Walt how to uh, change a diaper. You know, don't put it on, on the baby on his tummy, Walt. He's like, I'm not. I'm bit. Put her on her side, you know, in case she spits up. And then Marie's like, you know, Hamlet or Schmeller or something, some fancy catalog makes, you know, better ones of these, you know, uh, side towels, hypoallergenic. I also noticed uh, Marie's wearing some very nice bangles, uh, some sort. I think bangles are like a jewelry. I think they're wrist things, right? That had two kinds of purple. And then Skylar comes in. She's fake mad. Spoiler. She says, we need to talk about Walt Jr. And then he, uh, they go in and it's uh, SaveWalterWhite.com. And even Lewis had his hand in this. He said, hey, Lewis set a PayPal up for us. And, you know, everyone thinks it's great, but Walt, uh, you know, Walt's like, this is no good. This is emasculating. And Skyler's like, you're emasculating your son by being emasculated. And uh, then we go to the Walt meeting with Saul, and Walt's just complaining to Saul about, you know, having all the money but being emasculated even though he has the money. And Walt's like, well, this is why gangsters had malls, so they could, he could, they could talk to someone He goes, you need someone you could talk to, you know, that, that you know, that you would pay them, but, you know, he goes, but, you know, they, they wouldn't tell anybody your problems, but you could tell them to them. And then Walt's like, we got to figure out something about this money. And Walt's like, well, you could say you found the money. And Walt's like, no. And then he's like, well, what about a magical, you know, donation from Uncle Murray? Well, it's like, no. And Walt's like, my kid gave this SaveWalterWhite.com. Uh, I also forgot, you know, Walt wants the credit for all this money. That was the other thing, you know. He doesn't want someone else to get the credit. 
He was wearing wine-colored pants and a wine-colored flannel shirt. Very, very maroon, you know, darker than maroon, more purple, I think. But, you know, he's like, I got you. We could use a save Walter White to funnel the money. You know, I got a guy in Belarus. So that'll handle it. It was a bunch of little tiny payments, you know, micro payments. He didn't, I don't know if he used that. I don't know if they had, I think they had micro payments back then. And then we have Jesse and Jane, and Jesse's telling Jane, you know, how mean Walt is to him, like he's an indentured servant. And then he's like, well, Jesse, she's like, well, how much money? And Jesse's like, I just want my money now. And she's like, well, how much do you owe you? He goes, 500 And she's like, yeah, 500 bucks is a lot of money. He goes, no, 500000 And she's like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, she just gets this look on her face, says, great. And then the next morning comes, and uh, Jane's dad calls, and she goes out, and he's waiting out there for her. She tries to sneak into her place, but dad's there. And then, her, you know, the dad goes in. He gets mad at Jesse, sees the shape his daughter, and Jesse are in. And he gets up, and Jesse, him and Jesse kind of have a showdown, but nothing happens. And Jesse's like, I pay my rent here. I have civil rights. And the dad's like, you need to go back to rehab right now. And she goes, I've been thinking about it. Me and Jesse were just talking about that. You know, she's like, I made a mistake, but this is Jesse, my boyfriend. We're in love. We're, we always talk about rehab. So, and the dad's like, you need to do more than talk, uh, Jane. And she's like, well, I don't need to be judged or guilted by you. And he's like, well, okay, this is past help. I'm going to call the police. They'll take care of it. He goes, I've tried this soft sell. And he calls the police, but then she says, Daddy, please, no. She's like, we'll go to rehab tomorrow. And he goes, no, today. And she goes, well, i got to deal with work, newspaper. Stop the newspaper. I put, like, double, like, that. the newspapers used to be come to people's houses. It was uh, every day with articles written locally by local reporters. And it was a wonderful thing. Even a few years ago, you'd get the paper, you'd read it, or I would. I loved reading the newspaper. Uh, and it was affordable. Now it's kind of uh, changed. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the time to read the paper anyway. So, uh, But uh, I thought that was funny. Stop the newspaper. And she's like, you know, I got to make sure my houseplants are watched. And she's like, tomorrow. And then the dad, he's like, okay, okay. And he leaves. And then her and Jesse are like face to face, and and he's like, "Did you mean all that?" She's like, "I don't know," but she's like, "If we have enough money, we could do whatever we want." And then we have Walt Skyler and the baby in bed. Skyler's humming a very nice tune. The phone rings, and Skyler gets up because Walt's holding the baby, and she's like, "Walt, there's somebody on the phone with you. They want a letter of recommendation. An old student." And he's like, "Okay, the baby's hungry." And it was like, this must have been good, because usually Skyler's suspicious. This time she had no suspicion. And Walt picks it up, and she says, hello, Walter White, it's Jane. And this is a great scene. She goes, you know, he goes, Jane. And she goes, Jesse and Jane, the junkie girlfriend. 
And she goes, get somewhere where, he goes, oh, it's been so, you know, he's still faking it. But she said, get somewhere where we can talk. And then I notice in the hallway there is pastel type portraits of Walt Jr. and uh, Skyler as opposed to pencil ones in Columbia. And there's some great close-ups of Walt while he's on the phone. Because he's trying to make a stand and Jane's pushing it too far. Because she's like, I, Jesse wants his money. And he, he's like, Walt's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I know everything. And Walt's like, is this blackmail? And she's like, Jane's like, you need to do what's right. And Walt's like, what do you think you're doing calling my house and talking to my wife? And who, 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 who what's your business? You know, you're just going to waste this money on drugs. Walt's like, I'm Jesse's friend. I'm holding the money for him. And I'll give it to him when I see fit. He goes, you know, if, if you guys clean up, I, and she goes, you know what, okay, maybe I'll just call the DEA and see what they think about this. And the newspapers, probably on national news, she goes, you know, I'll ruin you more or less, you know, high school teacher. But Jane pushes it too far. You can see it in Walt's face, like something changes. And then we have Jesse and Jane, but Jesse, Jesse's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Jesse's like, I don't know, this is cool. And she's like, what's he going to do, give you a B minus or, you know, give you a timeout? She goes, don't worry, he's going to pay. And he goes, well, what if he doesn't? She goes, Jesse, it's your money. And Jesse's like, he's a really smart man. And she's like, wait, you don't want your money? Are you going to become a monk? And Jesse's like, I'm not the, I, he's my partner, you know, I don't sell him out. I also noticed there was a beautiful fall trees changing colors outside, too. And Jesse uh, leans on a tree. I liked how he leaned on the tree. And then we have the elephant patriarch elephant and uh, the baby monitor. And Walt's listening to uh, Skylar sing, Hush, Little Baby. Don't say a word. Mama's going to buy you a mockingbird. And, but Walt's thinking, he's got worries, he's rubbing his mouth, he's rubbing his face. And then Skyler comes in, she's like, she's finally asleep, what are you doing, learning about elephants? And he's like, mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, we're out of diapers, can you go get some diapers? And she says, okay. And then Walt grabs the money bag, he heads right to Jesse's house. And he knocks on the door, Jane answers, and she seemed to be breathing heavy. And she reaches for the bag, but Walt pulls it away. He goes, uh, it's Jesse here. And she gives him this look, a million-dollar look. Oh, man, it was good. And Jesse's standing there in the background. And he, Walt says, nice job wearing the pants. He goes, how do I know she can keep quiet? And she goes, you don't. And Walt says, you're not seeing things, Jesse. It's a mistake. And he goes, this is a whole lot of cheddar, man. And he says, this is... Oh, no. He says, you're making a mistake. And then uh, Jane slams the door in his face. And then she goes, do you know what this is, Jesse? Jane says this to Jesse. So it's a whole lot of cheddar. She goes, this is freedom. We can do whatever we want. And Jesse's like, I'd like to go to New Zealand where they made Lord of the Rings. Let's just move there. You can do your art. You know, do... Uh, castles and stuff, and I'll be a bush pilot. I forget how good Jesse's kind of innocent... Uh, I don't know, there's wonderful simplicity, or not simplicity, but I don't know, he wants to be a bush pilot or a robot, make robots out of the RV. And Jane's like, yeah, let's just get, we'll go to New Zealand, let's get clean, let's do this. 
And like, let's get rid of all the stuff, or we could not get rid of all the stuff. Let's see, what should we do? And then they hug each other. Jesse kind of closes his eyes at some point, too, when they're hugging. And then we have Wall. He stops at a bar. Skylar calls him. He's like, yeah, I'm getting to Every place is sold out of diapers. And Jane's dad's there. And he's like, good move. Uh, that was pretty good. And Walt's like, yeah, let me get a beer here. And he goes, would you believe they found water on Mars? Which is ironic because they just did find water on Mars, supposedly. And the guy's like, you know, I don't, I don't know what, you know, what, what we're going to do about that, but that's cool. And Walt's like, well, theoretically, you could pull the hydrogen from the oxygen and process fuel and turn Mars into a gas station. So it's amazing. And they say, okay, to water on Mars, water on Mars. And he was just like, well, what kind of blew his mind? There's a sign that said dishwasher happy hour. I didn't know if it was the name of the bar was dishwasher. And he's like, was, he, was it a boy or a girl? And Walt says, girl. And the guy says, well, I have a daughter. And they talk about how kids are growing up faster these days. And Walt's like, yeah, I have a 16-year-old, you know. Can't read this. It says empty something. But then they say, uh, oh, any advice maybe that says? Looks like empty slice. Uh, but he says, you know, let's just, you just got to love the kids who, who for who they are. And Walt's like, yeah, I got this nephew that won't listen to me. Drives me crazy. And then uh, the guy the guy says, you know, what are you going to do? You know, and they say, well, family, family. And then Walt goes back to Jesse's and tries to wake Jesse up. And then that's the end of the episode. Okay, so here we are. We're going to do the language learning and the red, red, red pen run through together. And this episode opens, I noticed there was a car, there was a, a old car, grass was growing out the rear window. Uh, Walt pulls in his green car, Alo, I think it just means hello. Uh, me means mine, Yanasio, and was born. E.S. Sanita, I couldn't figure out. Uh, and is well, maybe, or and is okay. Uh, Trancon, I couldn't figure out. Uh, Despiertes, no. Uh, Qualquier, any, any problems, maybe, Walt said. Also, notice this might be a movie thing. There was a brand new fire extinguisher in the trunk of Walt's car. Brand new. Uh, Heha, that means daughter, which Walt had. Uh, no te bye, bye. No te bye. I did not see you there. It's a hospital, Walt, because you were screwing around. Uh, Intruncio. I don't know. I don't know if that means in trunk. I don't know. Or in transit on my way, maybe. Uh, Cassie, almost. I'm almost there. He says that twice, though. Oh, Ernesto. Who's Ernesto? Hmm. Oh, uh, uh, Bernicke. Ernesto Silva. Silva. Uh, con mucho gusto. You know, that's how people, they say, with much pleasure, I've done it for you. It's my pleasure. Uh, Bahar, Baharte, Stand, Huberia, Wood. It would be great if I learned that word. Uh, Comer, I'll go eat something. Well, uh, don't, you know, don't be such a, uh, try, try, bring, you know, go bring me my overnight bag, please. Honestamente, honestly, that's a long word, honestamente.
And I was doubtful I could type it in correctly, write it correctly, type it correctly, and then have it looked up. I'm surprised. Uh, say, sal, sale, vamos, uh, save Walter dot com. Uh, Papito, daddy. Oh, that's cute, Papito. Hey, Papito. Uh, aducha y yendo besito. Um, one is, I'm going to shower you with kisses. It actually translates directly to going to shower one kiss. I'm going to shower, give me a kiss. Aducha uniendo bispecito. I think it was really Jane was saying she was in the shower and kisses, Dad. But I like, uh, I'm going to shower you with kisses, uh, Constantinopolovra. Uh, intento, he tried. Uh, por favor, no, please don't, please no. Uh, well, again, I really liked it when Jose, Jose fell, uh, you know, he was in socks on a hardwood floor. That's always a recipe for disaster. Don't rush when you were in socks on a hardwood floor. It's a, a simple thing. Uh, Cito, Ben, how's it been, Cito? Uh, cumpliendo, serving. What are you serving today? How's it been? What are you serving today? That's a pretty good way to say hello to a restaurant, huh? Uh, Cynthia Felt. Yeah, we're serving some uh, fried felt today. Well, really? Is that code for something? I uh, know, but would you want some seguro, some insurance, some dinner insurance in case you don't like your dinner? It's only 10%. If you don't like your dinner, though, you get all your money back. Well, that's pretty. Dihe, I said uh, I don't understand dinner insurance. Yeah, that's right, dinner, you know, comer, something in Seguro. Uh, well, how's your record? Invicto, we're unbeaten in insurance claims. We They're always rejected anyway, Invicto. Well, what's the name of this restaurant? Cayado, the, the Fallen. El Cayado, the Fallen. Oh, Cantar, t- tell me, Cantar, tell me what that means. Uh, a couple words, Pantisa, uh, Uciosa. Uh, tatouye, that means tattoos. Tatouye sets tattoos. Oh, uciosos, wise. Uh, tell me, wise one, with the tattoos. Uh, tell me, uciosos, tatouye, with the wise. Oh, no, it's, actually, I'm not wise, but I am, I have wise tattoos. Wise potato chip tattoos, believe it or not. Wise owl. Uh, otherwise, you know, I just have tattoos of why. Oh, I thought you would have tattoos of wisdom. Oh, I do. I have my sister's cat wisdom. I have a tattoo of my sister's cat wisdom. Oh, really? Wait, uh, your sister's cat wisdom or your sister's cat wisdom, like, uh, change the, you know, always feed a cat twice if you want them to be nice. No, my sister's cat named wisdom. Oh, does your sister have any cat wisdom? Yeah, just like you said, actually, that's that's your famous saying. If you want a cat to be nice, feed it twice. You know, you just transposed it. Oh, great. You know, Dolblan, you know, how many tolls do you pay when you misfeed a cat? I don't know, Sakarly, get me another uh, cat to feed. Okay, conmigo, come with me, con, conmigo. Uh, consigues, you, you, you get the uh, cat food, I'll get the cats. I'm sensing a theme, I hear a theme. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not good at much, so that's usually the theme of this. Uh, refiro, I mean, uh, yo contesto, I can a- I answer. 
Uh, Cole Garon, don't get hung up on the meeting. Don't Cole Garon, don't get hung. Uh, Tegane, I got, I, I got you. I, I outraced you to the cat food. Uh, P.S. Con los reflexos. Uh, you need some batteries for your reflexes. I think Google Meets needs some batteries for the reflections of their translation. Suerte. Well, you can't have luck in everything. You can't have suerte in everything. It's a mysterio. Uh, you can look up any words at all. You're right about that. You want a little pernil with your dinner? A ham and felt uh, uh, pernil? Uh, huele. It smells a little. The felt smells a little uh, felty. Uh, well, Gunanda, uh, meet my sister-in-law. She, 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 she loves uh, ham and felt. Uh, Gastos, what are the expenses associated with it? Well, for felt, felt removal, you know, that's expensive. So if I perdo, if I eat this felt, I lose perdo. Uh, yeah, can you say about the, you know, we're trying to run a restaurant here. Uh, so as su culpa, the, the guilt is yours then. No, no, no. You, you know, you, you order the felt, you eat the felt. It's your business. We just sell the felt. Uh, con mis gritos. I'm going to stand in front of this restaurant and cry out about the felt as injustice. Uh, yo, yo, Jodiendo, are you, you, you know, you messing with me? Uh, well, if I need to, centavo, t- take a penny, give a penny, and we, we have a hay penny, you know, what will we do? Uh, what do you guys serve for dessert after ham and felt? Uh, usually a to, to, toalita, toalita, uh, washcloths, uh, deep fried washcloths. Oh, really? Uh, entera, a whole washcloth? No, no, about a three quarter, one third of a, a to, 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 toalita. Uh, gas star, how much do people usually spend on dinner gas star? Uh, Contaria, it's hard to tell. Hey, you think Uvia, Uvia, is it going to rain today? Uh, Guziando, uh, judging by the smell of the air, I predict you'll be ordering uh, two two plates of felt, ham and felt. Uh, Espera, I'm just waiting for my, um, you know, my, my appetite to get, you know, say, oh boy, I can't wait to order some ham and felt. Uh, Regano, you know, I'm afraid I'll be scolded, though, if I don't order food soon. Uh, well, that's, uh, un besito. How about a little kiss? You kiss a little felt. Un besito. Uh, you judge if that's a good idea. Maravilla, as you once sang. I wonder, Maravilla, Maravilla, I wonder why you'd ever eaten a felt in the ham restaurant. Uh, is why I should be asking your customers. Uh, Monton, I'll, I'll, you know, escort you to the parking lot. Monton. Uh, manipulate. I feel like you're manipulating me. You're handling me. Oi, oi. Today, today, we have a special. Uh, si benga mi munica. If I come, my wrist, you could hold on to it like we're, like we're here together. Uh, Esperi, wait, uh, recalmar, should I calm down? Ama, wait, your, does your wrist Ama love me? Uh, Shantahe, are you threatening to blackmail my restaurant with bad Yelp reviews because I sell felt to ham and felt for dinner? 
Uh, Prince, uh, you're going to probably get some bad press about this, Prince. Because uh, uh, I, I can't say that uh, uh, no me siento yo panal. Uh, don't comb me is what I would say. How about a solo panal, a single honeycomb? Well, I think panal could also mean diaper. Oh, so panal, diaper, honeycomb, comb is multiple uses of that, right? Okay, listen, I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to shut down this Felton table. Is this just a metaphorical restaurant or you really serve Felton washcloths? Uh, we can maybe in a bar de esta que esta. Uh, listen to me good, because you're going to regret opening this restaurant. Uh, Hacienda, what are those people doing? Well, they're leaving. They finished their food. They They already paid for their dinner. Uh, Podemos, could we get them right away? Did they have felt or washcloths? Uh, I don't know. Consigo, she's with him. Why, why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you give her a little unbesito and see if you could, if, you know, smell any ham and felt? Uh, tufo, would there be a felt? Does felt have a scent, a, a stink of felt tufo? Uh, you know, this is weird. This whole uh, 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 textile-based restaurant is so makes me say solo necessitaba respiar un poquito. I just need a little breathing room here. Uh, solo necessitaba respirar un poquito. You know, just a little pl- place to breathe. Uh, si eso un necesario dares. If that's what you need, then uh, take it. Oh, really? I feel like ser familia, like we're being family. Uh, propias, get a family family of your own, uh, propias. Uh, could I be your sobrino, your nephew? Uh, no, no, because you're embarrassed. You're embarrassing me. But you're the one with a felt restaurant. It's just, I don't want Okay, that's the end of the language learning for tonight. I want to say goodnight to some people. Franchelicia? Franchelicia? Uh, on Twitter, Lida. Taylor B. Uh, Ren Bolas. What? Ren B. Faunification. I want to say goodnight to YouTube. And I want to say goodnight, LSF1839. A brain bot. Another brain bot, Beloit22, good night. I want to say good night to the Prince of YouTube, Sean D. To Elias, David P. VN Graveyard, good night. I hope you had a good Halloween. Jillian, good night. Over on, uh, oh, oh, also over on Twitter, I want to say good night to the No Sleep Podcast. To Brandon B. Who does the music for no sleep? Oh, Lulu. I want to say goodnight to oh, Lulu. Jen Wee, Jenny Wee. Happy Mom, goodnight. Goodnight, Joan. Goodnight, Kristen. Rachel Esquire, sleep so good. Yana, rest well. Michaela, goodnight. Uh, Des Guy, sleep, sleep good. Over on Facebook, good night, Melar. Good night, Alexandra. Good night, Pamela. Good night, Libby. Ricardo, sleep good. Carrie, good night. Laura, good night. Uh, Dana, I like how your eyes are closed. Tara, 
Good night. Trisha, good night. I like I like how you're puffing your pillow. Juliar, good night. Brother Ted, good night. Email, I want to say good night to Camille and Robin. Julian Summer. Bob and Deanna. Good night, Sophie. Good night, James. Good night, Ben. Richard, good night. And Maggie, good night. All right, iTunes reviews. I want to say good night to Shabak. Shabak from Australia. So sleepy. Good night, Shabak. That sounds like a, a cooler person would say cool Shabak. But I want to say good night to you, Shabak. Uh, thank you for the review. All the way in Australia. Board Flow from the UK. Says great pad- podcast works for me. Worth it. Thank you. Good night, board flow. Axel Rosie's back with a uh, plusing the review. Verbal ambient. Slept like a log. Been using podcasts to sleep for a long uh, time, but nothing comes close. Good night, Axel Rosie. And I'm glad those brain bots, Rosie McDonald brain bots, are working out for you. Nicomas. Nicomas. A uh, fool for a nighttime shenanigans, bedtime joy. Thank you, Nicomas. Was that in uh, Secrets and Nim? Was Nicomas in Secrets and Nim? They could never follow the plot of that. Uh, I'd always I'd say, well, it's over. it was over my head then. And now, then it, there, the time it wasn't over my head, uh, I didn't watch it, and now it's back over my head again. But thanks, Nicomas. Uh, screwy Bolt from the U.S. of A. Holy crap, he's boring. And it's wonderful. Thank you, Screwy Bolt. You know, I've had many, you say, lefty, loosey, righty, tighty. But then when I look at it, like I might get, Screwy Bolt, thank you for the review. And good night is like I, when I was looking at my uh, pilot light, went out one morning. Well, uh, you know, as you guys drift off into sleep, I'll give you this little story. I'll try to do it as lulling as I can, but my pilot light was out on my stove part. Now, I know how to light the pilot lights. No, no, on the oven. I know how to light the pilots on the stove. But the oven's a whole nother ball game, and it was about 5.45, 6 in the morning when I would normally just sit and drink coffee and wish that it wasn't early in the morning and, and say, well, oh, man, uh... That's what I did, but I said I got to get this fixed because I had to get somebody ready for school, get to work, and I said I don't want a house full of gas with my poor doggy poo. And I said, okay, so I pulled out the uh, broiler drawer, and it, it turns out my gas, that would have been a funny joke if it said, oh, it's an electric oven, but it's a gas oven. And I can smell the gas, and I'm poking around under there, and I said, oh, boy, this hasn't been cleaned uh, since I've lived here, clearly. So that could be a contributor. And I found this one hole, so I started poking in that hole. And it looked like a potential uh, pile of light hole, and there's some dust in there. So then I got one half of a set of chopsticks, and I poked it in there a few times. And then tried to light a few times, totally inside there, you know, none of this recommended. And it didn't light, and then I retried. Then I looked on YouTube. I couldn't. I just said, no, I'm still not. 
And again, this is even, and then I said, okay, well, how do I turn off the gas? Is it lefty, I know it's lefty, loosey, righty, tidy. But if you're shutting off gas, is it loosey or tidy? You know? And then I said, well, which one is it if it's not, uh, if I'm facing it, lefty, you know, and I can't determine, like, are you supposed to be standing behind it or in front of it? What's left, you know? existential type questions and then again this is definitely don't do this then i said well i still smell the gas i gotta figure it out checked another youtube video still couldn't they said mostly it says hey get under there and light the thing and i found this one contraption i said is that like the grill thing that never works the automatic igniter so i started poking my hand around there it looked like it had had some it didn't look like i would have imagined the pile it looked like uh, but I still, I said, well, let's stick a match over there and see what happens. And then lo and behold, boom. I mean, not like that, like, whoosh, lights right up. And it turns out that's my, I said, you don't look like a pilot light. And he said, well, mate, you know, nice to meet you. I'm your pilot light. And I, and I said, what do I look like? And I said, a pilot love. And I said, oh, I won't, don't worry, I won't go out on you again until you're away from home for a few days. And I said, you kidder. And I said, good night, pilot. I said, do you sleep while I'm at work? And the pilot says, I'm always on. But yeah, this is off-gassing. I wake up when you need me to pump out the real gas. So good night. Good night, pilot. Like, good night, everybody. Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And you might say, well, geez, okay, what, where am I? What's the rest? Who? Is, okay, let's slow it down. What's the rest? I'm going to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain, whatever's racing through your brain, whatever feelings you might have emotionally. Uh, or if you're like me, whatever numbness you might have, you know, numbness you might have emotionally, or whatever physical sensations are going through your body. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to take your mind off stuff. I'm gonna tell a lulling, soothing tale. Well, the tale won't be lulling or soothing. I'll use lulling, soothing tones. I'll get easily distracted, just like I did there. I don't even know. I said there's nothing to distract me. You know, just the old squirrel brain, as we've talked about before. Whatever's going on that's got you up at night and you can't get to sleep, I'm going to try to take your mind off that. I'm going to try to distract you. I'm going to use the lulling, soothing tones. You know, pointless aside. I got a pretty extensive toolkit of uh, distracting type stuff. But, but, But the main thing is you just lie back there in your bed and you can do what we call here on the podcast reflective listening. And I guess it's it's not super devious for your brain, your body, and your feelings because you, you can't shut your ears off. You know, you could plug them. You know, but the beauty of the, the eardrum is whenever you, it's, it's, it's always on situation. And it feels like that way at bedtime. Like I call them brain bots. Some people call them pain bots. Some people call them ex-boyfriend bots that I've heard from. But whatever, you know, shame bots, that might be mine. But whatever it is, it doesn't feel like they have an off switch. And as soon as you get in bed, they perk up. 
and they start jockeying for your attention. If, if they don't have an off switch, I don't have a point switch. Or, you know, say, geez, press that button where you get to the point. Yeah, it's a button that you press in and it slowly goes in, so slowly. It's made out of like some some new rubber they got. They call it slow rubber. I don't know, you know, for slowing stuff down. I think they use it, you know, in those, uh, you know, mountain passes for trucks. And for this, my get to the point button. That's it. Those are the only things it's used for. And maybe moon, you know, moon landing stuff one day. But that's it. I'm going to try to take your attention off things. You get comfortable. That's the safe place. I, I want to help you fall asleep. Now, this podcast is a little bit different. I'm, I'm, I'm a unique individual would be the most uh, neutral way to say it. And, I'm, uh, you know, I, I always try to find a metaphor, and I kind of feel like I'm stuffing this metaphor in here. But every once in a while I say, she said, I'm a human being, you know, I get irritated, I get irritable. Have you ever noticed how when you get a bedtime, you say, geez, okay, who cares about this? Or even during the day, it's like that for me a lot of times. And I've been noticing a lot of irritation in the hand washing in the, in the public restrooms. Because it feels like, okay, you know, I, I'm pro-dryer, but, but I'm not a strict dryer. You know, I say, well, geez, if you get dryer, I'm going to use it. If there's paper towels, I'll try to use them, but I'll try to be conscientious that they're made of freaking paper, you know. But, you know, the main thing is wash your hands because you want to spread germs to people with low, lower immune systems than you. You know, have our or get sick, you know, if you wanted to, if you want to look at it that way. But I've been noticing, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just this part of my brain that keeps me, is it, is it just me or all the paper towel dispensers nowadays overpacked, over, overstuffed? And I get it. I say, Jesus, I want to, you know, they, is it cup, is it corporate cutbacks? They say, hey, stuff the hell out of that paper towel dispenser because they ain't paying you to stuff it again. Is it uh, over, is there some sort of new, you know, is there going to be a paper, you know, paper dispense, dispensary? You know, is there some sort, I, I don't know, but it feels like every time I go to get a paper towel, the paper towel dispenser is so stuffed I have to pull at it. And then the paper towel rips and then I got to try to grab it with my fingertips and then I grab like three or four. And then you got to go through a debate. Do I put them on top? If they're kind of wet, do I take, then I take them with me? And I say, well, use them at lunch. And then I say, then I forget, if I forget to use them at lunch, then I put them in this drawer I have. It used to be my hot cocoa drawer. But I say, but I move my hot cocoa to just a shelf along with, you know, hot mustard, soy sauce, uh, fortune cook, you know, those fortune cookies that I may just need one day. And then hot mustard, you know how hard it is to get hot mustard and soy sauce. And of course, hot cocoa. That now has its own shelf, but, uh, the shelf that was below, because I made a tea drawer. But below the tea drawer is, you know, uh, I guess orphaned paper towel drawer. They say, well, geez, I don't need, pa- you know, I don't need napkins. I got orphaned paper towels. And I don't know if that's just something I, I, I has been bothering me or not. But but it's weird how things are. You know, you see someone's trying to stuff the hell out of a thing with good intentions. It's not like there's, a, well, there could be some evil bathroom gnome of course i didn't think of this till just now that it could be evil force i was like oh i was going to attribute this to just my you know way of thinking but it could be evil force i mean it could be it could be a force it could be evil gnome 
could be, you know, some sort of uh, a cons- Coke brother conspiracy. It could be that. Um, what else? It could be just, a, you know, a pranksters, the old uh, uh, trying to crack. I don't know if anybody heard the mystery show, the Cotter episode, but the pranksters uh, could be, but ideally, evil force in general. That would be pretty cool. But you say, geez, do you don't if you're you don't got anything better to do with your force than overstuff paper towel. And you say, what is it? I don't. And I guess it'd be evil force. You'd have to sit down with it and say, tell me all about this bit stuffing of paper towel dispensers. But none of this kind of uh, none of these roads that I'm trying to go down, they don't have any business at bedtime. And you're not a paper towel dispenser, clearly. I mean, if you are, hey, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here. So forget what I said. I'm open to dispensers and dispense other dispensing products. And I'm not anti-dispensing packing. I know if you, for the most part, until that evil interlude back there where I was just curious. They said, geez, well, I didn't think about that. It could be bad guys. But I see mostly it's probably somebody saying, hey, I just want to make sure there's enough paper towels for everybody. And it kind of nice, I like the uh, friction it creates. And I like that, you know, crazy guy that comes out you know, muttering. It cracks me up when he comes out old scoots. And I don't know why he uses a paper towel because he always wipes his hands on himself anyway. And then he eats an orange, wipes his hands on his pants. Then he eats a plum, wipes his hands on his pants. So he, he doesn't, he shouldn't even wash his hands. But he kind of feels like when you lie down in bed, all of a sudden stuff like that comes up and you, you say, hey, what about these paper? Come on. And then you say, well, she's okay. Yeah, that really does get me. And I bet you it's that, uh, you know, person at work trying to cut corners. And well, it might be that. That's how my, but it might be your body might just be saying, hey, here's your ankle. It hurts now. Or we got an itchy spot here. What about over here? Or it might be, it could be any, any of a billion different things. And, and why? Why do you, why do you got to bug me right when I'm trying to get to bed? You know, in the grand scheme of things, who gives a shit about these paper towel dispensers? Let's be honest with each other, right? It's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you use your pants. Uh, that's what I'd say. So I don't know if that distracted you at all, but, but it's like, uh, sometimes we need to be distracted. You see what you, sometimes you need somebody you can count on. To say, hey, it's a paper towel dispenser, man. You know, take it, take it easy, take a breath. It's just paper towels. It's not, you know. And then you might say, well, it's the friggin' trees. What about the, you know? And and then if it was a real good friend, or you might have some sort of positive internal, whatever you call it, that I'm searching for. If you do, let me know about it. And if I could borrow yours forever, it'd be great. But I can imagine it'd be, he'd be that part of you where they, she'd be like, uh, hey, hey, uh, yeah, well, we, if we if we take a couple of breaths here, we'll be better equipped to deal with global warming. And, you know, we'll be better, you know, it starts with being kind to other people, maybe being a good listener. And then maybe, yeah, we'll find if we're more relaxed, maybe we'll find a little more time to do something to make a small positive changes in this world. And then you might say, you still might not buy it. You know, you might say, and for a lot of us, it doesn't even feel like you have an option, right? You're just like, you just, you're just like me. You might, I say, you might be a little tiny, but you can relate to me. Hopefully you're not like me. Hopefully you say, well, I could see 
you know, I have one, you know, at least I'm not like Scooter, but I can see, you know, I do not. Anyway, I just hope you're not like me, honestly. But maybe you can relate to those things. And you see, but you can't, it's hard to shut it down too, right? So I guess my point is, you know, sometimes you don't even feel like you have a choice. That's where I was going. You say, geez, I can't even, I can't calm myself down. And you need someone externally. That's so well adjusted, they should be paid hundreds of dollars an hour. And maybe that's the option. You know, hopefully you get an insurance company that'll do it for you, or maybe you do that, or maybe you just have a good friend. But in this case, I, I can just, uh, I can't do any of that professional level stuff. What I can do is like a little bit of a song and dance. That is, uh, you know, say that's a song and you just complained about paper towels for eight minutes. And you say, okay, well, that's a uh, song and dance-like routine to take your mind off stuff so you don't think about everything that's going on with you. And I'm going to use these long, soothing tones. And we go from here. Personal problems will be set aside the best I can from here on out. And we're going to move into a story. The lovely Judy Garland is in this story. The lovely Dame, as I like to call her, Dame Julie Andrews. Judy Garland, Julie Andrews. Uh, You know, the the person we don't know enough about, uh, Joan Crawford. We got Drake. We got other people. Mumble Bear. That's what Super Dave Osborne. Thanks, Mumble Bear. So, so kick back. I'm glad you're here. And, and, and the main thing is, I say, Jesus is strange. This might, this isn't one of my better intros, I don't think. I just couldn't get, get, get past those paper towels. And couldn't paper towel the old metaphor. But I, I, I want to help you fall asleep. So, so the, the, that's what this podcast is here for. I'm glad you tried out. Thanks for stopping by. All right, I'm firing up the old Twitter time. It's trending Twitter Tuesday here. Uh, no stand. Okay. Oh, here we go. So I'm gonna take a picture of this, and then uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do check the old silver tone. I'm gonna check the old silver tone hashtag. I'll be right back. I mean, you won't know I'm gone. Believe me. All right, so when we last left off, here we are at the conclusion of the final, I, I hope, I think it's the final part of our Halloween story here. Ideally, this is playing before Halloween. I'm not positive, though. We've got so much wonderful material from this accidental trip I took in the uh, unidentified, strange uh, after world I ran into. Uh, but the long and short of the story that you you may or may not have heard is that uh, uh, Judy Garland was mad at me uh, for mixing her name up with Julie Andrews, who may have been mad at me. Somehow I met me up then to Joan Crawford in, in there somewhere. Uh, now it ends up as a lucky, lucky thing I offended them because they're in some sort of alternative world. I think after... You say parallel after I don't I don't know how to describe the world, but Judy Garland was in trouble and she called for me. The the person that took me there was uh, my old piano teacher, and then she took me. She she well, she just dropped me off, which I guess I should have at the time been like, well, why didn't you come see the lovely Judy Judy Garland? But Judy Garland told me that her world was. Uh, but under a dictatorship, I, uh, I guess I, again, uh, you know, male jerk alert, Thado, I assumed was a man, Thado, and was a dictator. 
is there is the dictator does sound very patriarchal, but uh, I don't know. It's about time we get some female dictators going. So I guess this is a start. Unfortunately, it's my old piano teacher. Spoiler. But in order to win, uh, Sato is willing to give up the the, the crown uh, by uh, costume contest. Sato's so confident. Sato's so confident in Sato's ability to uh, win costume contests every Halloween that she said, "Anybody that can beat me can, you know, have control of the universe." But if you come in third place or lower, I think if you just if you enter. Maybe second place, something, I don't know. So Judy Garland, I don't know, again, I don't know where she gets her information that I'm great at this. Well, maybe she saw something in me I couldn't see in myself because I said, hey, I'm pretty not bad at coming up with costumes. So I met uh, Joan Crawford, costumed her. I just come up with the ideas, which is good because I'm not good at uh, execution anyway. So I picked out her costume. Then I went to Julie Andrews, picked out her costume or her uh, character. And then also Mumble Bear and uh, Super Dave Osborne were escorting me as, uh, you know, helpers and Drake, you know, world-famous Drake. But uh, so we got that, then we went back to Then I found out my piano teacher was Thado. She tried to catch me and Drake, but Drake's dancing and singing remixes freed us. And then we got back to Julie Andrews, or no, oh boy, Judy Garland. Uh, picked a costume for Judy Garland and, and, and said, hey, let's get a good night's sleep. Well, Drake was already asleep, actually. Drake goes to bed pretty early for a part, you know, for someone I thought was a partier. I guess when it's not time to party, Drake gets good sleep, which is my smart, you know, this Drake. This is probably the best. Accidentally getting on this podcast is the best PR move. If Drake wants to start starting, like, you know, get, get a breakfast cereal going or being a car, well, maybe not. But, I mean, anyway, not important. Uh, so Drake was asleep, then I went to sleep, and now we, we, let's pick pick up right where we left off. How's that sound? All right, so here we are. It's Halloween morning. Hey, everybody, it's me. Uh, it's Drake. Just here in my room with me and Drake. Drake's here. Our, well, I guess it's not our room. It's in uh, Ju- Judy Garland's castle. But it won't be for long, because soon she'll be moving. Well, I didn't ask her if uh, Sato has, like, a... Actually, the less I know about this universe, the better. All I know is uh, Drake's getting dressed up as A.C. Slater, looking smooth. Uh, but, uh, you know, between you and me, Drake was like, does A.C. Slater have a catchphrase? And I said, probably. And, and Drake asked me what it was, and I said, I don't know. And I honestly don't know. And then he said, you figure, and I said, do not call me Screech. We already talked about that. You know, if I have to, I'll be Lisa Turtle or, uh, they said, that's the only character I feel comfortable being. And I said, I have chosen not to be a Saved by the Bell character for Halloween. And then Drake got all curious. Drake said, why do you think you identify with Lisa Turtle? And then he did a pause like that where I thought he was inquisitive and he said, and not Screech. And I said, I don't know, maybe I, I, I don't know, maybe I said, I don't know. I don't know, Drake. I just, uh, I don't want to be Screech. And no offense to the other characters. I'm not sure I could or would want to fill Zach's shoes. Obviously, you've got AC Slater covered like I've never seen before. 
And I was like, you know, you're like the best AC Slater I've ever encountered. I mean, well, so I don't, I don't know why they say, you know, I could never be like you, AC, AC. And I said, was this all just to help you brainstorm one of his, and he said, yeah. And I said, well, yeah, sorry, I don't know. I haven't watched Saved by the Bell in a while. And then there was a knock at the door, and uh, I said, yes. And I said, it's time to depart because it was Halloween, Halloween late afternoon, to be honest with you. All Hallows afternoon, and it was time to, uh, time to, uh, time, time to, uh, time to go. Uh, it's time, time to go, uh, and it was time, time to go, so we went down, anyway, boring stuff, went down through the castle. I mean, I guess it wasn't boring, I just didn't take the time to appreciate it, because it's like, when are you going to be in a castle again? But whatever, what, do you, what can you do, what can you do? So I guess I just said it was boring. Probably wasn't somebody that, you know, especially a castle lover would say, would you believe this castle's not made it? And I'd say, yeah, we're in, I don't know where the hell we are. Believe me, I just don't want to stop and think about it because I got Drake here. He's a human, living human. We're going to see Garland. She's a queen. But as far as I know, you know, it's mind boggling. Okay, let's just keep, let's keep it. And then I get to the bottom of the stairs. This much is clear. Oh, and standing in front of me is freaking, uh, what do you call that thing? The, the dude Wesley. I said, geez, I don't know his last name. Uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. And he's like some sort of, uh, I, I'm sure I said, geez, this guy is, uh, and then I said, is that Carrie Hughes, right? Carrie Hughes. And I would say, uh, I know Quentin Tarantino's not going to listen to this. So I would say to the next young person out there who will be, you know, there will be another person. It won't be the same as Quentin Tarantino, but uh, uh, up and coming, you know, you see, because Quentin Tarantino has been so good about uh, finding these diamonds in the rough or resurrecting these careers. I mean, uh, uh, John Travolta, uh, and now Christopher Waltz, who seems to be a star of the new Bond movie. I mean, holy mackerel. So, and then, you know, the beloved Kurt Russell. And I would say, you know, or maybe Quentin Tarantino, what about Carrie Hughes in a movie? I mean, we, we, we yeah. Uh, but uh, staying in front of me, I thought it was Carrie Hughes. And then, it, and then I heard the beautiful, like I said, the sweet... Uh, tones, the near tearful, tearful twinkle in her voice to Judy Garland. And she sang a little Hills Are Alive to be silly. And I said, oh yeah, I said, well, where's uh, Hepburn? I said, where's our little Hepburn in in Montoya? And she said, meeting us there. And I said, are we taking, uh, you know, we we message, you know, tubes, uh, muskies tubes or flying by eagles? And Garland said, you you don't have a costume. And I said, yeah, clearly, clearly I don't. I'm going, I said, I, I, uh, I have personal business to attend to. And she said, you can't go without a costume. I said, I'm not going to the party, Miss Garland. And Drake said, what do you mean you're not going to the Halloween? I said, it's time to go. We could discuss this on the way if we're flying by, if we're going by way which we can have a conversation. 
And then Judy Garland whipped out her foil again, her Wesley foil. And she says, Zane, we are ready for your music. I think that's what she said. I couldn't understand. I think she said Zane. And for a second I said, like, Billy Zane, Billy Zane. And then Drake elbowed me and I said, oh, like a Zane I should know. And I would have said she should have said Hans Zimmer because all of a sudden I hear one of the sweetest sounds in my book, which is uh, organ music. Some somewhere between Interstellar and Halloween, uh, someone, some genius wrote wrote a little uh, organ uh, song, and this was you know some sort of castle based organ system. But what I did not realize was, I mean, I could feel you know when you, when you're really getting hit with when I was at Interstellar, I was in the front row of that movie. Now it happened to hit the gold mine in front rows. Because this was a movie theater that had uh, maybe some sort of repurposed thing. So between the front row and the screen, you're talking like 20 feet. So this was the one front row you'd want to be in. And so when that organ played, oh, it was hit. And this was even more powerful. It, 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 my atoms, you know, I said, uh, you know, my dark matter was dancing. And I said, okay, I'm going to tell them I'm going as dark matter and quarks if they ask again. And then all of a sudden, Judy Garland said, get close. And I started to feel myself swept away by music. And, every, you know, you hear that all the time. And the music swept me away. Or I swept away in the music or, you know, swept a or so, so come sail away. But this music actually, it more buttered us away. It, it kind of picked us up on some sort of cushion of powerful, uh, you know, two ba- I guess two bass tones because they're coming through tubes. Now, clearly there's some more sort of mystical powerful element here. But we were carried on the music. Now, what was nice about it is that the music, we were on the music, so we weren't in the music so it was like the three of us were sitting there, and I got to tell you, uh, probably not realistic to have a music-based bed, since this technology—I don't even know what the hell it was other than an organ and the sweetness of Judy Garland, and uh, you know, some, but but uh, it was so comfortable. You know, you say, you think about being on a cloud. You know, everybody thought about that. You know, and, and I've you know I've worked that metaphor to to to, to extreme levels. Or you think about, geez, what's the perfect bed made out of, you know, you know, kitten feathers or <laughs> I was just kidding there uh, or whatever, you know, baby's tears. I don't know. Baby tear water bed. Is that is that too strange? See, it is Halloween. OK, so I got to go down, you know, got to do. But this traveling by organ, traveling on organ music. Now, let's be, be clear. It was just damn comfortable, and I think it was the density of the, you know, again, I don't know any music, but it was like, uh, it was just great. And I said, this is really going to piss off my piano teacher, too. I said, and uh, Judy Garland slapped me high five. And I said, why didn't you tell me, Theta, you know, I, you know, and she said, you're doing good. And she said, you're not going to be dark matter for, uh, uh, your, your costume. I said, no, I'm backup. Don't worry. I'm backup. I said, I don't trust Thado. I don't trust, uh, I did trust my piano teacher. And then Drake said, well, why didn't you practice? 
screech. And I said, I said, don't, don't push me, Drake, because I will find a skirt, and uh, you know, I'll put, you know, I will make myself into the worst Lisa Turtle you've ever seen. And suddenly, you know, it'll be saved by the bell, bell saved by the building, and uh, me, you, 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 and Lisa Turtle. It'll be AC Slater and Lisa Turtle's wedding, Drake. And we'll be headed, and then Judy Garland started egging, egging it on. But Drake was just going just along with it. You know, he's little, little, and he was saying, no way I would get raw with that. And I said, you better believe it. You'd be running uh, AC's wedding, you know, raw. And they kind of did that, like they just both looked at me. And Garland said, well, what's the plan? I said, well, where, where the hell is Hepburn? And I said, I just wanted, to, I've been wanting to say that. Where in the hell is Hepburn? I wish I was a big, uh, a director back then, because I'd say, where in the hell is Hepburn? Get her on this damn set. And Judy made it. I said, don't worry. I'll, I'm planning on multiple apologies to her. And she said, she's, and I said, is she going to meet us out front? Because we're going to do multiple reveals. And I said, is this like a, I said, this is like a dictate, you know, you said it's a rocking party. And as we got close, the party sounds started to put a little vibration into the, the choral, whatever you call them. Did I say they were organ-based tones we were riding on? And Judy Garland said, do you, do you have a plan? I said, no. I said, I thought you, I said, I had planned to pick out good costumes for you. And I have a plan to introduce you, you know. And then I ripped off my clothes and I had a cheap tuxedo on underneath it that I had had designed for me all night long. By You know, I'd stayed up all night with the royal costumer. And I said, you guys don't have to worry. I said, the only thing you need to worry about is that I'm, you don't need to worry. I'm more, I said, my middle name's Worry. So I, I have what we should be worried about on my mind. But I'm also confident. I mean, you, if you should, I said, "What is that material, by the way, Miss Garland?" That looks so comfortable. I mean, it looks it looks like. I mean, obviously, it was just a magical universe, but it looks like they had taken all the best things about spandex, and all the best things about Coolmax, all the best things about cotton, and then maybe, and then da- I, I said, "How the hell do you get a dash of crushed velvet on anything?" I, I said, "When you're making clothes." And she just laughed, and I said, uh, "But so if you, if if I haven't been clear, Judy Garland's dressed as Wesley, the Dread by Roberts from Princess Bride. Drake is dressed as A.C. Slater from Saved by the Bell. And as our tones take us in, I see where we're headed. And I, 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 I see it's like far away. So I say, I say, what is that? I say, it looks like, and my stomach does a little uh, vibration." Like a little, like almost, what do you call that when it's uh, reactionary? And I said, oh I said, what was that? And I, because I, I was just about to say how confident I was because we had Judy Andrew, Julie Andrews and Mumble Bear ready to go. And I'd, I'd seen, um, you know, crystal ball images of them and uh, Joan Crawford. 
who, no matter what history says in this story, seems like uh, no no problems so far. And I, you know, I'm the person that has problems with people. So, and her her costume, as long with her date, Super Dave Osborne. And then it starts to get clear, and I start to think I'm in some sort of deja vu, because I say my stomach again does twice it shakes, and I say, "Oh no." And 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 then I start to hear uh, the the choral, you know, the the what do you call that? The them playing the organs, and I notice I'm sinking through the organs, and Drake and Judy Garland are kind of panicking. But my ears have already hit the organ, so I can, all I can hear is what would be wonderful organ music if it wasn't in the center of it, and it's a terrible organ music. But they can't compare to the vibration in my stomach is what I see in front of me is a street where my piano teacher lived. And what I see in front of me is a giant version of her house. And, 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 and I don't know, something on my lizard level has, has erupted in a way that I can't, uh, can't, can't possibly process. And as I start to sink deeper into this, uh, both uh, emotional turbulence and the musical turbulence, you know, I reach up for Drake and uh, Judy Garland, but and then I is a I must have hit a a, a higher note uh, that was. Tra- I said, "Oh, that's a good question for a scientist." Uh, do notes travel at different speeds or not? Uh, do higher notes travel at uh, different speeds or not? I don't. I don't know. Honestly, I have no clue. Uh, so I started speeding up, and I shot past Drake and Judy Garland, and I started shooting towards the uh, uh, the front yard of my. And I said, "Okay, don't fall into." It. I said, "Okay, try to stay in, in the present. Feel your hands and your feet. Feel your hands and your feet." And I felt like I was picking up, picking up speed, and then I, I said, okay, it's going to try to shoot me through the door. And it was, uh, I was shrinking down to the size I was as a piano, you know, or maybe even bigger, but I felt even smaller. Or maybe I was overreacting, but I tried to go into a dive mode, and I said, if I can get into the front grass, maybe I, and then I dove into the front grass, and I went like halfway through, maybe no, not even halfway through. My hands in my up to my armpits went to, into the ground, and I my head poked through the ground. And of course, it was a chamber of partying uh, uh, mole people. The parties are for all, you know. This is like a party for the whole universe, I think. And they 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 said uh, they said La Posada. And I said, no, no, Lisa, Lisa Turtle, Lisa Turtle. I, and I must have, uh, I guess at some point I started to, maybe I took, a, I mean, I did have a Lisa Turtle costume uh, with my, and I said, oh, no, 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 that's just uh, fr- front yard grass. And I said, oh, La Poseidon, like I look like an upside down Poseidon. And I said, you guys got to get me. And I said, oh, boy. He said, Trabajando, work, dig, I don't know. And I was just making a thing with my head, and then they just pushed me back out. 
And I said, well, that was strange. And they looked around, and I don't know how much time, you know, time gets weird in these worlds. But I didn't see anybody around. I didn't hear any. I just heard a thumping, a thumping of music. And I said, okay, well, I better not go in the front door because something, something's afoot. And I said, I need to figure out what's afoot. So I went around the back. And then it was the backyard of my piano teacher's house. And her son had lived with her, and he was always working on cars. And so there was a lot of cars back there. And I said, well, this is very... And then it, then my stomach quaked again because I said, I looked at myself and I was a boy again. I said, oh, no. And I, I, I said, I, and then I saw, I could see into her house from her backyard. She had like a sliding glass door and she would have the recitals right in her living room. You know, right at the same piano we would have our classes at. You know, just a little intimate gathering in the living room. And the kids would wait in her den, and I saw all the parents there. And I, I usually would try not to get, I would usually try to tell my parents, you know, that there was no recital was canceled. I just have class, except when my sister was taking piano lessons. And luckily, since my parents had six kids, only one of them could come usually anyway, because I would always be playing chopsticks in one other song. That was just in, like, lesson one, you know, chapter one, lesson four, like, uh, raindrop on the roof, I think it was called. It was just like, ding, 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 ding. If you would clap lightly, and, and I mean, when I played chopsticks, you know, that's a, that's a kill, basically, she said, it kills, you know. I mean, one day I thought maybe I'll work my way up to that. Ba -da 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 -da. And I think once in a while one kid, a kid would play that, and I would salute them internally and say, what damn good job. We got ourselves a future show person, you know. But then I came to because I said, okay, I've tr I said, I hope I'm still in the same universe, but this is clearly a piano recital day. And I said, I guess I'm little Andy. And I said, I, I said, okay, internal thing, run. That, that was, I'll be honest, fight or flight instinct kicked in. It was flight. And so I had to counter. I said, please, for the love of Judy Garland, for the love of Ju Julie Andrews, for, for the love of, of Joan Crawford, for Canada and Drake, for Super Dave Osborne, for Mumble Bear, uh, take one step closer to the house. And then I did it again. Take two steps closer to the house. So take three and four and five. And then I heard the kids, they were all talking. And like I said, my piano teacher had, had awesome taste in cookies, recital day cookies. Like she had those ones that were like little cakes. They were a cookie size. It was really like a little layer cake and chocolate. And then she had the punch, which at the time in my youth was the going punch at all children's parties. If you didn't have orange drink, you had this punch, which was, uh, and I believe the ingredients, well, I guess all these ingredients have been shown to cause, you know, they're toxic now. But it was a Hawaiian punch mixed with, I believe, Sprite. I don't know if it was Sprite or ginger ale. And there may have been a third ingredient, which could have been vanilla ice cream, but it might have just been those two things. And this was a legendary, you know, this was the party punch of you know, the 19, late 80s, I guess this was. Yeah, maybe, maybe, 
Like, so I said, just get yourself some punch, act. Okay, never had to worry about acting cool. And uh, the kid that would one day call me McFly was there. I think he probably had a derogatory nickname for me at the time. But he said, well, it's nerves. It's piano nerves. And then there was a girl that refused to kiss me in the spin the bottle game because she was afraid. Not out of meanness. That's what she said was that I should be afraid that I would fall in love with her for kissing me during spin the bottle, which was probably correct. Uh, so, no, I think she did kiss me on the forehead, and she said, remember, this means nothing. And I said, not to me, it doesn't. Oh, boy. I said, not to me, it doesn't. It means everything. But they were all there. But all the kids, they were saying stuff to each other. They said, one kid said, uh, Zuzu now record. And I said, what? And then I tasted the punch. I tasted neither like Sprite nor Hawaiian punch, nor generic versions of those, nor something like it, like ginger ale and Hawaiian punch. And then a kid said to me, Aragoon? And I said, is Thado in the house? And then the kids all nodded, and I said, okay. I said, listen, they said, I might look like a kid, but I'm an adult now. And he said, he said, I don't know what's going on here, but y'all look pretty, pretty scared. It's okay. Everyone just eats your cookies. The cookies taste good. And some of the kids said, man, it was a, they said, my kid said, Mark tastes 13. I said, March 13th. And then someone said, the kid said, Vic, Vic. And he was handing me a cookie. I said, oh, it's eat. Okay. I said, no, no, no. I, I don't want to fill up. I have a battle to do with a, with a, a villainous piano teacher. And then I heard the pluck, pluck, pluck of a, of a, what you, a Baroque-era instrument called, a, whatever the hell it was called from last time. You know, the things, the harpsichord, you know, common knowledge, but it comes to me a little slower, like that button I talked about. And then I went into this uh, tiny living room, and then I noticed sitting on the couch where it was, well, it was emotionally parents, I saw sitting on one couch Julie Andrews and Mumble Bear. And then sitting on another couch was uh, Drake and Ka- Catherine Hepburn, which I went to introduce myself to, but there was some sort of force field. And then I saw out of the corner of my eye uh, uh, Ju- Ju- Judy, Judy Garland, Drake, Drake, Super. Oh, M- Mumble Bear was there with Julie Andrews somewhere. And did I say uh, Joan Crawford and Super Dave Osborne? They were all there, but everyone was was kind of speechless. But they were also, it was like, I said, is this a duality of humanity going on here? And I said, probably not. But it was also still like a grammar school piano class, whatever, rehearsal. And I said, okay, just just do your best. And I said, is it hot in here? Uh, and then, uh, then I heard Thado, aka my piano teacher, and she said, "She said, have a seat, Andy. It's time for your performance." And I said, "Okay, okay." And I cracked my knuckles, which I knew she said that was banned. Like you would, you wouldn't be able to be in the rehearsal to crack your knuckles. Actually, I should, I should elaborate. I tried to crack my knuckles the cool way, which you know was the old. Uh, Interwinding fingers, you know, bend them back. And uh, I couldn't do that. So I couldn't do it the cool way, unfortunately. So uh, that was blown. But, but I sat down. I said, okay. 
And I said, do you happen to have my uh, sheet music, Miss D? And she she said, you won't be needing any sheet music. And I said, yeah, that's right. I, I don't need any sheet music because I don't play the harpsichord. And I stood back up, and with the back of my heel, I knocked the uh, piano, well, I guess it was a harpsichord seat down, whatever, bench, uh, spilling out all these things. And I said, I'm not here for some uh, paralyzing, emotional rehashing of my youth, ending in an apology. I already gave you an apology. I'm sorry that I was a terrible piano student. And the room was silent. I think partially because I think the people were locked in the reality, and it's like if if a kid did this at the beginning, and I said, and I said, all the other kids, come on out, come on out, and I said, everybody, they said something strange is going on here, but let's be in the moment of this piano recital. I said, how many of you, how many of you really like playing piano? And two kids raised their hands. I said, great. And I said, and there's no shame. Everybody that wants to play the piano or enjoys it, raise your hand. And I, I said, uh, how many of you don't want to be here? And then some other kids raised their hands. And I said, I said, okay, parents, do you understand? And I said, parents, if you're here somehow, I know this is some sort of astral projection situation. But if you could see what we've done to this poor piano teacher, and yes, I am the focal point of the wrongdoing because I've done the most wrong. But somehow we've created ourselves a dictator of an entire universe, a universe populated by the living and the post-living. And and, 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 and I, I need to right these wrongs. So this re- recital is no longer, it's over. Everybody go home, and if my theory's correct, you know, uh, this is all an illusion. And as I said that, it all faded away. And uh, Drake actually said, wasn't the name of Steve Spurrier? Because uh, as the spell was broken and we were in a giant uh, ballroom with thousands and thousands of revelers who somehow were reveling the whole time and watching this unfold, but they weren't, you know, disturbing the, the illusion. And the piano teacher said, uh, how did you know? And they said, you didn't, the, you, the party, you have the party punch. You didn't, you didn't have a fake party punch. This is a punch from the real party. I said, you, they said, some, you, he said, I guess since, uh, Hawaiian Punch has been outlawed. You can't even get it in this universe. And she said, drats. And I said, plus a harpsichord. You can't create... Harpsichords are illusion-proof because they're a plucking instrument and not a hammer-based whatever the hell it is. So, you know, those are the reasons why I knew... I said, said, actually, that was a bad move. And I said, why don't you... Thado, Carol... I said, why don't you, and she said, no, 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 we're done with your feel-good things. Uh, I think she wanted to call me Screech, but I think she was going to call me Grinch. I mean, she could have maybe called me Turtle. And then she said, uh, Vic, uh, Chargers, get him. And then all of a sudden, it was like, uh, all of a sudden, these guys came out, like guards. And I said, are we having a, a costume contest here? And she said, there'll be no costume contest. This was all... Uh, and I said, this was all a misguided attempt, but one problem, Thado, 
You agreed to, to, to do a costume contest. You held a traditional Halloween party, and I guess you thought that your, your illusion and your return to childhood would destroy me. And then she weeped for a minute and said some really bizarre stuff that I'll keep away from you. I think she thought we'd get married. I, I honestly think that, and that I would apologize so profusely. And that we would rule this uh, universe with iron, uh, you know, little plucking, not an iron fist, because uh, like whatever instrument, you know, plucks the harpsichord. Uh, I'm presuming that's iron. It would be like a couple, of, a couple of iron pluckers ruling over this universe. So she, I guess, she was upset that her plan was terrible, but, but you know. And she, she, she said, get them. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, who's here for a costume contest? And then I'd be honest, I, I, since I had a tuxedo, it does give me mild authority. I jumped on a table. I said, microphone, please. And if you could see Drake's f- 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 face light up for me and Super Dave and Mumble Bear. And I said, you know, doing the color commentary tonight is going to be Mumble Bear for a minute. And I went through the room and I'll be honest, it was, you know, your standard party level of uh, like costumes, wide variety, and, you know, stuff like, you know, I see each, you know, only one Trump, two, two you know, four Trumps, you know, I say, you, you, Rand Paul, you're going to have to leave. And he said, I'm Ron Paul. And I said, hit the road, you know, and then he said, no, I'm Ron Paul. I, I, I need you to free me, too. And I said, he said, I don't have time for this, buddy. I said, it's, it's going to be stroke of midnight, and then we're going to be busting on a technicality here. But me and Mumblebear, we did some material, like commenting on people, you know, Scooby-Doo. And then I'd say, Mumblebear, what, we, this was the funniest part, so I'll just give you the I said, Mumblebear, you know, it kind of pretended like we were hosting. He said, what was your favorite uh, costume outfit tonight? And Mumblebear was saying, that's me, that's me, and I would say, did you say the King of Minos? And I would say, did you say Rudy? I'm sorry, what? And it, it became painful, which was, you know, my method. I said, well, who who wants to listen to me in Mumble Bear and who wants to get down to the costume contest? And I said, defending the evil universe, we have a piano teacher whose spirit was broken by an evil young boy who has apologized and he cannot do, you know, for wrongs he could never possibly write. He is sorry. So sorry. But just being irritated by a horrible young boy does not give you the right to... uh, uh, to take a dictatorial stance in another universe... And uh, costumed, that creature is costumed as a dictator and a, uh, a harpsichord player. Uh, but it really is my, and then, and then uh, Theta, a.k.a. Carol, wanted to explain her how we, and they said, no, 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 no. If you got, I said, there'll be no explaining. I said, contestant number one. Harpsichord, he will call you. And then I said, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the U.S. Uh, relations with Cuba have been thawing. I know you're up here in your strange little world. And a lot of you wonder where it all started. Where 
Did the trouble all start? Well, I don't really know my history of anything, but I would think it started with a couple of missiles and a couple of guys named uh, Ingalls and uh, uh, and Marks or Marks somebody and a man uh, named. And then Spotlight swings down, and Joan Crawford's there. And I said, Fidel Castro. And she strolls out, smoking a stogie, turns around, shoots out her hair. A mambo, we'd, we'd set up with the band at a time. Mambo plays, and across the room dances the most strangest... Uh, a combination of she said it's not a drag, uh, Marilyn Monroe. But you say, Jesus, is that is that my older aunt dressed as Marilyn? And it was Super Dave Osborne as Marilyn Monroe, but with such a joy. Well, there wasn't. He, he didn't seem like he really liked it. He, he seemed, but but he he did his best as because he's an actor and a performer. And he danced across the floor and started dancing. And I said, contestant number one. Fidel Castro, anybody know who that is? And thank goodness somebody said uh, Joan Collins. And I said, well, that person's going to be doing the costumes next year, buffoon. And I said, who, who here's heard of the Olympics? And then Mumble Bear was gone, you know. And I said, what's the most boring uh, thing in the Olympics? And people said, also, you know, I said, well, I said, what's more boring than that? I said, what if you took something... That's unwatchable, unless someone you know and love is running in it. And you put it on a TV, and you said, well, geez, we're just going to catch a couple highlights. And then I said, well, I said, what, what, no one could guess. I said, what is, what, what, Chariots of Fire, boom. And then they started playing Chariots of Fire. And I said, once upon a time, there was a woman who loved to run. A woman who hated shoes. That woman's name, Zola Bud. And she rounded the turns. And this was, I think, in America. I think in Zolabud was from another UK. And hot on her heels was one Mary Beth or Mary Decker. And then, you know, a life-size bear in a running tracksuit is so cute, you know. And then they were racing around the room, and then they collided. And I said, you know, and I said, you know, one. A shoeless person who would live forever in infamy, Zola Bud. And they said, everyone can just say that with me, Zola Bud, Zola Bud. And then we start chanting, Zola Bud. And I said, that is a name for Channing. And then, you know, her, her and, you know, Julie Andrews, they said, is a very active seeming person. So she was, run. you know, they were, it was so fun. And then someone said, who the hell is that? I said, it's Zola Bud. And they said, well, that's not a costume. I said, You're, uh, it's a costume. It's so good. And then Julie Andrews jumped up on a table and sang, the hills are alive. And she held that note until some glasses broke, I think. And then she jumped off the table, and the room was stunned, obviously. And then I guess uh, DeAndre didn't show up. I, something about the universes or something. But then uh, confused uh, Spanish swordsmen wandered into the room. 
And meanwhile, this was like, at first it was, uh, it was like street theater or something, asking people, have you seen a man with six fingers or whatever the hell it is? It was a man who requested this sword. And it looked like, uh, like I said, those sweet locks, were those Mandy Patinkin's real locks or were they, was that a wig? And for a second I said, is that Mandy fucking Patinkin? And I said, where the hell's uh, Hepburn? But then I caught and I said, I think that is Hepburn. And I still didn't know, but it, especially as I was I. And then I said, man, this Hepburn is a freak. No wonder she's so beloved. She starts doing, uh, she's introducing herself as in, in the Indigo Montoya. And then she jumps up on a table. And I said, there's a lot of table jumping in this party. And she points her sword at Dado and does the whole Indigo Montoya. You know, he's good, my father prepared to die. And all of a sudden, across the room, uh, you hear Indigo stop, and then you see uh, Spotlight searching for the go. Thado's mine, and it's it's Wesley. Well, first it was Dread Pirate Roberts, and then everyone goes, oh. and then she pulls the mask from her face, and it's Wesley. I mean, Gar- Garland Wesley. And she's right there with Zato. And then, I'll be honest, it was a spoiler because this is just a podcast. I climbed under the table. I did have a buttercup outfit on, of course. I was just kidding about the Lisa Turtle thing and not having it. And I had a wig and everything. And I climbed back out. And next thing, as soon as I climbed back out, Zato's standing there, grabs me, and starts running. And I said, is this street, is this acting or am I in trouble? And then the, uh, Wesley's like, stop. And then uh, it, it became like, a, what do you call that when this, this people say zoinks? You know, a uh, madcap caper like scene. Because you had uh, my piano teacher who obviously being a dictator and maybe the harpsichord's good for your muscles is carrying me dressed as buttercup, being chased by... Judy Garland as Wesley, was top speed. Catherine Hepburn as Indigo Montoya, with their swords drawn, or their foils, I guess they're called. Uh, right behind them is uh, Zola Bud, a.k.a. Julie Andrews, and uh, Mumble Bear is Mary Decker, and then uh, Fidel Castro, and uh, Super Dave Osborne as Marilyn Monroe. And I said, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. And then my piano teacher was making a run for the, the the sliding doors where the illusion had started and where I walked into her house. And I said, okay, it's some sort of, and who steps in front of the sliding doors? But A.C. Slater and uh, A.K.A. Drake crosses arms. And I think A.C. Slater was big and doing the old crossed arms um, uh, bicep pump up, you know, where he put his knuckles behind his I mean, I'm sure he had good buys. I'm positive of it, but you know, he, you know, when there's a picture, you know, do do a little push-up eyes, you know, say, geez. So he was doing that, which made him even more intimidating. And then Zato uh, skidded out, uh, and I think Drake did say some sort of line from A.C. Slater, but I, it was like schools in session or something like that, or not again, Morris. I don't know what it was, but it was. I mean, he did Mario Lopez, Canada. I can tell you again, you could be proud of the strike, you know. But uh, my piano teacher, she slid, and then she started heading in another direction. 
And I, I said, uh, I said to myself, what in the heck? And I started to wriggle. I said, I got to get this. I said, stop. And, and, and then, I, and then I, I was trying to wriggle out. And they said, oh, Zola, but, and they said, Zola, bud, Zola, bud. And everybody started chanting. And then, uh, they blocked the door. And I said, I think we have a winner for the contest. And everyone erupted in joy. And then everyone was chanting Zola, bud. And then I went up to the stage because I guess I became the MC at some point. And, uh, I said, I'd like to present this award. Uh, to, you know, I just used more barefoot. I, I said, uh, good thing I had a book of barefoot running jokes, uh, most, you know, in Solabud jokes, but, it, you know, you don't need to hear them because I, I don't even remember them and they weren't good. But I said, ladies and gentlemen, you're a winner. You're new. I said, are you going to be a dictator? I said, is this a dictator? You know, are you going to wear shoes? What are, what's going to be the, is that your first thing It's dictator? And Julie, Julie, Julie Andrews stepped up and she took the mic from me and she said, no, because, you know, I, obviously I, I got to return to earth for a little while longer. And I said, oh boy, I said, can you sell short stock? I said, don't want anybody to get that out. That's uh, insider trading. I said, how long do you have, though? And she just laughed. And I said, I'm sorry, I just, I've named Julie Andrews. And she said, I'd like to turn things over to the real hero, the one who started. And I said, no, 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 I can't run. And she said, the one we love the one who stole our hearts and kept stealing them. And then their eyes, her eyes got flushed. And I said, these two really care about each other, Julie Andrews and Judy Garland, and even Joan Crawford. She tried to get in in the hug, but I said, okay, well, I said, uh, I said, she seems more of an introvert Crawford. And Hepburn did not break out of character. She was like freaking Andy Kaufman or something working the room still. And looking for, and I, and I think, um, I'll be honest, I think I saw Christopher Guest there. I was worried for his safety. But luckily he was dressed, I think, as, uh, I think he's Christopher, what was his name? Kevin Klein. Christopher dress, Guest was dressed as Kevin Klein. I know, strange, but she said, I turn, you know, the power of this universe over to Judy, Judy Garland. And then Judy Garland said, you know, she said some nice things about me, but I don't want to say it. But she did give me, she said, do you want to say anything? And I said, I do. I said, anyone out there, you know, this has been a lot of pomp and circumstance tonight in the past five or six weeks in this uh, little quest we've been on. I said, but, but, you know, I said, I, I said, cause Theta was still there. I said, you know, it's important to apologize, but maybe sometimes it's important to apologize for a third or fourth time. And to any kids out there, don't be afraid, you know, start, start learning to say no early kids and say it a lot. And then mumble yourself and say, I don't know. I said, oh yeah, yeah. He said, you know, I don't know. If you don't like piano, don't take piano lessons, okay? And uh, don't be afraid to say you don't like piano uh, because you don't want to take any piano time away from the kids that do. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being a terrible piano student. And it, and in some sense, and I know this is is not 100% true, but at times a terrible child. And I said, would you forgive me? And then it, somehow that broke the spell. And I'm not trying to put myself out as like the Frog Prince or anything like that. It, 
And I said that to her, actually. I said, I'm pulling, like, I said, we will not be getting married, uh, Sado, uh, piano teacher. And she said, I know, you got to return to your world. I got to return to mine. And I gave her a really big hug. And he said, I'm really sorry. Uh, if I could do it again, I said, then I wouldn't have material for this podcast. So I would have be torn of what to do. But I said, if I could do it again, I'd eat a hell of a lot more of those cake cookies. I'll tell you that much. because. And I said, you know what? I appreciate all your effort. Maybe that's what I should have said at the time. Your hard work, I bet you weren't making a lot of money. And I know you had a day job, so thank you so much. And I'm sorry I couldn't appreciate it at the time. And it sure wasn't easy for my parents to have a kid. They were paying to go to piano. That wasn't doing anything. And, you know, they could have spent the money on something else, too. And for my brothers that could have taken piano. But, you know, obviously that was it once, once you know, I ruined the piano teacher. You know, word gets around, so. And then Drake said, hey, it's time for us to go. And Drake, Mumble Bear, Super Dave Osborne, Julie Andrews. I think there was like a, actually a bus. I saw a line for the bus. I saw Christopher. I said, oh, this is where you return to the, I said, I said, is Michael Keaton here? But Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Uh, There's still no sign of Beetlejuice. And, uh. You know, I, I honestly forget what happened after that. I just remember having my arms around some of the most uh, wonderful people from an earthly world and another world. And I remember Drake and Mumble Bear singing, and then they started singing, you know, The Hills Are Alive, and Drake was doing some freestyle. And I think we did, actually, I think we stayed up all night. We did do... uh I mean, you should have been there. We did, uh, we reenacted the Wizard of Oz, but I was, it was like I did it in character. I was Screech as the, uh, Scarecrow. I think, yeah, we reenacted it with the Saved by the Bell cast. And it was pretty good. And I don't know if Saved by the Bell ever did that episode. Uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen was Dorothy. Who, uh, believe it or not, uh, Crawford and Hepburn, you know, argued over that, but I won't tell you who played Tiffany Amber Thiessen or, you know, the other characters. Maybe one day, you know, say, I mean, I know your first question was Belding, the, the Wizard of Oz. And I'll say, I can't answer that question. Who is a wicked witch? That's what you should be wondering. And of course, well, I can't tell you. Maybe another day you'll hear that story. A little Saved by the Bell. Uh, it wasn't fan fiction because we were doing it live. But I'm glad you're here. And this is me, you know, with a little Lisa Turtle inside of me saying good night. I want to say thank you and good night. I want to say good night. I want to say good night to Tabitha and her husband and her son and their banjo zipper. I want to say good night to Jovany. Jovany. Yovani, Yovani, I want to say, uh, P, thank you for the very uh, touching email. Good night, Camille. Happy Mom, good night. Martina, good night to 99% of you and 1% of you. Oh, Lulu, good night. Ren B, good night. And to the stats you do, good night. For, you know, until tomorrow when it's work time. Fail Zapper, good night. 
and Hoi Sean, Sean, Shauna, uh, Hoi Shauna, uh, good night, Fail Zapper's friend. Uh, good night, Dana, on Facebook. Good night, Diane. Good night, Lida, Nick G, Melor, Ashley, Ahab's wife, and Jennifer B. Good night. Good night, Carrie. Good night, Laura. Good night, Alexandra and Brian. Good night, Roberto and Julia R. Good night, Libby. Good night, Angie B. And your comments. Thank you on the website. And over on YouTube. Good night, VN. And over on iTunes. If sleeping me podcast.com slash iTunes. I want to thank everyone for the reviews. Wild Lily. Who like the flower, like the wild horses of flowers in, in swamps. Thank you and good night. Did I even tell a story? Did I even say thank you, good night? Best sleep aid, says Artsy Nerd. And Artsy Nerd was dubious. I love the, the, the that word dubious is so nice, like skeptical. Is a little hard sounding, but dubious is a little more. So I might start using that instead of st- skeptical. Yeah, dubious, and then it's easier to go into a little uh, scatting doob dooby doo instead of skeptical. You got to go, you know, then you get into your peptic type words, which could cause indigestion. Instead of saying dooby dooby dubious, I'm feeling dubious. Of Scooter, because he's something that rhymes with dubious. Now let's move on. I want to say thank you to uh, GLH09, who says amazing. Good night to GLH and all the brain bots, but especially brain bot number 09. All the way from Canada, Lamb Chop 55. Now, uh, it says it's like being in a dream before you sleep. I'll tell you what's a dream. He's having a brain, brain bot that belongs to Lamb Chop, who I think was a, a puppet, one of the first puppet comedians, had a little thing called Lamb Chop. And I never became a puppet comedian or a puppeteer or, you know, but I said I, I always liked puppets as a kid. And I remember Lamb Chop. I can't remember much about it because it was a little bit before my time. But thank you, Lamb Chop. Uh, Kai Baby says, if you can't sleep, here's your answer. Good night, Kai Baby. Thank you. What a delight. What a delight. Uh, from Kai. Thanks. And it rhymes with hi. And I won't lie. Your review made me sigh. One day, just if I reread enough, it might make me cry. But don't ask why. Just say goodnight and thank you, Kai. Uh, Melissa, Melissa Ann says it's magic. Oh, thank you, Melissa Ann. And Melissa Ann says no reason to ask why for Melissa or Kai, as long as it goes on forever. Purist 2, so that's a, that's a top brain bot number 2 in the purist camp. All the way from Australia, meandering into sleep. Uh, they find it intriguing and it gently works. It's it's not everyone's cup of tea, I'll agree with you too, purist. It's unusual, but our amiable storyteller deliberately drones on, rambling and meaningless, quietly funny wordplay, like having a radio on, but without disturb. Well, yeah, I do my best, thank you. 
And it's an amusing change. Thank you, purist. Hammering amps as, as advertised, and they've just moved to Denver, Colorado, and it's hard to sleep at altitude. Well, thanks, hammering hamp. And I like that. I like the way that sounds, hammering hamp. It's like a hamper that's a baseball player, you know. They say, Jesus, is it, who's playing third base? Is that a hamper? And then most people would say, what's a hamper? And you say, well, now it's just something you buy. At, now it's called a Schmerleg when you buy it at Ikea, but they used to be called hampers. Uh, but, but yeah, that is a hamper. That's hammer and a hamp, the uh, hamp, a baseball ham. Is it a hamster? No, it's a, what was the word again? A hamper. It's like hamster, but the hamster's playing outfield, you know. And is that the hammer and hamster? No, no, hammer and ham plays third. The hamster in the outfield is Gary. Uh, uh, Zubikov is, but he happens to be a hamster, but he's Zubikov. And, you know, we tried to call him Zuba, you know, Zuba the hamster, then just Zuba. But he, he, you know, he didn't like it. He, He chewed up all the bats one night, and the team had to forfeit that game. And they said, why'd you do it, Zuba? And then he chewed up, you know, chewed up the old lockers because they had, you know, beautiful wooden lockers. But yeah, he, they, that's hammering hamp on third, the, the, the hamper that plays baseball back, you know, don't worry about Zubikov. Just call him, you know, Mr. Zubikov is what Gary likes to be called, or Gary if you're friends with him like I am. But we just wanted to thank Hammer and Hamp. Uh, Joe Zal from Erie uh, says it's an insomniac's dream. Mildly entertaining. Boom, you nailed that. And a trigger to fall asleep. Kind of like a suggestion. But, but you know, more like, what does Scooter suggest when he suggests it's time to go? Well, he doesn't really suggest stuff. He kind of mentions it as well as not mention It's the power of slobjeskin, slob I'd say. It's like a, it's a slurgeskin. Slurgeskins. He doesn't suggest anything. He kind of slurs, more slobber, or a slur, however you like your s littler words. But thanks, Joe Zale. Uh, Celi Jane says it's the podcast that puts you to sleep, the best podcast that puts you to sleep. And it always works for Celi Jane. C. Jane Lie. C. Jane. And then remember, there was those books with Dick and Jane at some point. Awesome Don Stoner says it really puts me to sleep. Now, the bad news for Don Stoner is Don Stoner just missed being in 420th of something. I think the 420th written review in the U.S. And I can't believe the odds. And I, I cannot, I'm not, I'm not joking or making this up to be funny. But I think Don Stoner was like review 422. So just to be in the 420s, he might, Don Stoner may have been 418, but let's say Don Stoner was 400. Officially, you're 420 in my book, Don Stoner. And Don's probably some 80 year old friendly man. What, what do you mean, Don? For, what's 420 stand for? I remember about Adam Route 420. Had a little chicken feed. And I ran down that road. It was raining that day. And, you know, I, I was trying to get home uh, to, to watch the uh, uh, Country Time Lemonade Theater they had back in those days. 
And what were we talking? I was trying to figure out what you meant with 420. Were you talking about Ralph? Yeah, that's what I was talking about, Don. Mr. Stoner. A girl in the red pants uh, says it's a true insomnia aid. Girl and the lady in the red pants is writing a review to me. It's nearly clear that I appreciate thee. And uh, lady, girl in the red pants, uh, girl, and girl in red pants. Wait, what? Girl and, uh, I, I may have mispronounced that. No, girl in red pants. And it says magical stuff. I think your review is magical to me. Uh, so very clear. Uh, X or Doc X, uh, wrote a really nice long review. So I'll just say thank you and read this so gently to shent you off, rest you right off to sleep. This is from X or Doc X, uh, lullaby for adults. Remember being a child in bed the night of the big holiday, falling asleep to the comforting muffled sounds of pleasant Hushed conversation between relatives, uh, barely discernible through the wall. The host's voice is soothing, appropriately monotone. Dead air and gaps in speech would be noticeable unless they're absent. Instead, there's a constant, steady stream of consciousness. What is said isn't complete nonsense, but there aren't any story arcs. Simple thoughts often go incomplete as new... As new ones suddenly come up, sometimes tangential, sometimes completely unrelated. Kind of like a hamp, you know, kind of like hammer and hamp. Uh, but always some somehow sounding as natural and appropriate like flowing water. It's a warm tone and a soothing cadence of Bob Ross without the requisite attention to what is being said or done. Another reason the podcast works for me is I'm using my iPad in bed before sleeping has become routine for me, which any sleep doctor will tell you is terrible sleep hygiene. It makes it harder to sleep without the routine, but in following this iPad routine, I become increasingly stimulated as I play games or read through the headlines on the internet. Worse, I listen to podcasts that make me think or laugh, getting me farther and farther from sleep. Sleep with me allows me to keep that part of my sleep routine of using my iPad without stimulating my mind. I find that when I'm trying to sleep, my thoughts drift from normal everyday ones to taking on a dreamlike element that, nor that wouldn't run through my mind if I was awake and just thinking. In the course of a few minutes, the host to sleep with me brings up phrases and descriptions that evoke images in my head that seem to give a head stat to my dreamlike thoughts. Like a teacher giving a topic and showing a picture to students to help stimulate their writing skills. There are constant digressions without return to the initial story or topic, which has the effect of not needing to pay attention and not stimulating the mind as it listens carefully for closure. There is no closure as far as I can tell, although I've never stayed awake until the end of an episode. Make sure to set the timer so it shuts off after the episode is done. And that's from Zero is Xer Docs X. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for the reviews and the support and the kind words and just mostly for listening. 
I'm glad you're here. The air is just all here. Good night. Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep. Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out your lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's been running through your brain, whatever's been affecting your body, whatever's got you up at night tossing and turning. I'm going to try to distract you from that. What I'm going to do is send my voice across the deep, dark night. What I'm going to do is send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to tell you a story to take your mind off of things. Tonight it's going to be a story about how we make story. Uh, kind of here on the podcast but it's gonna have lulling soothing tones it's gonna have wings of pointlessness it's gonna have meanders pregnant pauses uh silly uh, strangeness that's my that's my specialty alliteration it'll have some goofing around but i probably related to that stuff but it'll be a good-natured good-hearted attempt uh, to 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 take your mind in, no, not to take, uh, not to take your mind in, to take your mind in, like a, uh, like a, what you need to do is just give me some of your attention, but not all of it. I'm gonna try to get the attention, all the other things you know that are affecting you, whether whether it's your body, your mind, or your feelings. I'm gonna try to distract them, and for some reason, you know, I'm not a Las Vegas. Uh, level entertainer i'm not a laughlin level entertainer uh, i'm not uh, haven't been invited to uh whatever that place is my parents just branson and as a matter of fact i've been asked never to come to branson and then that's fine because my entertaining my loneliness if i had a nightclub it would be for all the voices in your head. And w- w- what qualifies me? Does this work? I know a lot of you might be new here. You might be saying, okay, what is this nonsense? Uh, well, you're very uh, intuitive there, noticing that this is mostly nonsense. Correct. Uh, what does this guy do? Let me tell Let me, let me, let me offer you a, a pointless example, because that's one of my specialties. And of why maybe this podcast would work. Let me just say a person that has a podcast, uh, gets in bed and he's true. He, and this could be apply, applicable to you, but hopefully no, nothing at this level. And you see, he says to himself, I'm going to, you know, me get in bed. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm a little bit tired. He goes through this person, this imaginary person, goes through a whole range of uh, bedtime hygiene things, you know, kind of trying to, you know, put the puzzle pieces together, set up the ideal case to fall asleep. And he says, okay, and then innocently he says, well, he he thought he said it, but then a voice says, hey, wouldn't it be nice to have a teleporter, transporter? And then I say, okay, well, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. That would be nice. Wouldn't it be great? Think of, don't you want to talk about this right now? And then, you know, another voice in his, his head might say, you're not supposed to shame the little kid in us. You're supposed to encourage him. And I said, well, I'm not sure that's the little kid or that's not the pesky neighbor kid that comes and talks to me when I'm trying to go to sleep. I don't think it's the little kid inside us. Well, it's all inside you. Remember Gestalt or whoever? Well, I think we found out that wasn't B.F. Skinner, but I still want to say that. But anyway, well, who who are you, by the way? Well, I mean, you know me, uh, 
I managed a card catalog in your brain. Wait, I still have a card catalog in my brain? Well, we have multiple uh, fail-safes. Well, we call them fail-safes. They just actually make extra things extra complicated up here. But anyway, you better get back to... Okay, oh boy, I was going to go to sleep, though. Well, yeah, go ahead and get, 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 get deal with that again and then go to sleep. Okay, so you were going to... Can we talk about this uh, uh, teleportation stuff tomorrow? Oh, no, well, yeah, yeah, we could... T- I just want to tell you how much cool it would be. And how great it would be. Remember you when when you remember that time you were telling me how much you wished for a teleporter and it was so so silly. Oh yeah, like the, and then he gets drawn in our podcaster. Well, yeah, that was when I was working at that convention in Las Vegas, and there was a Seven Eleven with ice cold drinks there. But then we'd have to walk all the way to the convention floor and then all the way back to leave. And I didn't like that. I said, geez, it'd be nice to have a teleporter. And I said, what if every 7-Eleven, like, what if I could have just gone in that 7-Eleven and then gone to the one by my place? Like, if every 7-Eleven was a teleporter station. Well, that's brilliant. Have you ever thought about the philosophical implications of teleportation? Well, listen, I have a no philosophy rule at bedtime. And then all of a sudden, he, he, he realizes that he's losing... Oh boy, I'm losing control of this conversation here. Because then my inter- what did someone say philosophy? I, I, this is your internal philosopher here. And I was just, it's funny boys talk about that because I was thinking that a teleportation would probably be the end of the human race as we know it. Unless we kept it uh, artificially, the price would always have to be kept artificially high. And I say, okay, guys, listen, guys, I was going to, can you guys go somewhere else and talk about, oh no, we're in your brain. We can't go anywhere else. We're going to have this kind of, okay, because I'm just trying to go to sleep here, teleport the old brain across the threshold to sleep, as Scoot says. Oh, we just need to, don't, aren't you, aren't you nurturing your own curiosity, young man? Well, yeah, but I'm trying to go to sleep, so, but wait, what were you saying about, that did, that did actually tickle my curiosity a bit about the, uh, what were you saying about the implications? Because I was thinking about that same thing. I mean, what were the socioeconomic uh, and cultural, uh, artificially high, you say? Well, at first it would be expensive. You know, someone would have the patent. They'd be able to charge top dollar. But eventually the price would come down. Now, if the price came down for teleportation, it would be disastrous. Think of uh, the, consum- the areas consumed already, the rainforest. Think what would happen to them. And there was some other stuff, but I think we should talk more about uh, what would you do. Let's do a little uh, fantasizing, and then we'll, me and, hey, what's your name? I'm the internal neighbor kid. I was when that brought it up. What's your, who are you? I'm the philosopher. Pleased to meet you. Hey, guys, listen, I, I did not want this to turn into a cocktail party. I'm trying to go to bed here. Wait, did you say I could, fan- I could use the uh, teleportation device for fantasy, the one we're fantasizing about? Well, no, I was more curious of what you would use it for, because then I was, you know, I got the internal shamer here. He was going to shame, you know, he's hiding behind me. Well, actually, we're one person. I was just going to turn around, a two-faced uh, philosopher shamer, because anything you said about using it, we would shame you. Oh, well, thanks. Um, oh, boy. Uh, well, anyway, I guess I'm still trying to go to sleep here. I don't know. We're on like the six or seven minute. Okay, so I'm just going to call a timeout here as a podcaster. So if that, anything remotely like that starts with you at bedtime, 
Now, it could just be about, you know, it could be about any issues. It could be a body issue. It could be a financial issue, a work issue, something actual, physical, something that happened last week, something that happened 20 years ago. It could be about Star Wars tickets. I don't know. But whatever it is, like, as soon as, you know, you're like, okay, I'm ready to go to sleep now. You know, I've bombed my toes, B-L-A-M-M, you know, not B-O-M-B, and I'm, but you could bath bomb them, I think, with a B-O-M-B. You know, I got some aromatics going, I, I you know, breathe, and, and then all of a sudden you did all those things, and that's good. That, that is, uh, you know, like a cat scratch, you know, puffing up a bed. But then still you get down there and then all that noise starts. Now, hopefully it's not like my noise. Uh, but, but, you know, and you say, geez, what am I going to do now? I'm, I'm knee deep in a, a philosophical shaming na- discussion with a neighbor kid about something that is actually, uh, you know, entertaining to me and interesting to me and that I hadn't thought about. And I wouldn't mind fantasizing about well, what am I going to send through that, you know, food, you know, crushes. They say, hey, how you doing? I just teleported over here to say you look good today. And then I teleport back and then say, Would you? okay, she didn't teleport back. Okay. Still, oh, wait, I, t- I didn't tell her about the teleport. Okay, I'm going to teleport again. And then you maybe you find, you, you know, and, 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 so then you're like, how am I going to fall asleep now? And then maybe you even get off this, and then that uh, party says, well, how are you going to fall asleep now, bright guy? Should we look at the clock? Should we now look at the clock? Oh, boy, now I wish I had to teleport, because if I could teleport to work tomorrow, I could sleep in an extra 20 minutes that I'm losing due to this teleportation debate. But Scoot, now Scoot's here. That's me. I'm going to, what I try to do is short, what I do is I'm chewing a pack of gum, and I take the old wrapper, MacGyver style, I shove it in the old teleportation, uh, do a little short circuit. And then I do a little teleportation of your attention. I say, hey, hey, neighbor kid. Hey, uh, hey, Shamer. You look great today, by the way, Mr. Shamer. Miss Shamer. Hey, philosopher. Hey, all, all of you guys. Hey, I heard you talking about teleportation. I couldn't help but notice. And I'd love to teleport your attention over here, especially if you're going to be judge- judgmental or interested, or curious. I love that curiosity, neighbor kid. Is that a slingshot in your back pocket? You got some spitballs? Great. Go ahead. I'm going to tell, I, I got to discuss some stuff here. And I just came because I had heard how smart all you guys were. I want to do a little presentation for you all. So you mind if I do that for a little while? And the, the human you were talking to, you know, they're way, they, you know, they need you you know, they want me, you know, I'm going to work with you guys, special, special work, you know. And I'm going to give you guys all jobs. Neighbor kid, hit me with spitballs. That's going to work on my agility. Uh, philosopher, every once in a while ask me why or where to for. Could you ask me where to for at inappropriate times? Uh, thank you. Shamer, just give me that look, everyone. Every time I look at you, look at me like that. Oh, or like that. That mean, something just curled up inside me and died when you really gave me that look. And the rest, I see the rest of you back there. Go ahead and, sh- you know, I'll be, I have a special job. And I need you guys' help to get, you know, to, to get me through this story. So I'm going to be counting on all of you. And meanwhile, you just sneak back there. You kind of listen to me. And, and you can see you're on the edge of the circle. The rest of your little bit, brain parts, your brain bots, your body parts, all those things. 
especially the old chatterbox brain, the one that is the great narrator and the old gray matter. Or in my case, they say, well, the mediocre narrator and the gray, grayish matter. Gray, I, oh, no, they said gray, you have grayish matter. And that was another sign. There's the latest report out of Norway about my brain, if you guys have been following it. And then they actually said, we, they said, we were wondering about the, you know, the gray mish matter. And they said, why do you call it that? They said, well, a lot of times we're talking about plasticity of the brain as a metaphor. But they said, how'd you get so much blood? Pla- and he said, well, I used to chew on McDonald's toys a lot. And they said, well, it's up here in your brain now. And I said, well, that's good because I got a, I need, I need that stuff for the uh, podcast. I, I said, do you know, are those the outlawed toys I used to chew on? Because I could use them, you know, soothe me when I'm doing the pod. And they said, no, they're outlawed. And I said, well, that's too bad. But I think I have enough stored in the old mishmatter. I had to get as a gray mish or whatever they call it. So if you, if you stuck with me, that's kind of how the podcast works. Or why the podcast works, or or what ha- that's what happens during the podcast intro. To be honest with you, it's made to take your mind off of stuff, kind of distract you, and then you fall asleep whenever you want. I'm glad you're here. That's the main message I always try to get across. I want to escort you from wake to sleep. I'm glad you're here, and I hope I can do that. I hope I can help you fall asleep. Thanks for stopping by. All right, hey, everybody. I'm not positive when I'm going to release this episode. You'll know because you'll be listening to it. So it's more interesting for me right now. Uh, It's April. No, it's April. It's uh, October 30th. It's uh, Friday night, about 9 something in the p.m. And recording this, I'm still, I'll see how it goes. I'm struggling between releasing it this Thursday, which would be like November 5th or 4th or 3rd or 7th, or releasing it uh, Thursday a week before Thanksgiving, which will kick off our holiday season. Yeah, it would be, or we, but I think I'm going to release it this Thursday. And just a heads up, this is, I'm going to be as lulling and soothing as I can. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what technique I'm going to try, but this is going to be uh, how the sausage is made episode. And I don't know, uh, I don't think it'll be that interesting. You can always re-listen to it, but don't, don't, you know, don't feel the need to stay up. I'll make some really, you know, boring stuff, maybe, or just talk really slow. Or if I start to, I, I said, okay, Scooter, if you get excited, we'll change the format and we'll have you interviewed by the uh, Ion Science Lady uh, once we get into talking about this. And this isn't good news or bad news. This is uh, uh, this is something new to try out that I've never done before. So I'm going to explain the why, and that'll explain the what a little bit. And I guess I'll do a short why, because then as soon as I do that, and what, and then there'll be a long what and why, and then we'll get into this stuff. But um, for the for, for the whole, whole time we've had the podcast, almost the whole time, there's always been at least once a week an ongoing serial story. And we've done a bunch of different ones. And the last three we've done have been Lady Witchbeard, I believe, After the Glass Slipper, and uh, Superdoll. I don't know if there are any other ones in there. I feel bad, but I, I don't think so. I'm not positive. And uh, as I've uh, as the podcast has gone, I've put more and more time in those stories. 
But I've also hit some problems with uh, the the time in between stories. So the nice thing about uh, having a deadline is once the series starts, it doesn't. I, I say it. Uh, I have to get the episode done and release. I don't really have a choice because I want the episode out on time and I want it there for all of you to sleep too. And I take pride in being, you know, having the episodes out on time and consistently. And it helps me to put more time into making the, writing the story every day, uh, in order, because I know it's going to be out. I say it helps me avoid procrastination having a deadline. It's a miracle thing for me, really. Uh, but then the time in between the stories, I say, well, the stories go a little bit better the more, I, this is what I tell myself. So we just finished Lady Witchbeard. And my temptation, I had already planned on doing this actually, but maybe like a month or two ago, as I knew Lady Witchbeard was coming to a close, I said, okay, well, uh, maybe I'll take a, we'll just, I said, I don't know, but I'd like to have a month off to just start breaking the next story. But I've done that before, and it, not having the deadline seems to stretch it out. And ideally what I do is, uh, like, plot out the whole story or at least a general thing. Okay, here's the beginning. Here's the episode, you know, one, two, three, four. And maybe as the story goes on, and that's what I've tried to do. But then I notice as it goes from, like, two weeks to four weeks to six weeks to eight weeks, and not having the public deadline where the episode has to be out, it, uh, I think I procrastinate or else I'm not, I think I work a little bit better under the pressure of a deadline, to be honest with you. It puts pressure on me to perform and come up with stuff, and it makes me more creative in a strange way, I think. And I know some of you might be a little boy, it's a boring podcast, Scooter. We don't know. I say, yeah, I know, but part of the magic of this podcast is the intention. In the process, not the uh, not the uh, end result. You know, this is a isn't a result. You know, this isn't a you know podcast. Uh, I don't know, but, but you, you know what I mean. If you've been listening a while, if you're new, you'll get you know the result is hopefully you fall asleep or you feel you feel less alone. You feel like somebody's there in the deep dark night with you. So uh, so that that's uh, so the reason why I'm doing this. I said, well. Okay, what if I publicly break the story, or instead of have you having any time off uh, to go out and say, well, "Okay, what's this story going to be about?" Uh, what if I have to do show to a show about the show development? And I said, "Well, that's it." I said, "Who said that? That's not half a bad idea." Because they said, "One, well, okay, creates a deadline for me." Some people might say, hey, how does this guy, what's, what's the process? And I'd say, okay, the process is like when someone takes a nice bar, ball of yarn and then uh, you hand it to me and 10 minutes later it's all knotted up. So I'm not sure you, you'll like actually learn anything, but you see, you might be, you might be interested. I don't know. And three, can I make this, you know, it's always a question, can I make this lulling, soothing, and dull? And will this be boring? And, you know, will it help the show? I mean, will it make this upcoming series better? And then can I use that in the next series? Because the next series coming up is a short holiday series. But let's take a step a bit further back, you know, and this will be long and drawn out. 
because this is something I feel like I've talked about before, but maybe not everybody knows about it. Maybe some people, maybe I think I've talked about it when I haven't. But I want to talk a little bit about the making of the podcast as a whole and, and all of that. And I guess I always go with the assumption everybody knows this, but maybe not everybody does that, that I have a full-time non-podcasting job that I work 40 hours a week for. And that job is more or less a Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 job. Uh, though lately I've changed some of the things in my job, so it's a little bit more intense. It used to be that when I left work, it, I didn't really think about it ever until I went back to work. And full disclosure, don't I can't really talk about my job. And I don't want to get too much into my job, but it's a, it's a job where I, I help people and I get paid a reasonable amount of money, but not a fortune. And I have nice benefits. And it's kind of a, I'm kind of in a tough position because I don't make enough money to... Uh, say, oh, I'm going to save some money and then do, you know, have a, have like a, a, a podcast one to say, okay, I can stop my job and just do the podcast. But I also have a job that, 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 that allows me to get by here in the Bay Area and it has insurance and it involved all the things that it made, made me, it keeps me there. And those are kind of tough things to come by nowadays. And a reason to give up making a lot of money or whatever. But, but you know, I'm at this crossroads where I'm like, geez, what's going to happen with my job? Am I going to do this podcast? So that's my job. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Really, with the commuting in the Bay Area, it, even though I don't drive, it's still more like 7.30 to 6, 6.30 uh, with your commute. But I know everyone, you know, a lot of people have to deal with that. So, in so and then I make the podcast in my spare time. And the podcast takes me about 40 or 50 hours a week to do. And uh, and and it's 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 not as difficult as it sounds. It's definitely uh can be overwhelming at times and but it's the first time I've actually followed through on anything in my spare time uh, like a project like this for 2 years now. Uh, with anything resembling like dedication and follow through, and I haven't been bitter about it. I've been concerned. I say, Jesus is sustainable. You know, every once in a while I get bitter or, or burned out. But but overall, it's not like I'm like this. If if I only what like, I don't know. A lot of other times in my life with projects, I would feel a little bit irritated that I was putting in so much effort to it. And I say, well, what about my spare time to relax or whatever, or, or I'd be, I don't know, I find it, and especially because of the wonderful interactions we have, because it helps so many of you rest, and I hear all your stories, uh, because it's fun telling you bedtime stories, those all make it a little bit easier, you know, to do the podcast on Friday night, for example, right now, but... Also, what's interesting, or what's interesting about this, isn't all those details. It's what uh, the process of discovery that those details have uh, forced me to discover. It just double use discovery, so it hasn't solved my uh, limited vocabulary. But and what do I mean by that? This is getting into the the meat of the. It's going into the sausage, or maybe this is the skin. Or maybe this is a faux sausage, so this is the, to you know, the the rice uh, paper, we'll say. What I mean is, so we have three different episodes a week. 
And why do we have, uh, one, why do we have three episodes a week? Well, right away when I started the podcast, I was trying to always think as a, as a listener podcast, I always say, well, geez, what would have been a listener? And I say, well, if I was listening to this podcast, it was putting me to sleep. I would want it five days a week. And I looked at how hard it was to make it once. And I said, well, that, that's impossible. So I said, can I make it two times a week? And then I did it two times. And I said, okay, let's see if we can get three times a week. And once we get to three times a week, I said, okay, this is all that is possible. Probably even without, even if you were only doing podcasting only. I don't know. It's a lot of work uh, uh, mentally and physically, too. But I said, okay, if we can get three one-hour episodes, that was my, my ideal shoot situation I was shooting for. So I said, okay, we're going to do it three times a week. Now, believe it or not, when I started this podcast, I didn't have a plan other than to see how it went. I said, let's see if we make this podcast to put people to sleep. I said, I guess we could do it as a potpourri of different stuff. But I, I originally, like a year before I started, or maybe eight months, I was like, oh, I could do some stuff about Game of Thrones, maybe The Walking Dead. I had the story idea for After the Glass Slipper, but I thought that would only be like one episode. And then when I started writing it, I was like, oh, maybe it could be three episodes. And then I was like, maybe something like a Flash Gordon type serial story. I didn't really have any plans because I said, okay, let's just start doing this thing and see how it goes and see if we can follow through on it. So my goals were not super ambitious. It was like, okay, can we make one episode? And believe it or not, I think 50% of the people that make their first podcast episode don't make episode two. So I said, okay, can we make it two, episode two? And then I think another 50% of people stop making podcasts between episode two and episode eight. So I said, okay, can we get to eight? And then after that, I think the next number is like 20-something. So I said, okay, well, let's see. So those were my goals along the way. And I said, well, geez, hopefully some people listen, and uh, let's, but let's just see how this goes. Let's see, can we make a podcast to put people to sleep? Can we keep making it? And can we, you know, improve it as we go? And if you listen to podcasts, it's like, okay, I wasn't too worried about uh, uh, running out of ideas right away because I, I tend to be a bit of a, you know, all over the place with my interests. So I said, okay, I think I can come up with ideas. So when we when I started it, the, I had I had the after the glass slipper, but I still didn't have the story where I wanted it. And then I did a couple of, I did a, the first episode was about uh, a behind the scenes of uh, uh, looking into the meaning of an uh, a Hall and Oates song. Uh, you make my dreams come true. Is that about codependency? Or not, and uh, you know, it was just it was just a fun thing. And then I made some episodes of it based on the Walking Dead season. Uh, but the thing was with the Hall and Oates song show episode, I was like, well, I kind of I didn't have the confidence. Uh, I was like, oh, maybe I need the music. So I said, oh, well, I won't do any Hall and Oates songs anymore right now. But maybe I could go back to that. And then The Walking Dead, it had some elements of what would make this podcast keep going. But I just wasn't feeling it. And I said, well, that material might be a little bit too much for most people. Uh, but we, we we did discover, uh, you know, I said I, I discovered how to do some boring stuff in there and follow. I say, okay, what about fence codes, you know, building codes and stuff like that? 
And then after that, I think I started uh, after the glass slipper. I did uh, some serial stuff based on like Walking Dead at the North Pole. Like, I guess that would be my first foray into fan fiction type area. And after I started doing that, I think this is how it went now. And now I might not be correct in my memory. But once I started doing the After Glass Slipper, I was hooked. I said, okay, I really like this, uh, uh, coming up with these new stories every week, and this is really fun. So I said, okay, maybe, and then I had the idea for Get Bessels. Uh, and I said, well, maybe, okay, should we do that? So I think I started doing both those at the same time. And, and I was, and I said, and I guess part of me was like, hey, why don't you just do one series? And I said, well, no, no, no. Like, what if some people like After the Glass Slipper and they don't like Get Bessels, or if they like Get Bessels and they don't like After the Glass Slipper? I wanted a, a variety of stuff for different people just in case. I said, maybe not everybody will like everything. And uh, so that'll be, maybe we'll come back to that idea. But, uh, and then I started a third series called The Florida Project, which was kind of like a show Weeds with a guy that wanted to uh, run a brothel at a retirement community in Florida. And so I was doing all three of those, and then I realized, uh, one, I didn't think that was an appropriate like just thinking about some of the things that you read about and that I know about from my work. I said, well, this isn't a, a boring podcast. It's not the place to handle uh, these sexual issues with nuance and, and I, you know, or parody or, and not that, you know, everything has to be uh, rated G or whatever, or, you know, I, I like pushing the envelope. But I said, just not in this, not in this uh, uh, thing. It's like you can't, I don't know, I just didn't think it worked. So I said, okay, that's the end of that. And then also at the same time, I realized I don't think I can keep up with making three different fictional series episodes every week. You know, there's people getting paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, just to come up with one TV episode every week. And, they, you know, that's exhausting. What the heck am I thinking? I'm one person. And I said, okay, you're right. So then it was like, uh, we, I said, let's just do After the Glass Slipper. Then we started doing Game of Thrones at some point. And I said, okay, this has got a little bit of a rhythm to it. Like writing some stuff for After the Glass Slipper. And then watching uh, Game of Thrones a couple times and taking notes and then doing research. I said, okay, this is using two different parts of my brain and two different levels of uh, effort and energy. I said, okay, this is a little more sustainable here. And then at some point we came up with Trending Twitter Tuesday. And I said, okay, well, there's uh, something. You just make up a story on the spot now. Uh, of all the ones, emotionally hardest is the trending Twitter Tuesdays. And they can just be really draining to try to make up a story on the spot and not freak out that it's not going well or it's not good. And to not procrastinate and then leave it till like 9 or 10 o'clock at night and then try to do it. And then be, you know, then not be able to fall asleep. Uh, so those ones are really tough, but they're also really rewarding and... Uh, you get to go into, and I think I've learned so much from those about not being a perfectionist, about saying calm, seeing how that lets a story just develop in front of you and watch it, 
And then trying to gently control it instead of trying to be control everything. So it's not something I would ever stop because, it, it, but it's kind of like jumping without a, you know, it's like jumping without a, you know, it's just a little bit scary it can be. And then I also figured out as we were doing these three different things, they said, okay, now we're starting to help say some people don't like, uh, the serial stories because they're maybe they're hard to follow or maybe they don't like the characters or or something. And they say, okay, well, then there's two other options. Or people might not like Game of Thrones or they might love Game of Thrones so much. So then they say, look, Trending Twitter Tuesday. Or they say, or maybe some people only like one. And I say, well, okay, it's an hour. And now even as we're talking tonight, it's like, okay, now we have this back catalog that you can check out. So so it's like, again, putting myself in people's shoes or trying to and saying, okay, well, uh, what's going to, what's going to maintain the balance, be sustainable, not please everybody. But say, okay, if you can't, you know, I, I guess I, don't, I think I'm making sense. So uh, that's, that's, uh, so I guess that's kind of the, the genesis of how we got to where we are with the three different things. And it's like, what is sustainable? Like, okay, so what are all the listeners going to be able to find something that, that, to sleep to? Uh, what am I going to be able to do every week? And my output is, okay, I can write a, a serial story every week. Uh, most of the time I could try to sit down and find the time uh, to to come up with a, a story on the spot based on what's trending on Twitter or what's on my mind or whatever. And then we can I can watch a show and take notes. And, you know, it's a little bit more work with the metastasis because I watch it three times, metastasis twice and Breaking Bad. But again, I look at it like learning to make the podcast better. I'm like, okay. Uh, watching one of the greatest TV shows ever made uh, three times in a week and paying attention to what's happening and watching this wonderful acting and these stories unfold, it can't be a bad thing for the podcast. And it's also enjoyable, and I say maybe I'm learning some Spanish. And it just uses a different part of my brain than the other two parts of the podcast. And also I enjoy different things about each uh, each. Uh, uh, style episode that we do in a different way. And I mean, that's another very important part of it for me is, is having a variety of work to do. It's like, okay, I don't want to get sick of this. Like, uh, like I've said in the past, I could easily uh, do shows where I just make up a boring story every night. And, you know, that, that, uh, isn't challenging and I can guarantee it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work for, for all of you. Or it would work for a tiny, tiny section of people. And at some point it would stop working for me. And, and it's weird that it has to be tough and challenging and not easy. Uh, but it's like, okay, what's going to keep me doing, if this is a podcast that puts you to sleep, what's going to keep me showing up and doing my best, you know? So these are the things that kind of factor in the current state of the podcast and the current state of uh, where you know 
where, you know, the, how we're going to keep going. This is their current state of things. And I always love hearing feedback, and I've been getting a lot of feedback through the survey and just in general, and it's helping me more. Again. I say, okay, wow, this is really working. And maybe there's some other things we can do to tweak things. But I say, okay, this is, maybe this is what's sustainable. I mean, now, right now, right now, we're definitely in a phase where it's like, okay, what are we going to do next to make it sustainable? And that's bringing in somebody to work and edit the shows and hire somebody to do about six hours of editing a week, which would cut like six hours out of my time, which normally I'm editing on my lunch and breaks at work and then at night. So it'll be a nice, uh, no matter what happens, to be like, okay, that'll be sustainable because, you know, I'll be a little more rested. And But then it's like, okay, I think at some point this podcast may become, you know, I said, well, maybe I'll be able to do this as a job. And, you know, say, okay, now all this time I've invested in podcasts uh, will enable me to do this. But we'll see. You know, I don't, we're not at, we're not at that point. We're, we're in the point of like, oh, let's get somebody in here to help. And then let's go on to, you know, let's let's see how that goes. And it, that we're close to that. And we'll probably do a combination of, as we've talked about, Patreon and sponsors. But that's not what this episode is about. It's just a little check in there about that. But then we get to where we are now. So coming up here, this is how the specific sausage game. And so this is where we get into the specific sausage of how, like, uh, what's the process I go through on the weeks between or the month or two between series to try to figure it out. And that's what I've been doing the past week. Okay, let me but, but let me back him and set this up. So all the serial stories, I write the episode the week before. So normally I'm recording, the episode comes out on a Thursday. And ideally the night it's coming out, either, now it's Thursday and Friday or Thursday or Friday. I'll record the next week's episode. And, like, I'm trying to find, now that we don't have the sleep show and Game of Thrones is off, because those Game of Thrones episodes take, like, three days to record. Uh, So now that that, it's like I can record, like, the opening and the housekeeping on Thursday night and then the episode on Friday nights, Uh, hence where we are now, October 30th. Um, But so tomorrow, so it's Friday night now, so tomorrow morning, the first thing I do on Saturday and Sunday morning is write, and I write for 30 minutes uh, every day of the week uh, on the episode uh, for the prior Thursday or Friday or the next Thursday or Friday. And I found that that's about how much time I have uh, open every week. Maybe for, maybe during the weekdays I get in 45 minutes. But realistically, if I can focus for 30 minutes or 20 of those 30 minutes, but spent 30 minutes, you know, saying I'm writing and only writing for 20. Uh, if I do that for seven days, I don't feel totally humiliated. I feel like, okay, I feel comfortable performing that. So I say, okay, I have enough here to do the show and feel confident that it's going to be good. And proud, I say, well, geez, you really followed through this week. And you'll, you'll learn a lot. Maybe you'll learn a lot. But you, and also, I really stepped in out of my comfort zone and tried to break the story for the week. And either broke 
uh, and, and it came together, or it didn't come together, but I, I tried for seven days with a little consistent effort every day, and the story just didn't break the way I wanted it to, but I made the most of what, what did break. And when I say breaking story, I don't know, what that, that just means something, it means like trying to figure out the story, and and that's what we're going to here in the total, you know, as we get into the kitchen here and the grinder and stuff. But so today's Friday, and today was the last writing day for what I'm going to talk about tonight. So starting last Saturday, like last Friday night, I recorded the last episode of Lady Witchbeard. And then Friday morning, I woke up and I said, okay, let's get right to work on this next thing. Now, the problem is I wasn't writing an episode. I'm trying to figure out an entire, uh, what looks like it'll be five episodes. And here's where we get into spoiler territory. So if anybody's awake, there's really no way for me to temper the spoilers, except for the how the series is going to end. Uh, even though I have a general idea of that, I'll try not to spoil that. But So if you're sensitive to spoilers, you probably want to go to another episode. Or if you're awake, you know, and you're sensitive to spoilers. But so where does, like, the series, where do all the series start, right? Like, Scooter, what, what, like, what makes you want to do a story? And that, that's an interesting question, and I have three great examples. This series, Lady Witchbeard and Get Passos. Or, you know, we could you could ask me about After the Glass Slipper. That's a good story, too. But so guess, Get Passos, that was, like, two years ago. And I remember it was before the Christmas season, and people were talking, like in downtown Oakland, there's a Sears, and now it's no longer a Sears, it's closed, but it just closed in the last year. And I remember waiting for a bus there, and, and a couple of other buildings in downtown Oakland are these old, and they're restored now, or one of them is, just these beautiful old uh emporiums or department stores and i remember two christmases ago at some point looking at a blog somewhere and they had pictures from inside of jc penny and it was just depressing pictures of like an abandoned photo studio the store was still open and just and i just started to imagine i said what are these founders doing and i was thinking of the sears and the jc penny I was like, they're, you know, when they're looking at the way, the, the the downfall of what they built up and American shopping habits and all that. And it just got me, and then it started making me think about Amazon. And then I thought about these proud men that built these companies. And then I said, well, what if they were out to get Jeff Bezos? And once I thought of that, I could not let hold of that idea. And then I thought, okay, what if it's, it was, and I said, who were who some of these guys? And I researched it a little bit. And I said, okay, you got Sears and Penny. And then I said, then I couldn't let the idea, I said, okay, this is a story that has to be told, or I have to at least look into it. So let's get Bezos. Uh, Superdoll is a little more complicated, so if you want to talk about that, you can ask me about that one, too. And then Lady Witchbeard, it was very similar, where it was more thinking about uh, a lady, a witch, who was a pirate. And that's why I told that story that became the basis for Lady Witchbeard. So I had, had the idea for Lady Witchbeard, a witch pirate, and I was walking around, uh, maybe this was two Halloweens ago, too. Maybe last Halloween, but I said, you know, I'm Lady Witchbeard, hee hee hee. 
I'm a witch pirate. I just had fun doing that. And he said, oh, and then it was again. Uh, and then I did the one story about Lady Witchbeard, but I couldn't forget about her. I said, man, she, that's a character. She needs a story, like uh, her story has to be told. And eventually, and, and I said, well, just maybe this series wasn't her story being told. It ended up being more about Germ, but uh, she's still there. And, she, you know, one day hopefully we'll return to her. Because I said, man, I love this idea of a, a witch who decided to become a pirate. I don't know. So that was more of an idea of something a little bit different. And then this uh, this one coming up is based on an episode from last season, right, right around Christmas time. And it was the Cold War on Christmas, it was called, or... And it was about a lost Christmas special. And at the conclusion, I said that uh, this woman, Roberta, Roberta, a scientist named Roberta, uh, was going to take over for Santa Claus. And believe it or not, I was re-listening the episode today for the first time. And I still haven't finished the episode in Lake Lou. So I'm still not even positive how the episode ends. But I do know that this that she was going to become Roberta Claus, so it'd be the first Christmas that Santa Claus was a woman. And I, and as soon as again, I said, "Well, when next Christmas rolls around, we have to explore this idea. It's, it's incredibly interesting to me. And what would happen? What is Roberta Claus like? What would be? What, you know, how would the society? You know, so that's what the story we're going to be telling over the next five weeks." between Thanksgiving and Christmas is about Roberta Claus and Christmas. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through my notes here that I've written and just to maybe comment on them uh, to see where we're at. And, and so there so will be spoilers, but you'll get an idea, and I'll talk about it as I go through my notes. It won't be perfect, but uh, you'll get a sense for what I mean when I say when I'm trying to figure out these stories. All right, so we'll just run through some of these notes here. I'm not sure. I guess this is where I started. So the first note I have is Roberta Claus gone away. So I was like, okay, is she? Well, let's read the rest of the page. Okay, we have to bring her back, question mark. Does she feel rejected? And then there's just do. So I was like, okay, is does it start off with Roberta Claus and not? Has she become Santa? And then something happened, and she's not at the North Pole. She's not saying anymore. And then I can't read. It said, okay, spackle something in the science that saved Christmas, five or six episodes, five or six episodes. And I don't know what that says. This was like a week ago. And then what is con- what is the conflict? Is it, uh, so one of the conflicts is it being rejected by societies or haters? Or is that too obvious? And then there's something down here that says a Christmas-related problem, Christmas without Claus. And this is like the thing that's important to me and that where I'm still learning and learning how to make it a sleep podcast is that especially with making stories up is it comes down to the conflict and that's the hardest part And what, but what also drives the story. It drives the character's uh, so it's a, and, and then it's like, okay, what are the different kinds of conflict? And most of the time, if I can find my way to rehashing that out every time, 
okay, this isn't working, or, or I don't know where to go next. Okay, what is the conflict? What's at stake? Who wants what? Who? So, so that'll come up a lot. So that's one page of notes there. And then the next thing says, people say we already do all the work, we buy the presents, Santa doesn't even exist, or... Who needs Santa when we, you know, we already have uh, faith or belief systems or God? And so this is, I guess, a societal conflict. I was talking about various forces combined to abandon Santa Claus, double question mark. Okay, because, so then it's like, okay, Scooter, this is my mindset. I'm like, okay. But then I say, well, is that conflict? Because then it's like, okay, what is the problem for the world? Like, okay, that stuff that's happening... But is that going to drive the story? Because a lot of times, what's good about it is, okay, what's boring? Well, what, what happened before? Or like they call that exposition or backstory. It's like, okay, what happened to lead to this story? So a lot of this right now is in the backstory. What happened that led up to the story that we're going to tell? And this is like, okay, this is me trying to explore it. But I have to also, with a deadline, be like, okay, let's not go too far down this imagine Because it can be, you know, then you have to, I have to look at myself. Am I just trying to find some certainty? Like, am I going too far down this rabbit hole of setting up the world so that I feel comfortable or I feel like I'm getting work done? Because it's a little bit easier to say, okay, what's called, you know, what happened before the story? Because it's scary trying to figure out the story. Uh, so then it comes to the next question. If the world chases away Roberta Claus and they stop believing in Santa, what happens? Question mark. And for me, a lot of it is asking questions constantly. And maybe there's never an answer. But it, it says, uh, but then it helps me find the next question. And I, again, I don't know if this is a... This is just the process I go through. This isn't a system or anything or an example. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, but, but this is just what goes through my mind. Uh, but then I said, but we, in quotes, already use the passing of Santa to, to, to teach kids about grief. So that was like an idea. I said, I said it's a, it really developed that idea. So I'm trying to remember but he said, okay, was there, did Santa pass away and that's what happened Why Roberta Claus took over or what they told the world? I mean, because obviously you're going to have to explain it to kids. And I guess that makes sense now. I'm thinking, okay, that does, I believe that. Like, uh, because how did they introduce Roberta Claus to the world? And I say, okay, we had this grieving period where we taught kids, okay, Santa passed away. And let's all go through these stages of grief for Santa. That's a teachable moment. Uh, but also, if you're replacing Santa, especially with not an exact duplicate, you have to, there's some legwork there. Okay, now we get into some plot points here, maybe. Star, I have a star. And then it says, because I was trying to find what, okay, what's the, what's the, what's against Roberta Claus other than society? You know, what, what, what would drive Roberta Claus to act if she's been pushed out by the world? What's going to bring her back, you know? And what's going to put Santa, like Christmas at threat? And, you know, so here's the, it says, is there some, quote, secret Santa? Uh, that's running through childhood circles, like kind of like uh, Bloody Mary. Is it some kind of genius or villain? 
And then, of course, uh, and that's a double question mark. Then what does Secret Santa want? That's another good question. Uh, then what is the threat? Question mark. Why does Roberta Claus want to come back? Question mark. Okay, so this next page is pretty packed. So, and I haven't reread any of So the next page, and sometimes this is what I do. I say, okay, let's start plotting out. Let's come up with it. So this says, timeline. Last Christmas, Santa passes away. News leaks out somehow in January. Government makes February announcement, uh, which also ruins Valentine's Day. For the next month, the Earth mourns the loss of Santa. But we also have cameras and updates that all is going well at the North Pole. Kids learn about loss. Society is pleased, double question mark. Uh, at, at some time, kids are getting secret messages from Santa, question mark. So this is a secret Santa. Uh, then it's early summer or spring. Roberta Colossus is introduced to the world. It's a disaster. Mob mentality. Uh, maybe some light humor. And then some bullying and some misogyny. Is that what that says? Light humor, humor into bullying, misogyny? Holy mackerel. That's, uh... Okay, and then the next question. How does the world see Roberta Colossus' announcement? As their anti-liberal conspiracy, they feel like it's anti-religious. Are there secret agendas? Is it about consumerism? Is there even more, more than one thing? And then uh, this, I'm not sure exactly what it means. Santa Claus was an icon for a different time, and now they, in quotes, use it against us. So is that someone from the conspiracy speaking there? I don't know. That one I'd have to wait and see what sneaks sinks in. Uh, then I have a little symbol after this. It's a double hash mark or a double, like, I think you're supposed to do this when you, uh, uh, you start a new paragraph. I don't know. It's like two li parallel lines. But for me, that means, okay, this is whatever comes next has nothing to do with what came before it. And it's a little note to myself because a lot of times I'm reading this days after, like now, and I don't remember. Okay, double hash mark or whatever. Uh, was there mass bullyings or burying's in altars of Santa? Oh, yeah, mass burying's in altars of Santa in summer uh, when he died with milk and cookies, etc., and then another double hash mark to close that out. Okay, then we go back to the bullying and the misogyny. Uh, none of this breaks Roberta Claus. What makes her go into isolation is some militia groups uh, bullying. And then I got to go to the next page. Oh, and it looks like, I think it was, oh yeah, who start to go into places, uh, go after elves, take elves. Uh, go after reindeer across the world. Well, that's terrible. These people are terrible in this story I'm making, uh, society. And again, this is not set in stone. This is me. This is how I'm. And the terrifying thing about this for me is that, okay, this is just me trying to lay the groundwork for a story that for me, I have to record episode one next week. Like, you won't hear it because it'll probably come out on Thanksgiving, but uh, I want to take two weeks off so they can have a two-week cushion. Uh, that just, I think it gives me more time for accidents or from anything comes up. But, okay, so she announces Christmas will go on without her. World decides that maybe it is no longer needed. And we have Christmas under control. So I think that mean, it means Santa. 
and other groups have their own agendas. Uh, then I changed pens because it's a different color ink here. Uh, some, in some sense, Roberta Colossus might unite or bring together all this, all these disparate factions. And you can see here, this goes into another point, but how I've, I've kind of lost my way. I'm a little, I, I'm thinking if I'm critiquing my own notes and I was sitting with myself as, hey, hey, and I guess this is, it has to be done is like, okay, I need some foundation to work with, which we'll talk about Miracle on 34th Street, maybe if I remember. But, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm nervous here. I can see that I'm, I'm, I'm going out and putting my effort into something, uh, that's happens, but that's, I don't know if I'm, uh, I guess I'm working on building up my confidence here instead of, uh, breaking the story. I'm, I'm doing a little bit, maybe too much work, but I'm like, oh, am I thinking here though? I can see it as like, okay, if I can understand all this. It'll help me write the story better. And I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. And this is what makes it interesting, you know, going through it. Okay, so back to where we were. Like a religious anti-consumer and then total consumer sales groups, service and environmental groups. Uh, Christmas is fractured into some subgroups. But I can see how the fall of Roberta Colossus could help these groups say, okay, well, this is the time to give up on Christmas if you're an environmental group and say, let's do some service for other people. And then for a religious group, it might be, okay, let's return to our religious roots instead of praising Santa and, and presents. Or just in a consumer, you know, say, well, now it's time for simple living and, and time for family. Instead of spending, you know, let's get outside and do something. So maybe there is this good side, uh, you know, not a good thing that Roberta Claus was bullied. I don't know, this is just the ideas I'm playing with. And then the consumerism would be like, well, there's no free presence now, so all the you got to buy all your presents, so that's good for business. And this is all based on the fact, you know, I stated in last year, saying is real, which I know some people might be in denial about, but, you know, that hopefully that's another thing that comes out of this discussion of facts here is that, you know, we're, we're basing all this on the fact that Santa Claus and now Roberta Claus are real. And I'm trying to raise a story from that, you know, that this is a... Okay, anyway... Uh, how does evil plan factor in, and, and how does that fact affect the story? This is a good question. I have no idea. Uh, so let's keep going. What does Secret Santa want? Does he want children to live in fear? Uh, to on paint? Uh, to on point? Uh, I don't know what that means. How to make that more subtle without being... Uh, like a Monsters, Inc. type movie, you know, where power, you know, we don't want children's fear to power. Clearly, that's too Monsters, Inc. But also, like another version of it, oh, this uh, secret Santa's a villain that just wants children to be afraid. That feels not subtle enough for me. You know, I'm like, okay, I want something more story-based or... Something else that's not good enough for me. And then I, so then I'm still exploring it. And this next page, does he want children to behave? Is it some sort of devil character? And then I immediately say, no devil, something more evil. 
Uh, and then this gets a little darker. Does it, is he taking children's souls? Or is that too scary? Question mark, question mark. You're probably right. It's probably too scary. Uh, and then the next set of thoughts. Or is it just an uncontrolled child belief system that has unintended consequences? I say, okay, I don't know what that means, Scoots, but maybe. And then we get down to the rubber meeting and we say, okay, to make it a real crisis, every letter of crisis is capitalized except for the I's because my capitalized aren't very good. But they say, hey, Scooter, pay attention to the crisis. It would have to be a plan hatched Christmas Eve. And I think I mean launched Christmas Eve, not hatched. Uh, to use Secret Santa to launch an attack. So it'll have to culminate on Christmas Eve if it's a real crisis situation. And then the next thing is, okay, well, could it be an unknown threat? No one knows what Secret Santa is or really wants. And they say, okay, so maybe we don't have to go that far in the past and understand everything. Maybe we could say there's a Secret Santa that children are kind of talking about in their own children's circles away from the adults. Like, so children have been told uh, Santa died, Roberta Claus replaced her. Well, no, and then the parents after, they say, well, we don't believe in Roberta Claus. And the children would be like, well, I thought she took over for Santa when he passed away. Oh, no, no, that was just on the news, but we don't believe it. And so my idea is, okay, with with that vacuum, and then Roberta Claus, whatever, relents because the abuse gets so, so heavy. That she says, okay, what's best for the children is me to to withdraw. But then my thought is, in the absence of the belief system in Santa Claus, in this case, Roberta Claus, the children create their own belief system, or do they, or does a force say, like where kids are meeting, you know, in little circles, saying, okay, this is how you contact secret Santa, and did you make your list? There could be a whole mythology to it. Where the kids are saying, okay, did you write your list for Secret Santa? And it would, I mean, this would not be in the story. This would be the mythology. And, the, the, you know, oh, did you, uh, you know, tap your shoe twice so Secret Santa knows you're waiting? And this would be something that would be secret from the adults and the adults. And then it would suddenly be like, what are all these kids believe in the Secret Santa? And it would be, so it would create this dynamic, a natural dynamic in some sense. In the absence of, uh, in the vacuum of Santa Claus, uh, maybe some families say, hey, let's believe in family, let's believe in uh, God. But some kids might be like, well, I want to believe in Santa still, so I'll take this secret Santa. Uh, and here's where we get into it. Uh, so could it be an unknown threat? No one knows what secret Santa really wants, but he is drawing his power from the belief of children and joy, just like the real Santa. So even if this uh, secret Santa is evil or bad or something, uh, the triggering of the joy of participating in the Christmas ritual is what powers him. So then we're kind of back to the Monsters, Inc. thing, but in some more, uh, a little bit different way, maybe. Okay, this would draw of of adult fears of the unknown and of children in secret uh, communities or communes or something with dark, oh, yeah, it was secret communication, something C-O-M-M, and then it trails off my writing, uh, with dark unknown forces. 
Uh, also, is drawing on children's unknown fears, and then I, I didn't. This could oh, this could be the theory that drives Roberta's charge on the night of the Bell's Nichols or something. So I'm going. I, I just went way far afield to try to understand, but that would drive. This is a little more important. Understanding the secret Santa. If this is what's going to drive some of the conflict, is this is this an oppositional figure to Roberta Claus, and then that would add a nice conflict if society is also in conflict with Roberta Claus. Roberta Claus has her own feelings about society now, and she has her duty to Christmas and her love of children, which would be the most important thing. And then children have their need to believe in something. Uh, and, and these two things vying for, for, for their beliefs or three things. And then everybody has these little secret fears. So these would be the ideas behind it. So then the night of the bell snickles or something, uh, children across the world, does something happen like between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Or is there spankings or something? I don't know. I don't have a clear idea. And then again, I say, again, is this too scary, question mark, question mark. And I did sanitize even my notes there. And then, of course, then this is like spoiler, so I'll avoid it. But this was, okay, so I say, okay, I'm a little lost here. When I, The next day, I'm in a different color pen, so I know I sat down. I said, okay, we're a little lost here. How is this all going to end, Scoots? Because uh, I'm not sure of the days, but I'm guaranteeing this was either uh, Wednesday or Thursday. So I said, okay, pressure's on. You know, we've got to start writing episode one in a couple of days, and we've got to explain this to the audience. So, how's it end? And I said, "Well, of course, Christmas has got to be saved somehow, because uh, clearly, I'm not going to write a story. You know, I'm not going to totally ruin Christmas." Uh, but then I put "but" capital B, capital U, capital T. First, I put B U T T by accident, not even on purpose to be funny. I scratch that. I put B U T. Uh, but, okay, could the end also include some sort of anti-shame thing? And then I'll try to avoid spoilers after that. Okay, let me see, though. This, like, Roberta Claus recreates the joy of Christmas terror. That's in quotes. Like, Roberta Claus would say that or something. And then I talk about some specific stuff. Then there's two stars. And I talk about this idea that I, I have said, okay, this was like, I was like writing very fast. I said, okay, this works for the ending. And then I said, now that I'm rereading, I'm saying, okay, well, okay, that makes sense. But this is again more, uh, I said, I don't, now that I'm rereading, I'm saying this is good, but it's still more of an explanation than an actual activity. But it says, Roberta flips the script about something and something related to helping children and helping other parties. And then it becomes this, it changes Christmas to something even better. So then I said, okay, it just doesn't, you can't just save Christmas. So this becomes a, a new uh, part of the Christmas tradition or maybe even something more where children and maybe some other parties' benefits, and maybe it changes behavior uh, and incorporates some of the other things in the story, 
and relieves children, uh, goes with these other tradition, Christmas traditions, uh, connects to other things. And then it says, like, even Roberta Colossus' sack will help carry the weight of some, some stuff. Take it to the North Pole. And and then also, okay, how do we resolve Roberta Colossus and close-minded people that rejected her? And... What she what will she do with their hate and their shaming of her uh, since they're adults? And then this was uh, yesterday, and maybe okay. So I said okay. I, now we're under yeah. This was yesterday because I said okay, full pressure here. And I looked at the calendar. And said okay, this is going to be five episodes. It looks like. And so I said okay, okay. What are the episode? I like okay. So now we have our ending. And we have our beginning. Okay, where does it where does it open? And he said, okay, does it open with Roberta's? Or no, Roberta, and why? And then I say, but okay. And then I have notes here. I can barely. Could this? Why would this work? Would this work? And what was going to be best to unify? You know, how's Christmas going down? And how do we tell the past stuff about the past year? And then, okay, episode two, is that when Secret Santa problem develops or not? And then I, then I had later notes. I said it has to be a problem by then for sure. Maybe even at the end of the first episode or the beginning of the second, uh, since we, uh, you know, say, okay, there's only five episodes, so we don't have a lot of time, but I also don't have time to figure out all the story, so it's still, this is scary parts. And I say, okay, well, okay, so like all these stories, the beginning, middle, and end, in the middle should usually have, you know, okay, let's do this. Oh, no, that went wrong. Oh, this was unexpected. New unexpected problem. How do we solve that? Oh, we solved, oh, no, there's now there's a new problem, you know. And it can be, and that's where you see uh, some weakness in, in my stories is, uh, but 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 if it was outside of putting people to sleep context, they say okay. When you don't have time to rewrite stories and develop them properly, the middle is where things can be a little gelatinous, and in some sense, like that's when you put people to sleep. And and that's I, I do have, I don't have any outline or structure. I definitely follow, but I like to have a big middle. Is what I call it. So even every episode I say I try to do it like a three-act structure, more or less, which isn't that complicated, beginning, a middle, and an end. And the middle's longer than the beginning or the end normally. And usually there's a couple twists and turns in, in the middle. Obviously you don't go, uh, kid buys a popsicle, kid eats a popsicle. Like you say, that's even more boring than your podcast, Scooter. What happened in the middle? He unwrapped the popsicle. Then he ate the popsicle. You know, I would say, okay, kid drops a popsicle. If a, or kid buys a popsicle, kid drops a popsicle. Then if it's my story, it'd be the big. So that would be the first conflict. In a good story, immediately he would react. And my story would say, well, let me count, let me watch this thing melt. And then I might talk, the big middle would be, I'll talk about my relationship with the popsicles. And I'll say, popsicle sticks. And then the kid maybe will make a house out of popsicle sticks. And then it'll be like Charles Webb, and then tons of people will come in the store. And then the store man will pay him a, a popsicle a day. 
But then it was, you know, then another, then just like in every story, another twist will happen. They say, okay, he gets, you know, framed or he's going for, you know, Popsicle Stick House Builder of the Year and his best house gets stolen. But then, of course, I would describe the house in too much detail. So that would be the big middle. And it's not always like just one big middle. But when I first started doing a show, at some point within like eight to eight, eight to 12 months, I said, okay. So it's just a three act structure, but with a normally with a big middle. That's what I, I don't know what else they call it. Like a act two where they say, you know, if you're writing a book or a movie or a video game or even a poem, you say, okay, well, like, you know, we'll try not to do too much world building, too much exposition, too much talking. Too much backstory, where I more have a luxury to do that, as long as they're doing it in the right way. And that's my way of talking around. So episode three, I still don't know. I'm like, oh boy, I don't know what, even what to do for episode three. And we'll have to see how one and two play out. But I am aware at some point, by the end of episode three, if not the middle of it, we need a midpoint of the story where something serious has to happen. Uh, where Roberta Kloss either, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get her in the story committed, but then say, you know, because she has to come in, and I'm like, okay, how can we get Roberta Kloss back? But then is she fully back? Is it too late at episode three to have her fully invested, or is that the right time? Because but, but episode three has to have, or I would like it to have, something to say, okay, I didn't think that was going to happen. And I have an idea. I had a couple ideas that I'm not going to say. But I said, I have that idea written here. I said, okay, is this the midpoint crisis here or whatever? I don't know what, if it's a crisis. Uh, this one would be an unexpected, serious problem where Roberta Claus would be like, whoa, geez, I didn't say, you know, this is not ideal. And what the hell am I going to do now? Because then Roberta Claus really has to save Christmas. Or can she, you know? And then episode four. They say, okay, okay, now she's dealing with that, and then she's overcoming. Oh, and then this happened, or is that the result of her fixing that problem or a new problem? And then again, and this is where, you know, you get into maybe where I'm still improving as a storyteller. Okay, how many more things do we need, Scoots? And this is where I tend to overdo it. Okay, so she had a midpoint thing. And then is there another problem? And then she fixes that, and then it's Christmas. And Christmas is saved, but then there's one more problem after that, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Or do we just need two, you know, we just need the midpoint. You know, the problem's leading up to that, but the midpoint would be a big one. And then you have, you know, another one that's maybe the climax I don't know, the midpoint crisis is kind of good, because, so I don't have the next crisis. I mean, I have an idea of it. But, and then it's like, okay. So it's not just about saving Christmas. There's something else that she's got to do. And, that, and then that results in the solution that makes it better than saving Christmas. Uh, so so that, was, that was those notes. And this is, that's pretty much the end of the notes. And they talk about... Uh, uh, who's in this? Is it going to be Mrs. Cross? Is it Cross? Is it going to be Speckle, the elf, and Present Drops? Are they going to be in this story? 
is Rupert from Ruprecht from uh, the first first holiday episodes I did going to be in it. And that's the end of my notes. But I said, okay, Miracle on 34th Street is the other thing. I've never seen that movie. I've seen clips from it. I've probably been in the room when the movie's been on. But I've never watched that movie. And so uh, sometimes that's another thing, or that's something I did, at least at the beginning of uh, Lady Witchbeard. I didn't see it all the way through. But with Lady Witchbeard, it was like, okay, I'm trying to write this story and structure the story. And it's kind of hard when you're doing it as you're telling it, you know, trying to maintain the overall structure you know, as you're going forward, it's like trying to put the train tracks down and you're driving the train and the train's moving. But as I said, this that might be what's best for this podcast, and that's the reality of what we have right now. So then with Lady Witchbury, I said, okay, well, how can I do that? And then, you know, the idea of the, the conflict of that story came up. Oh, Lady Witchbeard is the here's the song Cortez the Killer. And that was it came up first when I said, oh, okay, the lyrics of Cortez the Killer can kind of help me navigate, oh, what's going to be next in this story? And I said, okay, is there any movies or books that are like Lady Witchbeard? And for a while, I must have watched the movie Jaws about 25 times uh, leading up to and during... Uh, the first couple of weeks of Lady Witchbeard, at least the first hour and 15 minutes of Jaws. And so I really relied on that. I said, okay, how did that story go? And while stories are, be, there's a lot of different things that are different, but then, I don't know, there were things that were similar and things you might not think were similar, but these points in Jaws you might have forgot about. But there are things like the unrelenting nature of, and then Brody, and germ kind of seemed like they ended up being a little bit connected. And then even helping me, like, well, whose Jaws? Is Cortez Jaws or is Lady Witchbeard Jaws? And then it was like uh, Alex Kittner's Mrs. Kittner was a, uh, that, that was kind of a, a, a point when you watch Jaws or you think about Jaws and you don't watch it. There's like when you meet Quint and then when you meet Mrs. Kittner, and she she has this emotional impact on uh, Brody for, you know, not doing his job. And when you meet Quentin and he kind of, those are things, it just helped me give me a little bit more confidence and a little bit more like, okay, can I, can I take anything I've learned from watching this and say, okay, well, and I know I can't actually directly give an example, but it more gave me something to strive for, actually. I say, geez, could I have anything with one ounce of that meeting where Quint's sitting in the background and he scratches a chalkboard? I don't think I did, but when Miss Kittner tells Chief Brody how disappointed she is, and I said, no, but I could strive for that. So in this situation, I'm saying, okay, this is a lot about belief and stuff. And what I know about, what I thought I knew about 34th Street is wrong, because then I read the Wikipedia page about it. But I don't know if I'll be able to find the time to watch that while we do this. But that's another thing. If I can find that, that'll give me another thing. I say, okay, well, how'd they do the first a quarter of their story or what, you know, watch it once or twice and start rewatching it. 
a piece at a time and say, well, this was a successful, beloved film. Uh, not how can I copy the structure of the film, but more, okay, what were the turning points there? What were the emotional, what, what were the, uh, what other conflicts can I notice? Uh, what, what were the other relationships? What were the interpersonal conflicts? Cause for me, I'm like, okay, what is the main conflict? Who wants what? Or who's, what's the danger? Or, you know, that's uh, when I, when I'm like lost, I say, okay, that's the story conflict. And then I say, okay, well, what's the interpersonal conflict? Who's having a problem with who? Is that different than the story conflict? Is that another layer of conflict? Oh, that person doesn't like that person. Oh, you got Brody and then you got Quint and then you have, uh, you know, the, the mayor. And then you have Dreyfus. I mean, Brody and the mayor, that was a great uh, interpersonal conflict. And and then you say, okay, there's those. And then there's, okay, what are the internal conflicts for the main character or the other characters? And you say, okay, Chief Brody's afraid of water. Okay, Chief Brody is afraid to say no and stand up for himself and trust his gut. Uh, Chief Brody, you know, he backs down a little bit too much, and he, he's an outsider, uh, but trying to be an authority. Okay, so those are the internal, some of the internal conflicts. Uh, Chief Brody loves his family, you know, and that's kind of where Germ. I mean, that was a bit part of the thing, of like with Germ and his daughter. I said, oh, "Geez, what is this? What is Germ's internal conflict?" And then actually Lady Witchbeard's kind of changed because it was like, what was hers? And at first I thought that, uh, I thought she had some personal things that I don't want to disclose to change anybody's, you know, version of the story. But I said, oh, yeah, I don't know if that works or it's too on the nose or not subtle enough. And they said, okay, well, no, she's on a mission to save magic. And, you know, she's, she's a, a full-on witch. And she's there to save. Okay, that's an internal conflict, not failing at her mission. I mean, maybe it's also it's a story conflict a little bit too. I mean, these aren't set in stone. These are just ideas I have, or little tools in my toolkit. But don't try to write a story my way. You know, you'll find your own way in the story swamp or the story attic, wherever. Uh, but that's like how I would, if I can find a time to watch Miracle on 34th Street about 34 times between, you know, at least three times, I, yeah, or once between now and th- next week. But I don't know if that'll happen. So we'll see. So, but, but that would give me a little extra confidence and a little bit extra. I say, okay, well, how did they do it or what happened? So I'll see. So that's a little bit about how the sausage is made. I don't think, I mean, I think this was successfully uh, boring. I mean, some of you are like, oh, well, yeah, I like storytelling and stuff. And I thought I was going to learn something. It turns out I learned scooters. Uh, yeah, he really goes to the story swamp. Uh, but for me, it's about learning how to tell stories and saying, geez, okay, I'm not there with the conflict in the middle and stuff. But I guess that's, uh, you know, uh, good because, uh, like, okay, I'd have to borify that anyway. And for me, a lot of it is saying, okay, this, 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 and then asking questions. Well, geez, why would I, why would that person do that? You know, this isn't enough. I mean, sometimes you see that in a stereotypical, like, oh, tell me about your story. Okay, what happens then? I don't buy, you know, where someone 
But it is like, uh, I think there is another sense of it that is meta or whatever about uh, wondering what my motivations are and saying, oh, am I just trying to feel safe? Am I doing what's best for the story? Or am I trying to feel safe here? And I'm scared of going into the story and failing and figuring out what the conflict is or figuring out how the episode's going to unfold and I'm putting more work into it. Uh, character backstory or uh, what happened, you know, or the philosophies that led to this or not. Maybe I'll turn out in, a, you know, 10 episodes. I'll be like, no, no, that was necessary. Uh, but it, it all comes down to, for me, at least right now, writing every day and uh, finding that time and saying, okay, this isn't going to be as hard as one part of my brain says, oh, no, this is going to be so hard. Oh, this is going to go so... It's okay. It's just 30 minutes. We all know how fast 30 minutes can go by screwing around on the Internet. And when you're writing, especially on a Saturday or Sunday morning, it can feel like forever, but it really isn't. And it really pays off for me. And I think it's like developing a new pathway or whatever brain plasticity... And it, it helps you guys sleep. It, it, and as I said, like with Lady Witchbeard, and now I'm convinced of this, is the more work that I have, of it, one, if I was going to put any work in the podcast, it would be writing these stories. I would abandon everything else and do, like I would abandon the TV show episodes way before I would abandon writing serial stories because that's the, challenge, the most challenging thing. And it's the thing that I, uh, is the hardest and it's the thing that stretches me the most. And it's the thing I've always, I've always wanted to tell stories and make stories. And not just make them up on the spot. That's great and fun. And I get so much gold out of there in unexpected storytelling. But there's something about this other layer of more difficult uh, exploring of stories. Uh, that for me... I wouldn't say it's the most painful. Well, the Thursday, Tuesday episodes are painful, too, in a different way. It is like it takes some rigor and difficulty. It's not easy. And not necessarily, I don't, I don't know. It's something I say, well, this is what the little kid in me dreamed about doing, was writing stories like this, and now I'm kind of doing it. I think I had a point in there unrelated to that, though. I don't know. I mean, this is an important part of the podcast for me of uh, of doing this and saying, uh, and then, oh, yeah, the, the, the more I put into the stories and the more structured they are, like, so let's say, let's say I write for a constant, like a focus 30 minutes for seven days between now and next Friday. Uh, when I sit down behind the mic on Friday to record the episode, I'll have way more confidence if I say, okay, I know exactly the beginning, the end, and, like, these different points in between, because usually I have, uh, if we have more time, but similar, like, uh, okay, there are five episodes. Uh, there might be five points within an episode. And if I have an idea what those are, and then I say, okay, and I have an idea what's happening in each of those five points and the conflict... And it doesn't have to be perfect or amazing. But I have so much more confidence and flexibility to go on tangents, to slow down, 
and to be lulling, soothing, say, oh, what would Cortez, you know, how would Cortez lead a group of people? Or what would it go, you know, how would I get a go, you know, the stuff like that where I said, okay, it's weird. And this is how counterintuitive creating this podcast is because I would have never thought it. Uh, but the more written the stories are, and the be- you know, maybe not the better written they are, but the better outlined and rewritten they are. Like if I'm re outline, like if I get an outline by like a Tuesday, and I say, okay, now I have my five or six ideas for the episode of how it's uh, unfolds, and I spend the next few days. Oh no, that doesn't work. Okay, what would Jer- you know? What would Germ say? Okay, what's uh, Marina gonna say? And then I keep refining that and, and redoing it. The more lonely, I can't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. So, and stories really are a magical thing. And I'm not saying I'm doing any magic or I kind of was, you know, pretty straightforward to how this works for me. But the stories in themselves are one of the things, you know, that's why we go to the movies or watch TV or read books and, and why I adore so many different uh, podcasts, movies, TV shows, writers, uh, is, is some sort of uh, food for for me and for a lot of us, all right? So uh, thanks, thanks for listening, all right? Good night. All right, I want to thank and say good night to everybody. Good night, Melanie. Good night, Sophia. Good night, Sophie, too. Uh, good night, Elise. Good night, Alexandra. Good night, Ben. Good night, James. Good night, Tabitha. Good night, Camille. Good night, Richard. Uh, good night, Vatten. Good night. Uh, good night, Jane. Good night, Goat Goddess. Good night, Jennifer and Jason S. Good night, Adam P. Good night, Kyla. Kayla. Good night, Kayla. That sounds Jackie. Good night. The Bug. Good night. Sally, Sally Ann. Good night. Tara. Tara. Thank you for that song. Good night. Sammy M. Good night, Ingrid. Good night. Ricky Chi. Good night. Jessica. Good night. Ben M. Welcome and good night. Mary. Good night. Happy Mom. Good night. Martina. Good night. Good night, Nancy. Good night, Tabitha. Good night, Joel. Amy. Good night, Rachel B. Good night. Brian. Good night. Jackie L. Good night. Good night, Dana. Good night, Ahab's wife. Carrie, good night. Jennifer B., good night. Good night, Laura. Good night, Diana and Deanna. Lida, good night, and Mel, good night. And then uh, good night from uh, CO Commuter, the only podcast they listen to night after night. Good night to Jonic Chronic, who came surprised they came across someone interesting and boring at the same time. What a talent! A million different tangents. Thank you so much, Janik. Or Yannick, maybe. Uh, what did I just listen to from Gaming Noise? Thank you. Listening to the Paper, paper Towel Crisis, Bathroom Gnomes, High Cocoa Drawers. Oh, that's so cute. Thank you, Gaming Noise. Oh, Ziggy Zandy says this is pure genius, and they just found it on BuzzFeed. Thank you so much, Ziggy Zandy. This is this beautiful Ziggy Zandy. I want to thank Anna Ikapika, Anna Ikapika, who says that we rock and Game of Thrones puts Anna Ikapika to sleep. Ugly's mom, holy. 
What kind of mom says that? I love it. Oh, funny. I loves the podcast. Chewy156, Chewbacca, when Chewbacca's brain bot says, uh, just thank you. Uh, more alliteration coming in from Katie Coco, who doesn't know if it's working and then falls asleep. Goofy, meandering and kind. Oh, thank you, Katie. Uh, resist, resist impulse, resist impulse. I like that. Very, you're very restrained, resist impulse. Reverse, in, in, resist and not reverse impulse, resist. Thank you. And they no longer need ASMR videos. Hidden professionalism. Thank you so much. Drone with an intent. Oh, done with an intent. But it's intentional droning to put the listener to sleep. Clever host. Wow, thank you. And genuine now. Thank you to resist impulse. I won't resist my impulse to say thanks. Uh, Tippy Tuna. Oh, oh boy, drunk tuna fish here. Tippy tuna, insomniac approved. And they've tried it all. Thank you, Tippy tuna. You know, be careful when you're, you know, the seasonal place to be drunk, they say. Uh, tops, mar pops, tops, marops, tops, maroops, uh, toops, maroops, maybe. Toops, maroops. Yeah, I think that's it. Toops. To oops, mar oops, thank you. Off to sleep we go, hi-ho, hi-ho. Thank you. Lauren uh, says, uh, sleep within ten minutes. Thank you, Lauren. Raceland arrested, oh boy. Now there's a real listener or somebody I know, but I think it's uh, a real listener because they said insomnia since childhood. Raceland or Rasslin. That was one of the confusing moments in my life, having dyslexia. And I still know the proper pronunciation of Raceland or Rasslin'. I think it's Raceland, and I had read those books maybe tw- twice each, uh, the whole series, these Dragonlance D&D books. And uh, then someone said, oh, it's Raceland. And I said, in Cameron or Cameroon, I don't know. And I said, what? No, no, no. And it, it didn't ruin the books. I still reread them again as an adult, but it was it was, it was emotionally trying. But thank you. Uh, for that little, I hope it was inside joke. Maybe it's just maybe we're just both racing fans, or you're restful racer. You know, cool. Uh, CDB one two three says, "What the heck?" And CDB three just cut back. No more nightcaps, and now the podcast. Well, that's that's my life too, CDB. So I'm proud of you, and I'll be here. Believe me, I'll be here doing this podcast because I can relate, and I hope I help you sleep. And finally, Gwee Man says, uh, not ironic, intuitive, perfect. Thank you, Gwee Man, and thank you all. Good night.